Monday, September the 6th, 2021. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have a early episode coming out for you this week. That way we could talk about uh, racing for a few days. We could recap episode four of What If, and then a little later on in the week, we're going to start getting you all set up for the NFL season. Every single NFL game will be previewed right here on That's What G Said Podcast. We look forward to helping you out, trying to provide you with the best information possible as uh, we really get excited come NFL time. But that's going to be a little later on on this particular episode of That's What G Said. We'll get into some quick hit, hits in sports. We'll talk a little bit about baseball over the weekend, a little bit about the uh, first weekend of college football. Then we get into racing for Indiana Grand. We have Tuesday plays. Then for Wednesday, we get to Kentucky Downs. Their short meet just opened over the weekend, so some really, really fun competitive turf racing there at Kentucky. We'll give you a look at uh, some plays for Wednesday. There are uh, really cool stakes races on the Canterbury card for Wednesday, so we'll tackle those. We do our full-on deep dive recap and review with Tim Kelly. What if Episode 4, our Marvel uh, animated series recap, we will talk a little bit about AEW All Out, a big show over the weekend. It was a great night for AEW. And then we'll get into the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne. We head back to Starcade 97, WCW. A very, very big night in the world of wrestling and an awful night for WCW. And what was one of the big, to me, one of the big starts in what was the downfall of that company. A night that was supposed to be so huge and just, they absolutely... Uh, put out a clunker of a show from top to bottom. We're going to get into all of that here on That's What She Said. That is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets on Twitter. Better Than Dot Vegas is a website where a bunch of different handicappers and gamblers will provide their video videos with their selections, analysis, different games that they're playing, different sports all across the world. And it's free for you, totally free for you to go click on everyone's videos. You can subscribe to people's channels. doesn't cost you anything. You can also play in the monthly showdown free. If you go and register at betterthan.vegas and just sign up, you get to post videos yourself. They'll grade all the wagers. People will start to subscribe to your channel. You'll probably gain a little bit of a following there. So if you're a, a gambler or a handicapper of any level, if you're someone who wants to grow your brand a little bit, gain a little bit of a following, or maybe you just have fun putting in some games on Sundays or playing some baseball games here and there, and you want to take a shot at winning $1,000 every month. Whoever has the highest tally wins $1,000 now in the monthly showdown. Totally free. And we're not talking about millions of entrants in here. You're not going to be playing against a million different other people. You'll be playing against maybe 100 other people that are posting regularly. Check it out at Better. Uh, at BTV Bets, better than dot Vegas is the website. And starting now, there will be live streams if you follow at BTV Bets on Twitter that are free for you to listen to. There's a crazy schedule every week. On Monday, it's going to be fourth and inches that will preview every Monday night football game. So we will deep dive that Monday game. It's going to start at 7 o'clock Eastern time. 4 o'clock Pacific time, and you can watch the stream. It's a video live stream that will be on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, it's me, Gino B. I'll also post the link out, and we'll tell you everything going up to the game. What's the current spread, total, some of the props that we like, any news in the game, injury information, maybe plays for DFS, fantasy players to start or to fade. We'll really deep dive the Monday game. Then on Wednesday, it's going to be a show where 
Leo from Better Than Dot Vegas and Blackjack from Better Than Dot Vegas are going to try to decide on putting in games for the super contest every week and I'm going to have to host them and if if they can't decide I'll have to be the uh be the tiebreaker on some games. So they're going to have to pick their five games each and every week. That's going to be on Wednesday at 8 o'clock Eastern time. Then on Thursday, same thing for the Thursday night football game. It'll be uh, starting at 7 o'clock Eastern time. Full analysis of the game and preview leading right up to it. Then on Saturday morning, every week, uh, there's a football show, Pitches and Pints, at 8 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. Following that, there's a college football show, uh, Campus Profits, at 10 a.m. Eastern time. That goes through every... Uh, one of the big games on the college football slate. You have four or five different people in there sharing their games, analysis, handicapping. And then Sunday in the morning, there's a fantasy show that's at 10 a.m. Then at 11 a.m., it's going to be fourth and inches where we go through the full slate. Blackjack, Eric, who you hear on this show every week, Brian Howard, Beho. We're all going to be previewing that. Really looking forward to it. I'm going to be hosting those Monday night shows, the Wednesday night show, the Thursday night show, and the Sunday show. All of those shows. So if you want to follow on Twitter at BTV Bets, or you can follow me, it's me, Gino B, on Twitter. You're going to get not only all the information that we give you here on the podcast every week, but also all of that information leading you up to the game. So you're going to get a lot more from uh, right up to the minute information if you want to uh, make sure to check those out too so we'll do our best providing a lot of content over the next uh, few months come football season give btv bets a follow on twitter a couple of things uh, over the weekend that i wanted to discuss first up the dodgers pretty disappointing weekend for the dodgers where they came in with all the momentum um had to feel like you know they were very live for coming in and sweeping a Giants team where they were the Giants had to have two bullpen games over the weekend and in the game on Friday they started uh, De Scalafini who had a nine plus ERA against the Dodgers in five starts this year in an extra inning game the Dodgers could only squeak out two runs through ten if they would have scored three they would have won that game and their pitching was incredible that was the day that the Dodgers had to have their bullpen game and you imagine saying you throw ten different pitchers out there and you only give up two runs through ten yet you still couldn't even get three against D. Scalafini and the rest of the Giants' bullpen. And then following that, the Giants had back-to-back bullpen games. The Dodgers were only able to take one of those where they had Arias and Bueller set up. So right now, the Dodgers are only one game behind the Giants with 25 games left in the season. These two teams don't play each other again the rest of the year, but you got to feel a little bit disappointed now if you're the Dodgers. Just That felt like the moment to at least take... Two out of three, go up a game and just know that you're in complete control here. And now, more than anything, you know, you got to win and you got to get a little bit lucky. You got to hope that the Giants stumble a couple times because if they don't and you end up tied with the Giants, then the Dodgers and Giants will have to go play a game 163. And right now, the Giants have the tiebreaker. So that would be in San Francisco. The winner of that game will then make the playoffs. The loser will then go have to play in a wild card game. So that would be a bad situation. For both of those teams to end up having to play that extra game, then the loser has to drop in and probably play a wild card game, and things could change really quickly. See what the Dodgers can do right now. Early on, as I'm recording this, the Dodgers are up five nothing on St. Louis, and the uh, the Giants and Rockies are playing. It's two one in that game. The uh, Giants playing at Colorado. So yeah, Dodgers got to just keep winning their games, and they uh, uh, got a scoreboard watch a little bit and, and hope for a little bit of help. But pretty disappointing weekend from the offense. The pitching was very good. On Friday and on Saturday. Then on Sunday, you need Bueller, and Bueller has 
the worst game of his year and one of the worst games of his entire career. And so it was just quite unfortunate. Then late in the game, the Dodgers, you know, come back. They're only down two. They get an opportunity to put, uh, you know, Mookie's up, and there's a horrible called strike three. You know, you don't you don't blame it on that, but that's what happens when you put yourself in a bad position. You know, you start counting on, you know, you need things to happen, and then a bad call or something doesn't go your way, and you're in some trouble. So see if the Dodgers can uh, can kind of lock down and focus, but. It's going to be all about it, the the Giants and what kind of baseball they continue to play over the last 25. We got a it was a pretty big week of NCAA football. Week one, we had Bama, Miami, Bama. I mean, there wasn't any massive, massive upsets. I think the biggest one people would say was UCLA. And I don't know if LSU is that good of a team. UCLA was home. They had the game of advantage uh, already. LSU was traveling West Coast, playing at night. So... You know, just kind of a quick run through the top 25. Bama just beat up on Miami, and Young looked incredible. They won 44-13. to Oklahoma survived a scare from Tulane. Your number two team in the country barely uh, survives 40-35. to Georgia goes over and beat a Clemson team that just did not look good. This was an, this was an ugly game offensively. Final score was 10-3 as the number five team, Georgia, beat the number three seeded Clemson. Texas A&M uh, beats up on Kent State. Sorry, Dolph Ziggler. Iowa State. Survives Northern Iowa there 16-10 Cincinnati number 8 in the land Defeats Miami 49-14 Oregon and USC Did not look very impressive Now Oregon won 31-24 Against Fresno State USC won 30-7 So it looks like they played very well But they got They did not In the first half And to start the second half And they got lucky With a couple big swing plays That really changed the complexion Of that game Penn State Went into Wisconsin and upset them 16-10 Florida Atlantic got beat up by the number 13 team Florida Um, We talked about UCLA getting the upset over LSU Iowa 34 Indiana 6 Iowa beat up on them Uh, Washington upset by Montana So Montana 13 Washington 7 Yeah not the greatest week for the Pac-12 Before that UCLA win Early in the day they were really Just not looking impressive even when winning Washington gets beat But uh, the UCLA win definitely helps The Ragin' Cajuns got beat by Texas Uh, Number 21 Texas beat Louisiana uh, 38-18 And and that was pretty much a look through The the top 25 in uh, week 1 of college football Don't forget you can uh, tune in every Saturday morning At 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time To Campus Profits It's totally free for you to watch It's about an hour show That previews a lot of the big games On Saturday morning And the uh, the Saturday slate So make sure to check that out First NFL game of the year I mentioned we'll really dive into this game um, A little later on in the week With Eric And we'll also dive into it On the preview at BTV Bets On Thursday night Where uh, for uh, for free, you can follow along. Just pull up, pull it up on Twitter or pull up it's me Gino B, and we'll be talking all about this Cowboys at Bucks game, where the Bucks are currently a seven and a half to eight point favorite, depending on where you're looking. Uh, total in this game right now is 52. And what's really cool, especially in these standalone games, uh, like on a Thursday night first game of the year, they really open up the props, and so you can start. You know, you can make wagers in this game on. Anytime touchdown score, first touchdown score, first drive result was going to be a punt, offensive touchdown, field goal attempt, or anything else. Uh, anyone, you know, multiple touchdowns, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, will he score multiple touchdowns plus 650? 
you can find so many different things to wager on. Team to score first, uh, team to score last, player passing yards, individual player props, winning margin, alternate totals, alternate spread. So we'll get into a lot of these specifically in the Thursday uh, preview and later on in the week. But just to keep an eye on the opening game of the year right now and what the line is in that one with the Bucks in, in the 7.5 uh, to 8 point range as a favorite. And... They are the first NFL team to be 100% fully vaccinated. They mean business this year. Tom Brady went in there and said, we're winning again. Now, keep in mind, this is the Tampa team that last year didn't have a training camp. Now, nobody had a training camp, but they had Tom Brady coming in, dealing with a new coach, a bunch of new pieces, new quarterback, new receivers, everything, new plays to call. And it took them a while to get going. They had 12 straight weeks to play. And then once they got their bye and after their bye, they just looked like a different team. They had an easier schedule coming out of the bye, so they were able to really sort of build up their confidence and kind of impose their will. And then all through the playoffs, they were super impressive. They have everyone coming back, and as long as Tom Brady is healthy back there, they seem like the most complete roster in the NFL. They're very, very good on all sides of the ball. And this game is not likely not going to trickle down the Dallas way, but I'd probably need seven Six and a half, obviously, would be the number that I'd play big, but I'd still play Tampa at seven. At seven and a half, that number, you know, that's a key number there. I honestly, it just the early thoughts here before I really sink my teeth into and, and handicap this game and start handicapping the week, you know, coming up tonight and tomorrow, I'm going to really get into everything and dive into it all. I don't, I mean, I think Tampa's going to kick the crap out of Dallas. I really do. I'm a little bit nervous early on about, you know, Dak. Is it going to take him a few games? How healthy, you know, to get comfortable again after missing so much time last year after the injury is he going to be a little bit tentative he has not been you know taking a lot of snaps throwing the ball a lot we didn't see him out there in games um, in the preseason I don't really think very highly of their head coach with McCarthy I don't think this is a very good spot to have to start your year with an injured you know a quarterback coming back off the injury against a good defense and Dallas's offensive line is not very good this doesn't feel like a very good matchup for Dallas I don't think they're going to be a bad team this year and if if Dak is healthy, they they are absolutely going to be vying for a playoff spot, whether it be in their division or in in a wild card situation. Like they'll be in the 500 range, I think, if Dak's healthy. But I don't think they're quite going to be ready for this Tampa team that really got rolling last year. And you can just tell everything you hear about them. No, no real negative, weird stuff. Uh, feels like coach and quarterback have really got on the same page since last year, where they were. Too successful and very, I mean, you're successful. You have a big ego, right? Arians, Brady, both had had good success where they had been by before. So the other one's telling you, hey, let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. And you're saying, no, hey, something else worked for me before. So they figured it out. And uh, yeah, I, I just like at seven and a half to eight, the number I would prefer, you know, like Tampa could be up two scores there and Dallas could get you a garbage touchdown late and cover that game. So I really would need it to be around seven to six and a half to play Tampa. I'm not huge on like laying money for the alternative spreads like that or buying points. I, there's so much action, so many games out there. I'm always going to do the opposite. I'm looking to play underdogs and plus money. I don't ever like turning plus money situations or even money situations or minus 110s into minus 120s, 30s, or 50s. That's just a losing uh, proposition in the long run. You don't need to give away... You know, and especially in the NFL, the, the wagering is so sharp. The betters in the NFL are so, so sharp. 
that's those lines are tough to beat. You don't need to give away, like you know, you don't want to try to hurt yourself as far as taking bad uh, value propositions. So really excited for the NFL season. Make sure to give us a follow. Uh, it's me, Gino B, because you will get a lot of free content, free videos, all sorts of like video podcasts there too to to go ahead and uh, and, and compliment the stuff that we're going to be talking about right here. At it's me, Gino B. And we will get into the full slate of games on the next episode of That's What G Said. We'll deep dive every game and we'll preview every game for you. And that doesn't mean every game we're going to play. In fact, there are a lot of games that you'll just hear me or Eric or one of us say, yeah, this is kind of a stay away for me. I don't really have a strong opinion. Don't feel like it's week one. I got to play every single game here all the way through. Remember, there are so many different games throughout the season. So many different fantasy leagues you can play in. Daily fantasy leagues you can play in. All sorts of different ways you can get get some action. Don't try to uh, go crazy right off the bat. Let's get into some horse racing now. And we're going to talk a little bit about the past performances that I use over at DRF.com. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing forum, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. DRF.com for all your past performances when you're handicapping to get involved in those Stable Duel contests. StableDuel.com. You can check out the weekly schedule over at StableDuel.com. Make sure to download the app anywhere you can get your your, uh, apps on your phone, on your iPad, and 
doesn't cost you anything to download. All you do is pay for the entry fee that you want to get into each contest. Like on Tuesday, there's a $25 contest at Assiniboia Downs. There's a $100 contest at Penn National, a $50 game and a $250 game at Parks. And then at Thistledown, there's a $10 game. On Wednesday over at uh, Stable Duel and your Stable Duel apps, there's a Assiniboia Downs, Charlestown, Kentucky Downs. We're going to talk about the uh, Kentucky races for Wednesday right here in just a moment. Penn National, Parks, and Thistle Down. Get your entries in and play race win over at Stable Duel. Now, let's uh, start handicapping a little bit for Tuesday. Got a couple plays for you over at Indiana Grand. So get your past performances out there. Three plays for Indy Tuesday to take a look at. And we're going to flip to race number four. We've got a group of Indiana bred Phillies and Mares, $10,000 claimers. They're going to go a mile and 70 yards in here. I didn't think there's all that much speed, and I did think the nine get Lucky Justice, who's been sprinting in her last two, she's going to stretch back out. She is also going to to uh, get a situation where uh, she catches a weight break here. So I think the, the, the rider instructions are going to be pretty simple. Let's just send hard with this one, who has shown speed when she did go along. Her sprint races, she just wasn't as quick, and she wasn't really able to pass horses. So she may be one who just wants to be out on the front end or very close to it. Look at her races in May and in June when she showed more speed. Those were her two career best races. Those were going against Indiana bred maiden specials. So this is going to be a career low spot for her. And she stretches back out. She gets a little speed. She comes out of a race where the runner-up came back to win a maiden five claimer. So it's at least come back a productive race so far. And she's got action in, uh, in the bulk of her starts. This is a good spot. For the nine, get lucky justice in race number four at Indiana Grand on Tuesday. So we're talking uh, September the 7th as we move along to race number five. I'm looking at the four horse in here. This is a group of Indiana breads, a non-three allowance, $43,000 non-three allowance, five and a half furlongs the distance on the main track here. Uh, I'm looking at sudden shift and... I think we can make legitimate excuses for his last two performances. He took a shot on the grass last time out. It was his first try on the turf. It was in a really tough group. $100,000 stakes race. It was going long. Never tried the grass. You could see he was 38 to 1. And even two starts back against Stakes Company right here, he was only 5 to 1 in a race that has also come back live behind Hard Luck Justice. Prior to that, those are the races I'm looking at, the sprint races. Went fourth in a stakes behind Sky Judge, and before that, look at the April races. Beating Sky Judge, beating Fashion Nugget. Those races are very, very solid, and those would win this. Sudden Shift has the has some races in here that are good enough to beat this group, and he's going to be a little bit more fit, cutting back from a couple route races, but we know that he has some tactical speed, enough positional speed, even sprinting. Let's hope that that didn't get completely dulled going longer. And if you ask him for a little and you're aggressive with him, he should be able to have a little more stick here. Let's look at the number four, sudden shift. He's 8-1 to one on the morning line. If we get anything in the 5-1 to one range, that's a very fair price. We now flip to race number eight. Maiden, $16,000 claimer, 7.5 furlongs on the turf course there. The number 10, pertinacious tiz. So look at her overall form. She debuts against Maiden Specials. That group's a little bit too tough. She's on the dirt. Her first two starts on the dirt. She doesn't really run well at all. Um, Then she tries the grass on May the 24th against Maiden 30s. Still doesn't show much, but drops in against Maiden 16s. Really perks up. Nice bit up the inside. Steps back up again against Maiden 30s and then just misses the break 
and never really has a shot. The best career effort came against Maiden 16s going a mile on the turf course, which is almost exactly what we're doing here. Maiden 16s going 7.5 furlongs on the turf course. There are no monsters in this group. That race on June the 24th is as good of a race on the grass as almost anyone in this field has. In fact, it might be the best. And because she's got a little bit of hidden form and that's the only good race, you know, you do have some questions. If she's anything around 5-1, to one, that's a very fair price. I think with the outside draw, I'm not too worried about the post because of her running style. She's going to drop way back and make one late run. That's the number 10. Pertinacious Tiz. She's 10-1 to one on the morning line. Anything around 5-1 to one feels fair. So those three plays over at Indy on Tuesday in the fourth. The number nine, get lucky. Justice, a six to one morning line. We'd need around seven to two. In the fifth, the number four, sudden shift. Eight to one on the morning line. We'd need anything around five to one. And in the eighth, the number 10, pertinacious tiz. Ten to one on the morning line. We need something around five to one or so there. That is Tuesday over at Indy. Let's get to Wednesday at Kentucky Downs. So we're looking at September the 8th. Get those past performances out. And we will flip to race number five. Uh, I'm going to look at the number 10, El Kabong, who was 8-1 on the morning line. And he had some legitimate trouble last time out where he took a shot against Stakes Company at Arlington Park off of really good form prior to that. Like, everything in his form makes sense. Debut, not bad. Comes back and improves in career start number two. Improves in career start number three. Puts it all together in career start number four for the win. Steps up, doesn't even run poorly with the trouble, runs on late, kind of against the race shape there though. Should be a really nice spot for El Kabong. If he's anything in the 5-1 to one range, worthy of a win wager. These are really competitive races at Kentucky Downs, so you're going to get a lot of races where you have 7-2, to 4-1 to one lukewarm favorites and a, a bunch of horses in that vicinity. El Kabong in the 5th. We move to the 7th. If she's anything over 3-1, to one, this feels just like a great spot for Empress Eleanor. Based on the race shape, there are some others in here who are kind of pressers. And, she, you know, you have some question marks maybe about a few. She just seems like the most consistent. You know what you're going to get from her. She's going to come running and she's going to be really tough to hold off. And Empress Eleanor, I just don't want to take too short of a price because she's not tactical she does need a little bit of help on the front end in here and so though even when it looks like on paper you think you might get it sometimes you just don't we need her to be at least three to one or so make sure to use the number four empress eleanor in all your exotics and uh, we'll play her if she's in that range we get to the eighth race and when you this is a couple couple stakes races here these are four hundred thousand dollar stakes races uh, sponsored by tvg the south bend uh, the number seven south bend in the eighth race so his grass form, it doesn't look like he's as good on the turf because he's 0 for 7. He's just run into some pretty tough groups. Last time out, Flavius was on the front end cruising. There was no pace being made up at all. And that race has already come back live with Tell Your Daddy and Value Proposition. Running well out of there. You see Mighty Heart, Sprawl, he was behind Maxfield, Gufo, Smooth Like Straight, multiple times behind Gufo. He has kept some top-notch company. And there's no secret about what he's going to do. He's going to take back. He's going to make one late run. But with horses like 40 Under, Tuts of Revenge in here, Brown Storm in here, the pace should be at least honest. So we're looking at the number seven, South Bend, with one of the absolute best finishers. In my opinion, the just the best rider. If I needed somebody 
in a one-race situation on one horse, I'm taking Joel Rosario. I think he is the absolute best when it comes to you know big days, big horses, big moments. And you kind of know horses that he fits well, and he should come storming home with this one. In fact, he was aboard uh, last time out, but he was aboard four starts back for the last time South Bend won when he came from about five lengths off in a field of six, a field of seven. He was six, six of seven. So South Bend, anything in the uh, you know five to one range is what I said. I didn't want anything lower than nine to two. He's eight to one in the ninth at Kentucky Downs on Wednesday. The trip that Bob and Jackie got last time out, oh, really it was really frustrating because he broke on top in a race where there was zero speed. It was a small field, and I was shocked that he went off at nine to two because on paper he's just the no doubt the 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 one to beat and the one to catch. So he breaks right on top. He gets a length lead, but he's cruising on the front end and he just gets caught sleeping. A horse named North County Guy was asked for a big early move from the back. He went from the back all the way up to the front. He got in front of Bob and Jackie, and then that ended up shuffling Bob and Jackie back a little bit, and that was the difference between winning and losing. Bob and Jackie got shuffled back a couple lengths, had to angle around and come come back again and finish second that day. So that's it's frustrating because when you have a speed horse like that on the lead and they get the lead, what you got to do is make sure you sustain it. You got what you wanted. You got the you got the lead out there. I'm not a fan of slowing things down. You let your horse run. Now you don't ask your horse for gun speed, but you let them cruise. Don't grab a hold. Don't try to get them to walk. And when you do that, you're ripe for a middle move or someone feeling that the tempo isn't quick and saying, uh-uh, I'm going to press the button. And that's what happened. Bob and Jackie got caught in a blind switch there, got caught right in the jackpot. We're hoping for a better trip today. Johnny V's jumping aboard. I did think the six Necker Island was a little bit interesting because he he tried the turf for the first time. This is a horse who they've always had really high expectations and hopes for. He's run against some really nice horses. And they, I wouldn't say he's been disappointing, but, you know, probably wanted a little bit more from him. Tried turf last time out. It wasn't a bad effort. It was over at Ellis Park. It was his first start on the grass. He has every right to move forward off of that. But he will need to. This is a tough group. And that is Kentucky Downs for Wednesday in the fifth race, let's take a look at the number 10, El Cabong, 8-1 to one on the morning line. Anything around 5. In the seventh race, the number 4, Empress Eleanor. Shout out to uh, my Chihuahua, Eleanor. 3-1 to one is where uh, we would we'd want the, uh, the the line to be drawn there. South Bend, anything in the 8-1? to one, You know, he's 8-1, to one, and I had the line at 5. And then Bob and Jackie, we would need at least 4-1 to one, uh, to play Bob and Jackie. 7-2 to two is about as far as we'd go. Uh, six to one on the morning line. So that's Kentucky Downs for Wednesday. As we move along to Canterbury for Wednesday, cool card at, at Canterbury on Wednesday. They have some stakes races there that we're gonna jump into. Races five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All stakes races for Canterbury on Wednesday. Before we get into those, did you know about our friends over at sarahcandles.com C-E-R-A candles.com all natural soy wax candles free from toxins, free from carcinogens free from pollutants check out sarahcandles.com and use the promo code G-I-N-O it'll get you 10% off your purchase Canterbury Wednesday we are looking at September the 8th so get the PPs out we are going up to race number 5 we've got the Northern Lights debutante and there seems like there's a good amount of speed in here. Because She's My Warrior draws the inside, I think she's going to have to send down there. Yeah, Amaretto Diamore is going to push the pace. Uh, Honey Bella's going. And who knows with the first-time starter. Feels to me like Start Singing is going to get a great, great trip. 
She was four wide, sitting in the second flight, a couple lengths off in her debut. And she was just kept in the clear. They handled her like a horse that they really were confident in. She just swooped the field. She won really easy. And she could get a very similar trip in here. The number six, start singing. Monday, Monday. It's on. <laughs> As we, uh, yeah, five to two. We don't want to take shorter than that on on start singing. Moving along into the Princess Elaine Minnesota Distaff Turf Championship. That's race number six. I thought the eight here, first mate, should, you know, there should be three or four horses in here who all flash a little bit of speed. Ready to run away is quick. Scent of success is very quick. Rush hour traffic is very quick. They're all going to go. And then there are combinations of other horses who could be, you know, not too far out of it. Molly's Angel isn't slow. Wouldn't be shocking to see a couple horses in the middle of the pack uh, for, you know, for the place like Raging Gold Digger. That leads me to first mate, whose turf form is very, very good. He was beaten just a half length last time out behind a nice one named Lady Hideaway. We're going to see in a second. He's just projecting the way this trip should be. She should get a great one here. She likes Canterbury. Plenty of speed to set it up for first mate to sit just off. And anything in the three to one range feels very fair on the number eight first mate. We move to the seventh race, Canterbury, the Blair's Cove. But the number four, Tuco Bay, who gets back to the turf, was only... Uh, just behind Devil's Vision two starts back and overall his turf form is very very good so I think the return to the grass will help him you see he was behind Cinco Star in a race that was taken off the grass in a race that was taken off the turf but Tuco Bay is better on the turf than he is on the main so Tuco Bay returning to the grass and we are just uh, hoping it's going to be a big night for Lindy Wade Tuco Bay who uh, Tuco Bay who's 6-1 to one on the morning line we need around 7-2 to two or so as we move to the Northern Lights Futurity, six furlongs on the main for two-year-olds. I thought the six, Ben's Malice. He debuts behind Love the Nest when Love the Nest crushes, and that's on August the 4th. Now, keep in mind, that was Ben's debut, and Love the Nest already had a race of experience under his belt. And Ben comes back in his second start. He beats Open Company. He does it going long on the turf, but we know he can run fine on the dirt because he did so in his debut. We know he can pass horses and now go a little bit longer. And drawn to his inside love is Love the Nest, who is speed. St. Charles has some speed. Dr. Oscar has some speed. Xavier Dave has some speed. Overseas Letter has some speed and draws the rail. Happy Hour Bobby has some speed. I like young horses that are proven passers, that can sit off, that can show you they can pass horses. And Ben's Malice should get a really, really nice trip in here. The number six, Ben's Malice, if he's anything around five to one or so, I think that's fair. Lots of speed in here to set it up for him. We move to the ninth race, the Croc Rock Minnesota Sprint Championship, six furlongs on the main track, and the Alligator Hunter just is in incredible form right now. And he's got some class to him too when you go all the way back to those races at Tampa against Open Company where uh, he kept really, really good competition. He kept, you know, he had a good account of himself with good competition. The Alligator Hunter adds the blinks, and he can sit off a little bit on the cutback. He's cutting back from a mile, but at six furlongs, he's proven, and he showed that he can be he can come from off the pace a little bit. And that should be exactly where you want to be in here with Mr. Jägermeister, so you know they're going to be going quick. You've got Astronaut Oscar from the inside. It's going to force him even more, and you got Drop of Golden Sun to the outside, who's also got some speed. I'm hoping the Alligator Hunter is going to sit third, fourth behind them, and just gets a great trip. Maybe a sort of late exotic single. If he's 5-2, to two, could be worthy of a win wager. The last two stakes races could be a little bit chalky. 
in the 10th, I prefer the number four star of the North, who I became a fan of watching her races down at Sam Houston. She's really quick. She's really honest. She was second last time out behind another very nice horse, Molly's Angel, who we saw earlier, who's also quick. And that was going longer. And now she cuts back a little bit. She's drawn to the outside with her speed. So if she needs to sit a little bit, she could do so. But she feels like she's quicker than the other three in here, maybe even on the cutback. And she gets a length on this field. She's going to be really tough to run down. Star of the North, the number four in race number 10. So that's Canterbury for Wednesday. A really fun stakes card for those Minnesota breads where you see some of the best Minnesota breads out there. In the fifth race, start singing the number six. We need around five to two. In the sixth, first mate, we need around three to one. In the seventh, Tuco Bay, we need around seven to two. In the eighth, Ben's Malice, we need at least five to one. In the ninth, the Alligator Hunter, we'd want around five to two or maybe just an exotic single. And in the tenth, the number four, Star of the North, nine to five on the morning line. And more like a, a late exotic single there. So that is Canterbury for Wednesday. And we got your Tuesday, Wednesday action. We'll have uh, m- much more racing for you on the next episode of That's What G Said. We'll go through uh, some of the big stakes races coming up for the weekend. This weekend will be some Kentucky Downs, and we'll look around. We'll see where else we're going to uh, dive into this weekend for some horse racing plays. We're now going to get into our What If Episode 4 full recap and review. But I did want to mention uh, something that's some very sad news uh, before we get into sort of the entertainment uh part of the podcast, Michael K. Williams. Many of you probably know the actor from The Wire, who was Omar. He just uh, passed away. And he was found in a hotel room. I don't want to really get into the details yet because it was it just came out and some of these things take a while, but really sad. I'm sure uh, many of you know who I'm talking about. If you've seen The Wire, you know the character Omar. He is also in a, another TV show right now. He's actually got a, a nominated for an Emmy. He's a fantastic actor, and The Wire is just an incredible show. One of my personal favorite shows all time and is always discussed with the greatest shows of all time and it's put on list of the best TV shows ever and he was one of the standout characters and actors in that show. Everything I've ever seen him in, he always seemed to kind of steal the moment and he just was a master of his craft. Uh, Very sad news for Michael K. Williams. We are now going to get into what if episode four. It's always so tough to transition from you know talking something sad in real world to hey here's gonna here's gonna be our recap and review of this Marvel animated uh, TV series. So just sad news uh, about Michael K. Williams as uh, we move along into what if episode four. We're gonna give you that full recap, the review, the deep dive with Tim Kelly. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! We talk about everything, big picture. We discuss, you know, some things that have happened in the first three episodes of What If as well. And this one is a a lengthy one as we both really enjoyed episode four of What If. It it seems like this was the favorite for both of us so far. And if you're Marvel MCU fans, we are discussing, I still have not seen it quite yet, but I will in the next few days, we will be having a a Shang-Chi recap and review for you coming up soon. But for now, we will continue with What If, and we jump into Episode 4 with Tim Kelly. Episode 4 of What If, titled What If Doctor Strange Lost His Heart Instead of His Hands. In my personal opinion, 
was the best episode yet. I really enjoyed this, and I just love the chances that Marvel is taking with this show on Disney+. Plus. Spoiler alert, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Tim Kelly's going to join me as he does for every Marvel TV show, every movie that is out now, and we've got recaps. Heck, I was going through the other day. We've got recaps of every episode of WandaVision, every episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, every episode of Loki, Black Widow the movie, and now episodes one through three of What If, and my personal favorite, episode four, Tim, just the... The the darkness of this I felt it I was emotionally yeah. invested in this At the end I was like oh man Every time he kept bringing Christine back it's just oh what is he Doing again and you You know you really feel that like That choice versus Destiny and a lot of great Themes in this episode As you know Doctor Strange isn't the most popular and his pro- his standalone movie is probably not one that people would have in their top few but it, it feels like mm-hmm. he's going to be a very important character in the MCU now moving forward in this new phase in this new era that we're in. Oh yeah, Doctor Strange seems uh integral the way he's positioned right now. He's so prominent in the new Spider-Man trailer. Uh, and uh, this episode, you hit the nail on the head when you said uh, emotionally invested by the end of it. That's why this was the strongest episode to me. I mean, it had a lot of, of like really strong elements from the art direction, which I think was the best yet, uh, to the music. The score in this was phenomenal. Uh, but just the way the story all came together, I personally, and I can tell from, from what you said, uh, was attached to it. Like we we got we a uh, visceral physical emotional reaction to it and that's what i'm looking for in, in any good uh movie tv you know whatever any art i want to feel something and i felt a, an absence of that i think maybe in the first episode that's what i was yes. you know trying to 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 articulate in these mm-hmm. past podcasts yes. when i you, compare them it's like a and, fun you know you're just kind of like you said you, it's fun you're mm-hmm. watching and it, it's not like a waste of your time or anything but you're just not Feeling it, and then episode two, we feel it a little bit, especially because of the presence of the the Chad, you know, Chadwick Boseman in that episode. Sure. And then in episode three, things change and they raise the stakes a little bit more when they're actually killing these major characters that have been like, yeah. you know, throughout movies and years of this MCU journey. And then it's like, oh, boom, they're dead. You know, and then this one, this was actually the first episode two that ended without. Some sort of like a positive Yeah Cliffhanger like They've all had like cliffhangers But they've all been mainly Even if you know things haven't been wrapped up There was a positive feel Sort of you know at, at the end of it This was not Right I mean episode one You know again to go back to that It was a kind of a bittersweet ending But it was it mirrored you know The Captain America story mm-hmm. We kind of know how that goes That's an overall positive story This I mean this was the first episode I stayed up uh, to watch, you know, right at at midnight, maybe not the best decision, honestly, oh, because it scary. ended so dour. It was so yeah. dour and 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 like you said, melancholy. Uh, and it was a tragic ending. Uh, they did not pull any punches. They did not take any easy way out. They really delivered on a tragic, dark story here, and it, I think it was really well executed from end to end. What uh, what also helps this this particular episode, and what I think. Shows that in a lot of the things I was reading and and about this series and um, just 
some some of the interviews and stuff I've heard because I'm I'm like you a lot in that I don't ever want any spoiler on anything mm-hmm. and sometimes I I'll even tread around reading like watching things that may even come close to having a spoiler if they don't yeah. because I just so much ra- would rather. Enjoy it without that you know like I I even stay off Twitter when I'm like when there's like wrestling Going on that I don't want to hear a, right. a result On just because I don't want to see what happened you know So I, I get that completely But from what I've read and it They all seemed very excited about This particular episode about What mm-hmm. this was going to kind of do Moving forward and how important This episode was and uh, One like little You know kind of tip of the hand Every major character voiced their character in this episode. Right. There were yeah. there were no like vo- sound alike other voices because I yeah think we had Rachel McAdams, we had mm-hmm. Benedict uh, uh, Cumberbatch, five. voice of the ancient one, everybody, a- everyone, and so I think that really kind of shows you that this is going to. Oh, sorry, I got, I cut yeah, out no, for a sec. No problem, oh, no problem. Yeah. Um, I I think it shows you. That this is going to really impact, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming up, Spider Man, all of these things. So these these characters, and I think in this particular episode, I really got the feel that, you know, a lot of people are asking what version of Doctor Strange shows up in Spider Man, this and that. Now with all these variants and stuff opened up, we really could see things that happen in this episode and and how they impact the movies that we're going to be seeing coming up. Yeah, and that's I think what we were hoping for, right? Like that 100%. interconnectivity. That's the, you know the the big appeal of the MCU in general. I think is just that it's this living, breathing universe, and it all there's it there's consequences, there's effects, there's you know a rippling that happens, uh, and that that makes it feel more alive, and it makes it feel just uh, more real. The more depth of detail there is to the universe, and the more consistency there is, the more we can kind of invest in it. And so I'm all over that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think I'm also seeing with the watcher stuff in this episode, it kind of coalescing into, you know, a, a narrative that could absolutely bleed, uh, into the main MCU. And there's definitely, or at least it seems that way. It, it seems very likely that the, uh, that the Spider-Man especially is going to connect to this stuff. I mean, yes. obviously with the Dr. Strange connection, we all know he's in the movie very prominently, but it seems almost that there's. They're at least teeing up thematically what's going to happen in the MCU with this. We, you know, we deal, like I said, with some really heavy topics that, I mean, just saving Christine or destroying the world. You know, if we save the woman we love, the person we love, we destroy the world. And that's such a, like I said, that's such a heavy thing to weigh on any person. And that's why I think this episode and just kind of the, the Doctor Strange saga, whereas he may not be the most popular, and a lot of, and maybe some of that even is because like his character is such like a cocky, snossage character, you know, like he's just such yeah. a, like, that's who he is. He's so conceited and he's just a smart, one of the smartest guys out there, period. <laughs> so of course he's going to be like, you know, he's not just the, the one guy that you necessarily just want to shoot it with and have a beer, but he, you really you feel something that any person big small old young uh, can relate to the the losing someone that you love what that could feel like and you know what would you do to bring that person back that's that's something that a yeah. lot of us have, have dealt with even so even more than 
a lost, you know, significant other, a mother, a father, a mm-hmm. brother, a sister, a friend, someone who went far too long. Like this is a topic that everyone, rich, poor, kind yeah. of understands this feeling. It's universal. Absolutely. Grief and dealing with grief that is uh the universal, I guess, tragedy and reality of, you know, being a being a human being, being a life form, you know, having a, a life. We're going to have to deal with that at some point. We're all mortal. Uh, and that circles back to WandaVision and the themes of that show, which was very much about grief and dealing with that. And what would you the do stages. to bring someone back? We And we Not literally even, see him yeah. go through the stages of grief all oh, the way yeah. into the acceptance when he realizes, right. like, I can't fix it when he finally sort of agree like talks to the ancient one and agrees okay you know this is what i have to do to try to figure things out and fix it and unfortunately he can't he can't fix it once he's split but uh then it's all about time it's all about time you know like he he doesn't have time uh to fix it anymore it's too late for that and again what what they are able to do so well in this world and like in star wars too and even in something like lord of the rings where You've got these ideas. I mean, this this was a weird, in a good way, crazy episode. I mean, this is a lot right out of the comics. This dude is absorbing all of these different, insane-looking beings. We got like a raven and a dragon and a bat, and he's yeah. he's like got these limbs growing out of him afterwards. And we're watching this woman just get killed like repeatedly over and over and over. Stuff is just. Yeah. Like this is like a, a really int- like out there stuff, but it's so grounded at the same time. Right. In in like in, it's one thing that they always do well is like we're literally the guardians of the galaxy in like a space fight. You know, we're out here like in things that are we're suspending our disbelief so much, yet right. we we can relate because you know these people still are dealing with. Sexism and racism and loss and um you know uh you know how you feel about you know being in a relationship with someone not having a a fam- like a mom or a dad or a family like all these these it's so great how they can hit on that topic while also ta- we're talking about traveling through multiverses and universes and yeah. branch timelines at the same time it's such a it's so difficult to do both yet they continue to be able to straddle that line. Yeah, and that's what Marvel's kind of been known for for a long time is bringing the real universal human elements, uh, grounded uh, emotional stuff uh, to superheroes and these larger-than-life characters um, and stories. Uh, but uh, this right here, it's um, it's it's it, it's universal in a, in a sense that there are that everyone uh goes through grief right and everyone yep. uh goes through the, these things and uh spider-man a great example of it you know he's like this grounded hero he's founded by his grief this loss of his uh his uncle ben and everything but look at his lifestyle it's dealing with uh the sinister six it's over the top stuff uh and you're right this was like a very heady high concept episode with some beautifully like intricate uh, characters and designs and all these moments that really just stand out in a very huge, larger-than-life way. But at the end of the day, it's grounded with that human, you know, universal sense of of loss and grief, and that's something that everyone can relate to. We we are going to be talking about a weird, evil version of Groundhog Day. You know, like I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm totally thinking Groundhog right. Day and how many movies or shows or whatever have taken the 
episode of Groundhog Day or the Groundhog Day approach with them. There, what's the 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 recent one that they've done a pretty good job with that I thought was funny it was the, like the horror one with the uh, um was it my Freaky, I, I, Freaky Friday Freaky Friday was yeah Freaky, Freaky Friday is good and and then like yeah, yeah and, and then uh this uh, I'll, I'll find the name to the other to another one but yeah there were there are some good takes Palm on Springs this. Palm Springs Palm Springs yep. with uh yes. there, really good a, one oh that's a great one yeah it's on Hulu you could check that out. So the Netflix series too, uh, with Natasha Lyonne was actually really good. I'm I'm blanking yeah. on the name to that one. But also Here, while, while you're mentioning uh, that, uh, I thought Final Destination too. This was also uh, it was like a mashup of Groundhog Day and Final Destination. Which is which is funny, random tangent. Like I've always had I've had like weird dreams since I was when I when I got sick that I felt like I was like supposed to die then, and that like sometimes when weird things happen to me, I'm just like, oh no, they're still chasing me. Like that was supposed to, that was supposed <laughs> to be my time to go. And everyone sometimes I'd be like, you're sick, man. Why do you think? What do you say? You know, I'm just. <laughs> Especially when it's like I'm a, I'm such a gambler, you know. After a few days, I'm like, uh oh, I'm I'm going bad right now, you know. This is, this is supposed <laughs> to be my time, so uh, the, the, getting a, a little uh, a little Devin Sawa there. Um, this, you know, I'm I'm I told you too. I'm like right in the middle of Lost, um, or towards the end of Lost now, where they're really getting into the time travel stuff, you know, um, mm. which isn't even like a concept in the first couple of seasons. You don't even really realize that you know that part of it um so yeah uh, this is this has been by i think by far my favorite episode now i do want to mention their one gripe um that i read and i completely understand this critique from some people although i didn't i didn't get the feel of it as much until i saw it pointed out in a couple different places and i can understand it but to me why it didn't why i think the person suffering as much was Doctor Strange in this is what they call the woman in the fridge trope, um, and this is mm. something that happens in comics a lot, or it used to happen a lot in older movies and TV shows, where it's basically a woman's intense suffering is used to kickstart or progress the male protagonist storyline. So you know, where like yeah. a female is basically just used as a pawn, and she struggles or she has to deal with this. But the reason why. I didn't get that sense here is because we kind of mm-hmm. find out that this is an and what they call an absolute point. It says it's like something that is like a struggle. She's going to die regard right. no matter what. She she can't escape it. There's no getting around it. Whatever happens, even if Doctor Strange like we see in in one of the, you know, uh versions, he doesn't even show up and she still dies. Even if he blow when he blows her off and stands right. her up. Uh, he goes to the bar and she still gets in a fire and, and ends up. So I, I heard that. I think I heard it on uh, was uh, with the, the ringer um, one in Mallory Rubin, who's really good. And she kind of mentioned it a little bit, but she sort of said overall, it it didn't end up making her not like the episode. It's just it, it, it does kind of I think it's seven times or eight times he goes through that. And you just you just yeah. keep seeing this poor girl dying over and over. And it, right. you. You kind of like you hate him for a little bit. You're like, dude, stop! Like, stop doing right. this to her, man. You know, like. Uh, but I think that kind of makes you feel, in a weird way, it it makes you feel this episode more because you're like, mm-hmm. right off the bat, you're you're just, dude. Oh my gosh, again? Oh no, again? Another? Oh no, again? Like, oh, so yeah. I, and he's not I he's not a tragic that, like, hero. No, I mean he's not—he's not a hero. He's—he's he's, he's a tragic figure in, in this story. 
So it's not like the, the writers are. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. So he's being deranged. Like they even say at one point that he's going on a deranged uh, journey here. So they're not endorsing the, uh, the you know, his his behavior there uh, of, of you know, the cre- creating a, a woman suffering. They're not I don't know how much I or anything like that. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent agree. Yeah. I don't and I don't love to give too much credence to those, you know, criticism where people just like to slap on. Oh, this is a trope of that. I think sometimes people like to reduce things down to those points in a way that feels um, maybe a little inauthentic or, or, or lacking the big picture or lacking. Very much agree. You know, the nuance of, I just, of, I didn't of feel a story. That. It was only something right. I saw after in a few different places. And it, I didn't get that feeling. And I think you hit the head, the net, the nail right on the head. It he he isn't propped up by it at all. Right. In fact. You feel like he's struggle even even more than her because you kind of like this is her fate. Her fate is this is her time to go. Everybody's got a time to go. This was her time to go. Whereas he can't. He goes crazy dealing with it. Like when he brings her back, she doesn't even want to be there. She's like, "What the hell's going on?" She'd rather have right. just been like, "What's happening? I'm scared. What's this? Who are you?" You know, it's um. So uh, yeah, that was something I wanted to touch because I just didn't. Yeah, I I really really like this episode. I got very much yeah. into it, and like I said, it was one of those things where you know, you if you're not Doctor Strange isn't your favorite character, then maybe you're you're going okay. I'm not sure if a Doctor Strange episode is going to be the one that you know I'm going to be the most invested in. Definitely was for me, and uh, look forward to getting into our deep dive here as uh, we will go scene by scene through what if. Episode 4, what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? We get the same intro from The Watcher, and he says, What if we have watched how one moment, one choice can ripple across time, across space and time, giving birth to new stories, heroes, and whole universes? But what if it's the wrong choice? What if the best of intentions has very strange consequences? We see Doctor Strange pulling up to take Christine out. And this is the the night where he's going to be giving his big speech. So they get in the car and they're talking. She asks him, you know, what his speech is going to be. And he he says, okay, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, fellow doctor. She's already ripping on him and interrupts him. No, I'm asleep. Come on. And she said, I think you should just rush the podium like a contestant on The Price is Right. So they're just having their fun little banter as they're they're on the way, uh, on the drive. And of course, he doesn't know what the Price is Right is because he doesn't watch TV. No, he's you know he's too busy studying yeah. this uh, s- smart fellow. Um, she says you performed a radical hemispher- uh, hemispherectomy. Now this is a real procedure, and mm-hmm. what's interesting about this is I I believe it's a procedure where half or part of a brain is either removed yeah. or separated. This is a really really Heavy, serious procedure. It's obviously not even attempted very often, and it only would be attempted by a surgeon or someone very, very renowned and and capable, like a Doctor Strange. And it's sort of Tim, like a kind of a cool metaphor for what ends up happening to him in this episode, as he literally gets kind of split into two. Oh, that's a great metaphor that that I didn't catch that actually the first time around uh, until you just said it right there. But yeah, absolutely. It's all about uh, splitting of the personalities down the line. And that was a great twist actually that I never saw coming. I love when the the story got to that point. Uh, But it's also a great um, 
like narrative tool at this point to just remind us of this brilliant guy, a radical hemispherectomy. I mean, it's literally brain surgery. That's what the thing that we use. We say like brain surgery and rocket science are, are like go to yep. uh, coll- colloquialisms for, for like really smart people. <laughs> so there it is. So as they're driving, they pull up right behind uh, this big truck that's starting to really slow them down. And of course, you know, the fancy Lambo, right? The Lamborghini, I think. Um, you know, he's driving around fast. And so he tries to pull around this truck into oncoming traffic. So he's in the opposing lane, just a two lane little highway. And there's a car coming right at him. So he has to end up like taking back and then swerving right back behind the truck. It's a, it's a moment that looks like they're going to get hit, but he doesn't. And then, so they, they're right back behind the truck again, but then a, a car right behind them. Comes and nails them And we get the exact same I thought this was really cool Like frame for frame scene Of the way the car flipped All the way down through the fence Into the water Everything like frame by frame All the way through seeing this scene um, That we saw in uh, in Doctor in, in Doctor Strange And the difference is This time Christine dies And so Doctor Strange doesn't end up Losing the ability of his hands and having to, you know, work on and get through that sort of um, handicap, he instead loses the love of his life, who he is already romantically involved with at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a radical difference there. I mean, losing your hands is more of like a selfish uh, form of grief, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean. Not not judging. Obviously, you would feel grief if you lost it, but it's it's your your own thing. So it's his own thing. Losing a loved one is something almost like more empath- empathetic. Uh, with, for, you know, somebody going through that type of grief. When you see somebody loving somebody, uh, you know, as an audience member, you you I you identify with them even a little bit more and empathize with them even a little bit more. So I think that almost primed us. Just the 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 setup here it primes us to kind of follow him on a dark journey. And kind of give him a little bit of almost uh, an excuse in our minds. Like we, we can kind of understand it. If he had just mm-hmm. lost his hands and he went dark, we'd immediately think of him as a, a, like a villain. But because he's got this, you know, grief, it makes him like this tragic hero. Yeah, uh, you can you can mm-hmm. you can understand it a little bit more. Right. Yeah, because relate to it. Yeah, exactly. Very, very relatable. And, and then even in like a very basic sense, what we're going to find out shortly is that because he doesn't l- lose his hands once he starts studying and training he's actually able to pick up on things a lot quicker and he he becomes a little bit more powerful because you know we think about some of the the montages where he was trying to train and learn spells and stuff in in the movie in the live action and he's not able yeah. to do so his hands are shaky and he, none of that right. here he's able to just quickly like Pick up on a lot of things and you You see how much more powerful He's able to become th- This version uh, of Doctor Strange As uh, it's exponential It's exponential so like the more powerful he gets The easier it is to get more power, more power. And it's oh, just it's a great it, point Eventually he reaches like a singularity point You know uh, uh, You know at the end but crazy stuff So we see him at Christine's funeral Looks like it's I think her family Kind of behind him at the funeral And the watcher Says in this universe, Stephen Strange didn't lose his hands, but his heart. Grief-stricken, Strange sought answers across the world and in the mystic arts. And we see Doctor Strange 
starting to learn, reading through books. He says, the Eye of Agamotto, cradle of the temporal singularity discovered by Cagliostro, manipulation and alteration of timelines. And he's starting to learn about time travel. And Wong walks in and and warns him, tinkering with time can weaken the very fabric of the universe. And the ancient one who's there lets him know that we protect reality. We don't threaten it. And when the threat came and the Ancient One was lost, Stephen Strange stood st- stood tall. The man of science became the Sorcerer Supreme. So we see, just kind of quickly expedited, the uh, Ancient One passing away right here. But they've they've warned him. He's still, in, at this point, not straight off quite yet onto this crazy path. It's it's still the it takes the anniversary. Of her death I believe it's the what the two year anniversary Of her death where He it's like anything right Anniversaries dates memories You go somewhere you do something With someone that you were with that you you Lost whether you they broke up With them or whether they did actually Pass away and they're not there anymore You get those memories you hear a song You know something like that and it brings it back And then boom Right there, you're thinking about calling or te- whatever it is. This is kind of what he's going through at this moment when he's sitting there, kind of having a drink. And Wong even kind of jokes and says, uh, "Oh, I see, we switched to the cheap stuff." As he's uh, sitting yeah. there getting nice and liquored up. Yeah, it's, it's a low point for him. Maybe his uh, rock bottom, or at least this like turning point. Uh, very much so in the story, because as we learn later, that's the point at which the ancient one kind of splits him. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, I, Kind of hard to that that part even um, we'll get to that I guess a little later but that was very heady stuff I had to watch it a couple times to kind of really understand what what had happened there mm-hmm. but interesting that they brought him back right to that point it's a significant thing it's the anniversary like you said he's reminiscing about the 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 love that he lost there's even a little flashback scene where we see them together a few years back and mm-hmm. t- joking about you know t-shirts and, and and little inside jokes that any couple would have. As uh, you know, Wong comes over to talk with him. He mentions two years uh, anniversary of Christine's death, and he uh, he says, "I suggest he Wong again, you know, warning him and just always looking out for him. I suggest you join me before you do something reckless." And as Doctor Strange kind of sits there, he thinks for a moment, and <laughs> like like this Doctor Strange generally does when he gets warned, he kind of like. Uh, <laughs> He said, I accept your challenge. <laughs> you know, like he does it, yeah. it a lot. A lot of them do. This is definitely like a, something that Tony Stark would have done too. You can't do that. Watch me do it. You know, or right. don't do that. You know, uh, I'm gonna. And so he takes himself right back to the moment that night, two years ago, the the night of Christine's death, and he wants to relive that scene. He wants to try to change it. He wants to try to save her. Something that he probably wouldn't have really maybe got to unless he had a few drinks, unless it was that anniversary, unless right. it was kind of a perfect storm of of things coming together at the same time. The ancient one's not around anymore there to also mm-hmm. kind of be the other one with Wong to talk him down off the ledge when he's you know thinking about going rogue and and and, and going off. And so he, you know, we see him again. This is where Groundhog Day starts. It's hey, yeah. take two here, and he, he wants to try again. He picks her up. Um, in I the love car. this shot. I got to yeah. point out, I love that shot with her coming, sort of like dissolving out of the 
the bouquet lights behind her and that they keep going back to that. It's just this beautiful, you know, dreamy kind of shot. And there's so much great imagery in this one. I mean, I couldn't pick one like bad frame of this high concept, trippy, uh, out there visuals. Uh, and the art direction was so on point in this episode. And and this, think, this shot stands out to me. I think with, I don't think it's a coincidence that this show is one that isn't that that is animated because with a lot of these big out there concepts it's so much easier for them to introduce things this way through animation versus in a live action setting you know with these monsters and these animals and these crazy things that may be difficult to do in the live setting until you've sort of introduced them and then boom they were able to just give us a ton of different visuals that we're going to start to see um, yeah. you know, you know, throughout the, the rest of this episode as we get, you know, the same scene that we just saw before um, she gets in the car, you know, he for a moment, you know, he looks at her again and it's how you would when she walks out, it's how you would look at someone that you never thought you were going to see again. Mm. You know, and it, it's that moment when, you know, we see in in. In movies or shows like this where there's You know time travel or where there's you know the Groundhog day kind of effect where The guy will look at the girl And he'll be like looking at her so much With those loving eyes and she'll say How come you look at me like we didn't just see each other You know and it's you know Because she doesn't realize that he hasn't seen her In two years but we all know it's 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 that that look that Oh wow and she even Says is something wrong but then he kind of You know he perks back up uh, I think I might have just had a mild cardiac event and she laughs. So like this, what I liked about this, um, this second take was mm-hmm. he, he was being real smooth, you know, yeah. with, with, <laughs> he was, he was literally finishing her thoughts before she could even get him out of her head, you know, because yeah. he had charm. Already, it was just great. It was like, this is um, Mel Gibson and what women want. Right, like he's <laughs> he's already been inside of her head. He knows what she's thinking and what she's gonna say, and he says it before she does. Then they're in the same scene in the car driving. She asks him, "Okay, I know you prepared an acceptance speech. I want to hear it." He says, "No, I'm gonna wing it. I'm gonna run up on the podium like a game show contestant. Cheers, screams, <laughs> high fives, it, like exactly." <laughs> What she said and she starts laughing Seriously are you teasing me No you said it now you have to do it It just was like oh Just after seeing Her die him sitting At the funeral and then him sitting There with the the whiskey sad Drinking just Just this moment of Them two smiling together Kind of sharing this I definitely felt it too it was like Oh man like they're he's getting You know they're having this moment and you for a second you kind of forget What's about to happen next as they're About to just get yeah. slammed from the back again Yeah we don't know Necessarily that it's inevitable at that point We don't know that this the universe Has like a final destination type rule So you know we're kind of hopeful and he's getting It right uh, they show that In a number of ways obviously with all his charm He's landing on thick he's saying all the right Things he's, he's, um, he's She's in love with him At this point but the, I love that He goes to Make the same bad decision he did last time. He he puts that turn signal on to pass. He still has that in him, but mm-hmm. he 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 doesn't do it this time. And the moment when that car comes and hits is so impactful. Or at least for me, I, I felt it on the rewatch. It they just set it up 
to make it so unexpected the timing of it it's it's brutal and it it just it's a gut punch when it's delivered and it it happens a few times that way you know in this montage it, it gets quicker and quicker with the cutting that that comes up i love the montages uh in this there's a few throughout uh and they're all just excellently done very well edited and just contain just tons and tons of great imagery and like stuff to feast on and just these little quick snippets uh but uh man this was a moment that that really hit me yeah he, he you know he's thinking about it and you say he puts the blinker on and they're talking and she she even asks him have you ever even seen a game show and he says there's right. a first time for everything and she says what you're being i don't know you're you're being delightful i must owe someone a muffin basket for this personality shift he says maybe maybe you make me happy oh and then she says, "Well, this is shaping up to be a night to remember." Boom! Then she get they get blasted again from behind. Same thing, um, car flips. Same scene, and again she dies. Ugh. So that that was take two. At the very end, we hit we hear him. No, 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 not again. No, yeah. Christine. Oh, then boom! Right back to take three. This he doesn't right. even wait or think about it. He's right into it again. She they meet outside again. Evening, handsome. Your chariot awaits. Now this time he really tries to change it. He's going fast on those on the regular streets, and she says, "Hey, don't you know? Don't we have to go that way? We missed our turn. That's the bridge is that way." He says, "Nope, I'm taking a different route. It's okay. We're gonna be fine." And as he does, she get they get hit by a huge truck. Car flips. She ends up dying. So now. It's obviously not the same exact scene where they go in through the water and everything because they're in a different location. But now what we're seeing is that the second and third time he's tried to do things differently, it still hasn't mattered. This is this is where we really feel that final destination. Like this is yeah. this is what this is South Park or Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Like death is <laughs> chasing you here. You know, like death right. is trying to touch you and then you're gone. That's that's you know where she is right now. And it's 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 starting to frustrate him because he just had these couple moments with her that were just magical. Again, they were brief, but they were, yeah. you you know, they were just so real. And now I think I feel like it was the third time where he might have actually realized, you know, yeah. it, it's inevitable here. You know, I made a totally different choice. We didn't even go down that road. We're we're going a different way, and this is still going to happen. Yet this isn't—he doesn't stop even close to stop yet. <laughs> yeah, you know. But I, I kind of felt like this was the one that was like, oh no, I did try something very different, and it still didn't work. And he, you know, he he even stands her up. You know, like yep. that mm-hmm. that part got to me. That one little uh, try that he got, like that in itself is a little bit of a tragedy right there that he's standing her up and he has as much as he wants to be with her. And then he's watching it on the news and uh, she still dies like just a gut punch right there. And I love that the reporter on the news down to that detail, it was uh, mm-hmm. the Leslie Bibb uh, yep. Christine Everett from Iron right? Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So great. That's even, that's what, even the, the reporter is the same voice in this episode Every single one down to the littlest details mm. Which is great um, So yeah, that, that third time was when they took the different turn Then the fourth time he shows up and he says You know, let's, let's not even go Let's stay in, let's order a pizza 
She says no way I'm I'm not getting grease on this dress We'll go we'll dance I promise we have a good time They actually make it that time They we see we see them Dancing and it looks like she kind of Has like a heart attack or something Where yeah. she just kind of keels over On the floor I, and wonder, then just I wonder if she was allergic to something I, I was trying to figure yeah, out what that was It was me too. maybe an aneurysm or who knows Yeah she just kind of and then you know falls over and that, that was take four Take five they actually do go get the pizza They go out for pizza yeah. They're they're sitting at you know Just a, a little pizza place and laughing And eating and somebody walks in With a gun and just Blows her away <laughs> it, Totally different approach Then the sixth time This is the one that you had mentioned Where he completely right. just stands her up and he doesn't even go pick her up We see her standing outside He never gets there We then see him at a bar And he's drinking And on the news in the bar in the background Is the reporter Christine Everett We're hearing reports of numerous casualties Including the death of one Dr. Christine Palmer Palmer an emergency and trauma specialist And she continues to go on So that's, that's take six Now he still can't get over this it's he, he goes for a seventh time And he when he shows up She can tell that he's upset He can't even fake it anymore He can't even pretend at the beginning of their encounter And put on a good face for her anymore Because yeah. he's seeing her Lost over and over and over And over again This isn't doing good for anybody This is horrible for him Having to relive yeah. this over and over And so she actually drives this time She says all drive Same accident and and he's you know he's like breaking down here in the car and he's like saying to himself why does this keep happening aren't we allowed to be happy you know and she are you okay do you want to talk do you want to put on some music he said i only want you you're the only thing that matters and then boom accident again oh, horrible this shot that oh. shot right there another standout and i mean there there's too many i think to list uh from this episode just that moment where he he ex- kind of accepts it. He just takes it. He's like, he knows it's coming. And it, they go to the slow-mo and it just goes all white. Like that shot is burned in my brain. I love that they, that this episode is so rich with moments like that. He screams in like agony. No. And as he's, you know, crying on his knees, just at his wits end, the ancient one shows up. Good evening, Dr. Strange. Are you having car trouble? And he's surprised. What? What? Why are you here just to help you This is where it starts for you With the death of Dr. Christine Palmer So overwhelmed by loss You will seek answers in the mystic arts In me he asks her to Help me bring her back The ancient one tells him I'm sorry but I can't No one can her death is an Absolute point in time Now this is a, a, a new Term and sort of a new Idea that has been introduced uh, Through time travel We didn't hear about this in our other you know, the uh, bouts with time travel in the MCU, but absolute points are points in time that cannot be or fixed moments that cannot be erased. And and right. she tells him this cannot be erased, no matter what, because if even if you ha- even if you do, it is going to have a major impact. And that was sort of what was interesting about this montage and and this in general is that. What Doctor Strange was doing here wasn't quite creating branches yet. It was just impacting this like one particular universe that we're going to find out that this it's not 
setting out all these different branches and timelines. It's just destroying the one that was there. And that's what he's doing without quite realizing he's doing it. Um, she tells him it's unchangeable and it's unmovable. So this is a new idea, TK. And I'd imagine, you know, absolute points are going to be something that, you know, are, are, this is going to be a very big term, I feel like, moving forward. I think so. I mean, they keep doing that. They keep introducing like a, a theme or a concept and then expounding upon it in in future projects, even projects that aren't directly related to the other ones. I mean, I think the multiverse thing was first mentioned um, in Spider-Man. Uh, uh, was it No Way? No, not No Way Home. Uh, Homecoming, I think. Uh, the second, whatever the second one was, I can't remember. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, they toyed with the idea of Mysterio being, you know, from an alternate uh, universe and that the multiverse was real. But then they kind of pulled back on it. Uh, but as we know, we're going down that route. We're in the middle of the multiverse stories right now, and we know Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is happening. Uh, so it's uh, Marvel's been doing that, and. It's important, I think, to establish those rules, and I guess they can write them on the fly, too. I don't know if that's necessarily been in the plans or in the cards the whole time that they were going to have this absolute point thing. But uh, if you look at, you know, time travel or any kind of sci-fi that, you know, there's different time travel rules depending Mm -hmm. on what universe you're looking at, what project you're looking at. Back to the Future has a very different type of time travel than what Mm -hmm. we see in the MCU. And uh, I think, you know. Up until this point, really, uh, it was Avengers Endgame that kind of had established the rules of of time mm-hmm. travel. Um, and I think within that, too, while, while I'm on that subject, kind of broke their own rules in that. They with, did. With how, sure. what they did with Captain America. They did. Uh, you know, they'll probably try to figure out a way to like retcon and explain that. 100 percent. I'm sure there's they'll, they'll try to do that at some point. Uh, but uh, it, it just goes to show you that these rules are. Are you know creations of the writers, and they can kind of do, use Take them with a little tongue want. in cheek, you know? Y- right. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, like, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if it, it's a big thing moving forward that they're going to adopt and use, and you know, tons of other things. The ancient one uh, lets him know: without her death, you would never have defeated Dormammu and become the Sorcerer Supreme and the Guardian of the Eye of Agamotto. If you erase her death, you never start your journey. He says, "I'm creating a paradox." She tells him. You're risking the universe. You cannot reverse an absolute point. He still fights back. Nothing is impossible. You taught me that. I only require more power. They they just keep going back and forth here. She tells him the greatest sorcerer of the greatest sorcerers of the past could not reverse an absolute point. And he still you don't know that. Books have been lost, libraries destroyed. He wants to find any information that he can. She please, she begs him, stop torturing yourself, Steven. There is no hope. Christine is gone. You cannot save her. No, Stephen, this path only leads to darkness and the end of this reality. Please do not do this or I will be forced to stop you. And says you'd have to find me first. And he is off and he's looking for the lost library of Cagliostro. So we get the ancient one here warning him, pleading with him, telling him do not do this and you know, this is how I'm sure m- many of you listening have been at one point. I get like this some days. We we something happens sometimes, and it doesn't matter if it's your mom, dad, girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, husband. You don't hear what they're saying. You're just not hearing it. You are focused. It's like some. You know, she's got to try to 
try to get to him right here But there's like no point even talking to him at this moment Because he's not listening to anything at all It's not impacting him whatsoever He has got his blinkers on And he, after now seeing her die Seven more times Is fixated on finding a way to bring her back Yeah, uh, stubborn is a good word I think to describe him You you kind of touched earlier on In, the, in, in this podcast that uh, He He's very much like Iron Man. That's kind of a, a a criticism, I think, of the Doctor Strange movie, and a fair one, I'd say, that it very much mi- mirrors the Iron Man story there. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's stubborn, and that stubbornness has not been a thing that he's been working on during this time. He's just been trying to get Christine, so he hasn't really grown as a character like the Doctor Strange that we know. This is, you know, he's veer, already veered off on the path so much and then experienced the psychological trauma of going through the death of his loved one over and over and over again to the point where now he's become kind of twisted. Uh, and I love the this scene and the way that the Ancient One comes and it's this very melancholy, very touching moment with this beautiful minimalist piano score very much like lost it kind of reminded me of lost i know you're mm-hmm. on that kick right now yep. mm-hmm. um and then it just through their conversation just ticks up the ramps up the the tension between them until they're literally facing off in like a wizard versus sorcerer battle uh and uh and uh it uh, it's kind of a shocking like little moment there where and it, it's jarring like it ends in this moment where we don't quite know what happened and he's just uh, gone and they, yeah, they don't explain it till later. And I love that they did. They just kind of pepper that scene that ramps up the tension there with a lot of exposition, but you know, it goes down easy because of that ramping tension that they're having. So he just drops that little thing of like libraries destroyed. Um, th- that's all we kind of need to know to get that context for the next scene when he's asking about the library of Cagliostro. So we're kind of oriented in a, in a good way mm-hmm. because of the storytelling there, which is very, just, I think minimally subtly done. Uh, and they get a lot, they cram a lot of high concept uh, story and narrative um, into this very tight little, like 30 minute uh, episode right here. So it's a, uh, this was a really cool turning point and uh, just another example of why this, this uh, episode was so strong. Yeah, we get it. We get an idea of what his, you know, his motivation is going to be now. You know, he, we know his motivation mm-hmm. for wanting to bring her back. We get an idea of like what what's his game plan? Where is he going? Yeah. Next? What exactly? What does he want to do? Okay, and then he shows up and he wakes up in the jungle and he sees um, Obeng, which which he's an interesting character because um, Obeng in the in the comics was was actually Cagliostro. So we hear about the book of Cagliostro and there was a ancient philosopher that I think uh, in, in, in real life that it was this uh, character was sort of built off of in the comics. But he doesn't say that, and, you know, he doesn't reference himself as that, I think, at any point throughout this episode. It's just something from the comics. And we don't ever really know because sometimes they they do things like that. Sometimes they kind of go off in a different direction with their own interpretation of characters. But he he is helping Doctor Strange here. Who is you know looking for the library he Says you know books reading knowledge Hey I'm talking here where are you going So he you know Doctor Strange follows him As he um, Follows him into Temple looking area where there's Ruins all over the floor And I'm thinking of Agatha And uh, the right. doctor Lots he, of ruins. 
Yeah, lots of runes <laughs> all over. And it's you know we've seen in in previous times where he can deal with a, a little like a few here and there, but as he's walking, this entire place is just covered with like all these spells all, all over, yeah. and he falls right through the floor um, into you know what looks like a basement, and he sees uh, again Obeng. And he's like looking around with oh quite the welcome Then he falls through and then uh, And and Obeng's laughing at him He says you have to be the strangest dressed Sorcerer I've ever seen And, and Doctor Strange says uh, Yeah it's Armani I've come here for Sorcerer, Sorcerer Cagliostro He says According to the legend the, He knew how to break an absolute point in time Where can I find him And he says eh, maybe here maybe there This is very Yoda right Maybe right. here, maybe here, maybe there, maybe nowhere. You know, you could hear him. <laughs> you could, I could hear him saying it. He goes, "Oh, wonderful! You're cryptic. Please tell me you're not Cagliostro." He says, "No, the name's Obang, librarian for the books of Cagliostro." He tells him, "Come this way, sorcerer Armani." He says, "No, it's strange." Yeah. And Obang says, "Not any stranger than any other name in this world," which is a, a fun little playback <laughs> to the Doctor Strange uh, um, movie where. He said, you know, they had that that funny little interaction where that was that was kind of similar to this. Uh, so um, that made you laugh and man, give you give you a little throwback if you uh, remember uh, that scene there. So Obeng um, brings Doctor Strange to the Lost Books and he asks him, how long will he be staying here? As long as it takes. And as he begins to cram and study, and this is where you could see. How the use of his hands is really helping him here He's figuring out transmutation Telekinesis, teleportation, interesting Time manipulation, bingo So he's reading through The power required to break an absolute Point in time is immense And nigh impossible to obtain <laughs> Yeah, no doy That was a very like low-key <laughs> moment too You know, he's like uh. reading He's literally reading these These like famous books These Text the, from some of the wisest people ever, and they're telling him what will happen, and he's yeah right, you know like <laughs> really you still think you still think you know better here, uh, and he finds it oh aha in the power through the absorption of other beings absorption so he looks into it a little bit more, and he gets set for a test run, so he summons the tentacled beast. Uh, he finds who this beast who is in episode one, who people are thinking is Shumagorath. We have not mm-hmm. heard that, but you'd have to think that this same monster, who I believe is the first person to show up in two episodes of this series, because <laughs> it, it was in episode one and is now in, in episode oh. four. Um, besides the Watcher, besides, besides the, watcher. the Watcher, who's in, yeah, everyone. Um, they wouldn't be having this monster in multiple episodes, and and we've I think they've pretty much come out and said that Shuma Gorath is going to be in Doctor Strange, so that it feels like this is probably that right. I, it would be maybe too coincidental, mm-hmm. another big tentacled monster that's got power, so much power that Doctor Strange is trying to absorb this being in order to continue to stack his power. It's kind of similar to what we saw. Agatha doing too mm-hmm. with one yeah, um, division, you know, with her family at the beginning, yeah. you know, with the other witches and just sort of absorbing all their power, sucking all the life out of them. Although, yeah. in this sense, what we see end up happening a little bit later, not only does he, Doctor Strange start to, it doesn't quite work yet, but when he does later, 
he not only absorbs their power, he actually starts to absorb some of their physical features and like their yeah. limbs and and from these crazy creatures that he um that he ends up absorbing. But uh, round yeah. one looks like it goes to Shumagorath TK because uh, <laughs> they try to battle and uh, Shuma gets the uh, gets the win. He comes in. He says, "My name is Doctor Stephen Strange. I brought you here because I need to borrow your powers. Do you mind sharing a tentacle or two? <laughs> well, well, uh, the, the that tentac- was that was important. I think you yeah. know what I'm saying. Like that, like no, no, that to show the dichotomy of of how he is there versus you know when we see That's later on. Point. You know, spoiler he's, alert. Like he's not evil he's, here. No, he he just wants to borrow it a tent a tentacle or two. He's not. I mean, assuming if he's just taking a tentacle, he's going to let this thing live and just, you know, it's only temporary, too, to him. In his mind, he's thinking this is just he a temporary borrow. thing. I'm just going to do it to yeah. to fix this thing. But I think by the by the end, we see a different strange. I know very, very obviously so. Uh, but someone who probably wouldn't give up those powers uh, once now that he has it. So the the doctor loses this battle. As uh, he gets his ass kicked And then uh, the next we see him Is he wakes up He doesn't know what happened And uh, Obang is helping him He's on the mend um, This exact scene is, um, is I got a very like, Batman begins You know when he kind of wakes up After he keeps getting you know trying Or what, is it the Dark Knight you know when he's trying to get out of uh, Or Dark Knight right, right you know There's different ones yes. where you see him You know where he's, he's trying to get out of the bit with Bane Yeah exactly exactly yeah. Um and yeah, this is also a Back to the Future where he kind of wakes up, you know, and he he had fainted, and they're uh, trying to come to life. And Obang is is helping men, the doctor who is recovering in bed. He tells him, "Mystic beings do not bargain. Their powers are not meant for man." And even at this moment, the stubborn, which is the, the perfect word for him, uh, Doctor Strange says, "The library isn't enough. Those beings have what I need." Obang then asks him, point blank. Is she worth the pain? A man does not suffer like this for his own glory. Doctor Strange which is one line every moment of it. But Obeng speaks to him like it, this is funny because you have two really really intelligent guys here who are, you know, not not necessarily people that you would think of like a like you know, social butterflies or, you know, that would be the you know the like interacting best in a group. Yet they're having the same conversation that two buddies that are 14 would have about a guy having his first crush. You know, like there's a fine line between devotion and delusional. We probably all had a conversation like that with one of our friends where it's like, hey, (laughs) you need to take a step back right now. (laughs) Like this thing is over or you guys just started going out like you cannot tell her you love her. You know, like whatever, whatever (laughs) it is, like you got to wait. And he says. Uh huh. And which book did you read that? Um, as Obang tells him, you know, love can break more than your heart; it can shatter your mind. So it's kind of like the love is a dagger from Loki. Um, yeah. And he says, "No book taught me that, Armani. Life taught me." So that was, you know, very important to uh, to see there. As the doctor says, "Hmm, maybe Obang's right," but then. Quickly <laughs> isn't isn't Obang's right I'm going to You know I'm going to get over This it's maybe Obang's right If they won't surrender their power I'm going to take it <laughs> and so yeah. 
takes um, the wrong message from, yeah, from yeah. that conversation. <laughs> it's like, that's what you took out of there? Right. <laughs> the doctor takes power from, is this like a dwarf? Or like a gnome? Like a little... I, I cracked up. This is like it was like evil David the Gnome. David the Gnome. To me. That's I know. What I saw, dude. We'll find the kingdom of the gnome. Yeah. I love. I loved me some David the Gnome. And this montage he, too. This montage oh was another gosh. one that I this thought was, was really intense. It got faster and faster than the previous montages. Like, uh, but the images images were just increasingly more. Um, just what's the word? It, they they were. Uh, sick and twisted yeah, and, and haunting. scary haunting yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yes. and and these the, the design of these creatures were all really fascinating it reminded me of um do you remember the last unicorn you ever see that oh yes yes it was very similar to that the art design i thought of some of the creatures and the, the feel of it i was immediately getting flashbacks and getting freaked out as a kid watching the last unicorn which is way scarier than any you know disney movie is yeah that's a good call and so he takes the power from this little gnome dwarf character and completely absorbs him. And 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 as this happens, he now starts to kind of summon these different beings one at a time. Um, next up, there's an insect, and he actually takes the cloak of levitation from this insect, but he doesn't absorb the bug. He says, uh, "Nice cape, but I draw the line at bugs." Um, I thought that then, was so mean when he took his right? cape. I felt, I felt yeah, like, oh, like, man, he's just jacking this guy's just, cape. Yeah, this, I know. Like, what a bully. Like, come on, yeah. man. Um, then it looked like a, it was a big raven, sort of like a bird, kind of big crow, yeah. raven-looking type. Then he summons a dragon, the, the fire dragon, and by doing so, Doctor Strange is now completely turned red. His skin is red, and, and now, you know, as he's absorbed – Two, three of these creatures You're really starting to see the noticeable Changes in his in his features You know, physically, he's starting to look Different, then there's this big like Skeleton-like thing That he absorbs, then a Creepy-looking bat that I, I think Is called the, the bat dragon Actually um, mm-hmm. We, I mean, we Get a look at these Insane different beings And, and the yeah. watcher lets us know He's on the wrong path I could warn him, intervene, but the fate of his universe is not worth risking the safety of all others. Besides, I doubt he'd listen. This is kind of important, too, because we are seeing in this episode a little bit of a conscience from the Watcher who I don't know if we knew that the Watcher would kind of have those thoughts in his head, in their head. Beings like this a lot of time don't even usually See good and evil they kind of just Are solely focused on their job They're created you know like the TVA They're created for A purpose they don't Deal with the human emotions Like robotics you know type thing You know they're like a machine He's we're seeing that He's at least recognizing Good and evil and That those wheels are spinning A little bit so I think that's something that we Will revisit obviously At the end of the episode he doesn't do anything that we see. He doesn't help Doctor Strange there when he's kind of crying out to him, but he mentions it. And it's like it's 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 there. It's it's something to keep an eye on. And he's tempted. You know, you can mm-hmm. tell he seems more tempted to intervene. And you're right that like there wasn't really so much indication earlier on that he he would be anything but impartial. Um 
I thought that uh, he would be that kind of, you know, like he's just a, a god that's uh, kind of stands above, you know, good and evil. That that stuff doesn't really, it's all relative to 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 him. But no, this is a like a character, like a a person. I I wanted to know by the end of this episode, I really wanted to know more about where the watcher comes from. Are there more mm-hmm. watchers? Um, at one point, I know we'll get to this part later, but he says that he's not a god, and he says it very like adamantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like the Watcher's immortal on some scale, just a higher scale than what we're used to in our, our universe. Uh, so there's there's got to be a lot of interesting backstory there. I wonder how deeply they've they've thought it uh, thought it out and planned that that out for. But it seems like there could be a rich story there of like what's what's the Watcher's origin? Are we going to get that by the end of the series? We then. Get another crazy montage of these creepy, creepy looking beings, and they're getting like scarier and weirder looking. There's a, a snake. Then, I mean, I thought it was Hellboy with this like just like demon, and then right. the, the the demon like has the multiple heads, and the doctor is absorbing all of them. And again, like he's now looking crazy, like as he absorbs this Sinister. one creature. It'll, he'll like an he'll have like an extra eyeball popping out on his head, yeah. and then like he has another <laughs> limb here, and then like a tail, yeah. you know, and wings that sprout up as he just continues to um, take all of the power. And as he, you know, gets a little bit more power, he wants more. He's going absolutely mad with power. Yeah. He's summoning creature after creature after creature to the point where he feels like he's ready to go get. I'm going to refer to him as uh, Shuma at the moment. We think Shuma Gorat, right. the big tentacle creature. And Doctor Strange says, time to meet an old friend. Uh-huh. And this time when he summons him, the tone is very different, TK. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't yeah. like last time where he said, hey, can I borrow one of your tentacles? He tried to reason with him. He came in. This dude is drunk with power. He is extremely powerful. And he says, hello again. And goodbye And yeah. just Very snarky <laughs> Destroys and, and then absorbs the tentacles Right into his yeah. neck They like they like go right in his neck Which is also kind of like just So much of yeah. this was creepy and scary And very I was the so visuals. cool Like I was so glad that Disney Did this right this is def- another yeah. one of those Things where it's like they never This is would have never been a movie or something That was released on you know National TV or cable this is something That you can take a chance on on your Streaming service and um, Man the look of this was Just he, he's a, a, He's a freak at this Point yeah like he's an, he's yeah. an absolute freak I love that shot Of the tentacles it's a Low angle shot of the tentacles And we're just kind of uh Pushing forward with them as they slither Toward his feet and just Crawl up him the, the imagery Of that again it's one of those shots that Burnt right into my head and there's so Many of those in this episode uh, I gotta mention also we kind of Glossed over I think one Of the most crucial points of This episode uh, And that's when the watcher is speaking before That strange Hears him like he stops And, and they're great like, point he says what he Hello who, who yeah, who's there? Uh, like he knows that the he he's aware of the of the watcher's presence, and that is something that up until this point I didn't expect to to happen at all. I didn't expect for them to break that wall. I wonder the fact if it's that the, they go the, even further in this episode. The power wow. that he has stacked, 
right? Yes. Like he's got these, exactly. Now he's more powerful than he's ever any version of Doctor Strange that we've ever seen before. So it's like yeah. he's able to unlock these parts that he couldn't before. He's able to senses. hear this new yeah, senses. Exactly. And um, he then we see as he's, which is a really cool kind of flash. They show the outside of the library as. You know, Doctor Strange continues to summon all these beings, and we can see time changing, like the seasons rapidly moving. You know, like he's been in there for years and years and years going through this, and now he comes out, and we see Obeng, who's now very, very old, and he's on his deathbed, and, and Doctor Strange doesn't really understand what what Obeng, what happened to you? He says uh, as he's coughing. Uh, uh. Time sorcerer Armani <laughs> Again made me <laughs> chuckle uh, But he um, Then then Doctor Strange gets ready to Like bring him Kind of cure him Like make him be able to live forever He even says you know I can reverse this you will live, live long forever And Obeng doesn't want that Just put that away You used magic to remain frozen for centuries I chose to live I can reverse this come on Hush and Obeng says, even in our world, death is part of the plan. He's very comfortable in his skin. He's lived his life. He's done what he needs to do. And he understands that, you know, you can't cheat death. This is his absolute point. This is something that's going to happen for him. If you try to change it, if you try to alter it, there the one thing that I, almost all TV shows, movies, anything to deal with time travel. The the one like consistent thing is is that there's always going to be some sort of a butterfly effect in some way. If you do change something, things are going to be changed. Some shows and movies, it's you know being wiped away. Back to the Future, we see the pictures mm-hmm. completely disintegrate. You know when when he's holding the photos, the people just go away. Others like in this, there's different timelines, branches. It. You know, in the mm-hmm. butterfly effect itself, the movie, everybody's lives are different, but con- you know, different rules for all of them. But there's always the same consistent that, yeah, the the choice that you make, if you do something different, it's going to, imp- you know, like that's going to have impact. There are going to be butterfly effects, even here with these absolute points. When he continues to try to, you know. Go against that we see this universe Break down so it's always been a consistent Thing with time travel is that hey You can't change things Because if you do you don't know what the Hell is going to happen yeah there's consequences uh, And it's 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 kind Of the unknown uh, and and the, the stories need those those rules I think to kind of drive the Drive the overall narrative of the characters uh, But uh, yeah This was uh, uh, A really cool scene I thought again ha- Like hammering home that theme of uh, acceptance of death and, and grief. And clearly we see Obang has ex- has acceptance. He's kind of like Buddhist in, in his ways here. Uh, and it's, it's kind of wild too. I, I think of strange as kind of coming off of a bender here, <laughs> like, uh, like a centuries long magic bender. You're right. uh, and, and uh, he's just like back in the real world and all of, all of his friends have changed and kind of moved on and grown. And he's kind of still the same guy, but like worse uh, in a lot of ways. So it was um, uh, a cool moment in the story again. Uh, and it, it also just, it just hammered home that, that thing that what this story is about, that grief and acceptance of grief. And that's just something that, this strange uh, does not 
have in him. He does, and that's why he's this tragic character in the story. That's why this story is a tragedy. He is then informed. You know, he tells uh, Obang, "I can't accept this." Obang, you know, death is part of the plan, even in our world. And uh, he says, "I know, I know, but maybe the other strange will." And that's when Doctor Strange says, "Other." Hobang laughs. Can't you see? You're only half a man living half a life. And the Watcher lets us know it was true. He wasn't alone. He wasn't even the only Doctor Strange in this universe. As we then flash back to that night, the two-year anniversary of the death of Christine, where Doctor Strange is sitting there with his drink and Wong Comes up and warns him um, I'm going to start the kettle I suggest you join me before you do something restless And he in this version We see Doctor Strange Actually listen to him He says he has a moment where he thinks about it He says "Ah, you're right Enough living in the past for one evening This doctor doesn't go evil But when he walks Outside everything around Him is the people The objects They're they're like partially disintegrating And as they do they're, There's like a black goo And it's really yeah. dark Like it's really scary For you know a Disney thing As you see people's bodies and faces And like you know the way that You know you, you would see it in WandaVision When they when vision kind of evaporates Or in, in sort of like the blip stuff But this is yeah. this is a lot Darker than that with the black yeah. in In there you know this was this was a scary world that he walked out into. Yeah, and it, it was unique. I, I love the the examples that you gave there of like, you know, the uh, vision kind of being pulled apart. And uh, this is definitely something that like strikes me as similar to that, but it's its own thing. And I love that they did it this way uh, and that they could do it this way because of the animation uh, style and format. There's a lot of really cool effects that are done that made that – that were really, really high concept and well executed and intricate. Uh, and that's reflective also of, of the great job they did on the original Doctor Strange movie, which you mentioned a couple of times isn't the most popular MCU film, but I think it's pretty I like pretty it. It's solid. a very good movie. Yeah, it's solid. Yeah, I don't have solid. It, it has, has great, great visuals. Reminds me of uh, Inception a lot, but they almost took that and went even further with it. Uh, great concepts to it. Funny movie. Uh, hits the beats, like I said before, of Iron Man, but in, in a good way, I think. Uh, it kind of echoes that story and tells a new one. Um, but man, that that effect, I'm glad you pointed it out. It was another thing that stood out to me. The visual, the visuals and the art direction in this episode was the best yet. I mean, it was every single frame of this was was a painting. I don't know what else to say. It's just it 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 came together and it was really inspired stuff. And then, you know, you can tell right away this Doctor Strange is a is a little bit different. You know, he's just lighter. He walks out and he even says, what was in that whiskey? When he's like, when he's seeing all this around him and the ancient one arrives and he says, hello, Steve. He says, no, wait a minute. You're, he says, dead. Yes, this must be. And she says, it's a psychic impression sent through a splinter in reality. Uh, um, Just think of me as an echo. So he says, well, I was going to say that this must be the end of the world. She laughs. You always were a perceptive one, but I fear we don't have much time. He asks, who's causing this? You are. But how? She says, when Doctor Strange, you, used the eye and vanished into the past, I couldn't follow. I drew upon the power of the dark dimension to split the timeline to split you. And we see now 
the two different versions of Doctor Strange at the time at the same time. We see, you know, how one version goes this way, one goes that way. He says, allowing for, uh, uh, she tells him, allowing two of your possible timelines to occur in one universe. Even he knows that's not a great idea. Two timelines? I doubt that's the simplest or smartest thing to do. <laughs> she agrees. Exceedingly dangerous, actually. He says, now I have an evil twin. <laughs> she jokes, more like misguided. If the other strange succeeds in reversing an absolute point in our universe, he jumps in. You mean saving Christine? This is where she she's told him now multiple times. Wong has told him multiple times. Obang has told him multiple times. He's even like heard the watcher and didn't realize who was telling him. He can't do this and it it's not going to work the way he thinks. It's not just going to be bring her back to life and everything's rosy. She says mm. The resulting temporal paradox will destroy this universe. Our time is running out. The only sorcerer strong enough to stop Doctor Strange is you, Doctor Strange. <laughs> I love that moment. That was a, a great moment. I love how she kind of blips forward uh, in perfect timing with the way she's saying that line. It just it, it's fun. It's exciting, and it sets up. Okay, this is how we're going to resolve the story right here. We're going to have Doctor Strange battling Doctor Strange here. And uh, that it's a moment that gets you excited as a viewer. Do we see uh, the doctor speaking with Wong and they're putting their game plan together? And Wong, Wong says, OK, wait, so the fabric of reality is breaking and you can only stop it because you are causing it. <laughs> the doctor straight says, let's be honest, we've been through weirder. <laughs> this is when Wong asks, but do you want to stop him? Weren't you in love with this Christine? This doctor says, I think I have to. At the very least to save you. Wong says, mm, the garden, the guardian Vishanti heavy duty protection spell. He gives to uh, the doctor who says, knowing me, I'll need it. As Wong asks, uh, as he asks, how would you find him? And as he asks, Wong starts to melt away in the black goo and he evaporates. And Dr. Strange doesn't have to worry about going to find the other version of himself because that Evil version of Doctor Strange We'll call him Doctor Evil Yeah he, <laughs> he is uh, He has found the uh, the Good Doctor Strange He's found the good Doctor And we get Doctor Strange sent through Like a time portal And there's this m- Incredible face off that he has With himself and Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch I gotta give a, a hell of a lot of credit for this episode He he was Great all throughout and when He's playing this Evil version of himself Against the good version of himself And he's going back and forth and you hear The voice you know it's just I thought He does a great great job Being this maniacal Evil power Hungry guy versus You know the the good version of Yourself this is again this is something That every person At every level deals with You know self Doubt or you know You know which which version of Yourself to kind of let out there Is this the right way to go is this the right what am I Doing here you're fighting with yourself This is he's physically actually Fighting with himself but we all Do this in our own heads Every single day with the Big decisions in our lives and We're set up for A really cool battle that you Know we're we're going to assume you know, as in most cases, the good uh, the good's gonna win out. Uh, but they have a very 
interesting back and forth conversation here as the good doctor asks, where am I? And uh, Dr. Evil says, the question is, when are you? Do not be frightened, old friend, for we are one and the same. He kind of walks out of the darkness and we see him and he's looking real funky now, really the evil look. He says, I needed you alone. No Wong or the Ancient One. They wouldn't understand. They never knew her. We knew her. We loved her. He's pleading to him, his other self. And we don't exactly know what or why Dr. Evil Strange you know, wanted the good doctor. We don't know what he wants from him. We only were hearing what what you know the uh, the motivation for the the good version of this Doctor Strange was going to be. He needed to to kill the evil version and just to kind of set things back uh, on course. But that is uh, that is not what Doctor Evil wants. Doctor mm-hmm. Evil wants to try to absorb the good doctor himself. He wants them to be you know one in the same. Absorb all of the power And that will sort of be the the Final tipping point The last bit of power that he feels like He needs to complete his mission So it's It's a lot of times like you know you get the, the You get the villain Or you get someone who's evil m- Trying to get someone from the Good side to join them you, At the beginning oh, yeah. they'll kind of t- try to talk Them into it before it becomes a Forcible thing and then a battle That's sort of That's exactly what he's doing here He's trying to say hey look the two of us together, you and me, we're unstoppable. You put us together, we bring Christine back. We're gonna go kick back. We're driving in the Lambo. He, he's, you know, that's that's what he's trying to do to hit him here. He's yeah. trying to um, appeal to him, and we even see him with a different approach after they battle for a little while, where he actually, you know, shows up as Christine and tries to, you know, as a vision of Christine and tries to. You know really play at Doctor Strange that yeah. way So he this is This is like straight devil stuff Right this is like the oh, devil yeah. taunting you Like all the stories you hear about how the devil was Would taunt Jesus or would taunt Different people in, in forms like This is first you know Praying like manipulating at the beginning Telling you positive stuff and then Then really mm-hmm. trying to pull the Strings here so I Man this I love this Little back and forth with with the good Versus the bad yeah, it's it's great. I love uh, the interaction like you were describing with but between the two strangers and the, the the way that yeah he just he tries to persuade him uh, at first. I'm gonna put a petition in now though that we call instead of Doctor Evil, I petition that we call him Doctor Deranged. I don't know. Doctor, I like rhyming. Oh, that's better. That's better. <laughs> Doctor Deranged is much better. I'm gonna say no, Doctor Deranged. No, no um, petition needed. We'll, we'll that's his like, executive. It passes. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Doctor Deranged. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and I absolutely uh, loved this. It, it, I think it delivered on the promise of having the Sorcerer Supreme battle an even more powerful, uh, deranged version of himself. Uh, and that that um, the the tactic of uh, kind of doing the Wanda vision or Wanda thing, where you're getting in a mind and and planting a uh, an image or like a hallucination or something like that, I thought was really well done. There's a few moments throughout this episode that kind of it reminds yeah. me of like enchanting, right? That we got in Loki, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that, it, I don't know if you've ever had like a dream where you know there's a, a lost loved one in there, maybe it's someone who passed or an ex girlfriend or something like that. And it, like in the dream, you kind of like recognize that it's not real, 
and it, 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 it it's it's a haunting feeling. I, I've, I've been there. I've felt that. I wonder how common that is. I imagine yes. people have experienced yes. that. And it's scary. But this brought me that. to that. You yeah. feel, as soon as you recognize that moment, it's scary yeah. because there's there's like a moment where things will be going like normal and then something weird will happen or there'll be yeah. like a person or you'll be at a place or just things won't add up, you know? And then yeah. you kind of you get that sense, and it's like a like a sinking feeling in your stomach that like everything you thought you were just doing is a total is totally a farce. It's not you know it's like oh my gosh this yeah. isn't real. It's that moment really, like before when, you wake yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even sometimes it's it happens. You, you it echoes like right after you wake up, and you're like yeah. oh that was just a dream. Yeah. Like but it captured that that feeling a lot, and I had that kind of a, a lot when he was going back in time and reliving it. And he had the realization that, you know, that she's going to die no matter what, that essentially it was like that. She wasn't real. It was almost like she was like a projection in his head. Like they, they weren't creating new memories. They were at this fixed point. So it was like that the, the, the tragedy of that when like your dream is right there in front of you and you think it's real and you, you feel it. But then, you know, uh, it's it's not it's not tangible. I'm in this other reality that's not as pleasant to me. So good doctor, you know, tells his his uh, doctor deranged self, you cannot bring her back. The world out there is breaking. Doctor Deranged does not want to hear this. Don't you dare lie to me. I am you. And now he's sort of now he's getting pissed and he's flashing his power. So he's he's starting to kind of look what I can do. Look at the look at what I have inside of me. Look at all of this power and um. He says, how many nights did we sit in the Sanctum uh, Sanctum Centorum, time stone in the palm of our hand, knowing we could go back gathering the courage? Talking to himself, well, I had the courage. I spent centuries. I sacrificed everything for Christine. And the good version asks the deranged doctor, and now can you save her? He says, no, Stephen, but we can. Our powers are diluted, split between us. But once we become whole again, we can save her. The good doctor says, no, we cannot. And uh, Deranged says, you don't believe it's possible, but you will see. No, the Ancient One warned us, if we save Christine, we destroy the world. This is a very, like, uh, anti-heroes. Save the cheerleader, save the world. You know, right. <laughs> Save the destroy the world. Uh, right. Sorry, uh, Milo uh, Ventamila out there. Uh, my, my <laughs> um, Rocky's kid. I know, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... The Dr. Durange says, I told you she does not understand. We love Christine. But Dr. Uh, the good version has – he has had his friends warn him. He's had his friends around help him get through this and let him know this isn't love. This is arrogance. This is our need to fix everything. It's what drove us to study the mystic arts in the first place, and look where we are, deranged. I I will be whole again, and and so he says deranged, and you know his evil deranged version says I will be whole again, and they're battling back and forth. No, your marbles are long gone. The world, however, still stands a chance. So the battle begins, and you know, like we imagine in most of these, you're gonna get the good and the evil back and forth. Um, good doctor says you can't save her; she's dead. But you know, you need to let her go. I've uh, he says I've gone too far to turn back now. And now he you know his voice even is scarier and raspier. And th- something that we'll kind of pick up after a-, a moment is like there's like multiple voices going on from all of the beings that he's absorbed, 
when he talks it's like there's like whispers and they they come out at different moments and he's got like multiple mouths and eyes and all these different things all over and they battle and this this was a cool battle i mean this was awesome and we're seeing we're seeing him now using the powers of all of these different evil creatures that he's absorbed and the evil doctor is just a little too powerful for this version yeah. of Doctor Strange. He actually ends up completely absorbing him. And yeah. uh, it, it, it does look like good is about to conquer evil, evil at one point. Um, it looks like mm-hmm. uh, the, the good version sort of has the upper hand for a moment. And that's when yeah. they, they create that vision of Christine. Yeah, which is uh, precipitated by uh, uh, or preceded by that really cool shot of like, like you mentioned, it seemed like you know, good Doctor Strange kind of got the upper hand and there's this moment of kind of silence and then he just creeps out of the sh- like a, his shadow and pulls him into like a shadow dimension or something. It was a really cool moment there. He, uh, um, Doctor Deranged even like strips do- uh, the good version of like the cloak and takes mm-hmm. all of his tools and features. Like he just is like stripping him down. Um, but the cloaks fighting was a really, really standout moment from that as well. I think uh, they're just that, so much good out of this episode. Yeah. There's like so few critiques that I have as he realizes, you know, this isn't her. She even says, Stephen, you promised me creme brulee. You know, we can be together again. Stephen, I love you. He says, I love you. I wish that was true, but you're not, you're not her. This was obviously Dr. Deranged creating this vision, trying again to prey at his emotions. The, uh, the good version of Dr. Strange says, you can't do this. And Dr. Deranged says, but we must. And at this moment is when he actually wins their face off and he absorbs the good version of Dr. Strange. So the two parts that were split are now one and yeah. his power is now immense enough to bring back Christine. Yeah, and I think it's really funny uh, that when they, you know, he kind of snaps out of the, the the enchantment, I guess, that they're they're falling way badass, by the way, way badass shot of them falling They're immediately. But they're they're punching each other. I think it's so funny that they're no matter what. Uh, no, yeah, well, not just that as they're falling, but no matter what, like even if it's wizards battling each other, it oh, at some point devolves to them just throwing uh, like fists at each other, and that he's just punching runes off of his face. I, I thought it was great. It was cool. It was a good way. It was almost like a video game, like somebody's power meter, a way for for us as the audience to kind of read that he was being diminished, that he was wearing them down. So as every time he punches, like runes fly off his face and there's less runes on his face protecting him until there's just that one left and he just kind of swipes it away uh the range swipes it away and i i thought that was so cool but also funny that wizards would punch each other (laughs) it's very very i'm not bad at it though no it's very much (laughs) like what um what richard e grant classic loki says right in the in loki when he makes fun of how they they're still using daggers and daggers yes what yeah. are you guys doing? And oh, I have to mention, <laughs> I have to mention this too, just because I, I saw it their day. Um, and actually, in just becoming such a big fan of of Loki and Richard Grant in there, I started following him on social media because uh, he's just a great. He's like really funny and just just cool. 
And uh, I think a day ago, I believe his, I think his wife died. He tweeted, uh, and it's such a sad post. It says, only you, Joan, the love of my life and the giver of life to our daughter, Olivia. Our hearts are broken with the loss of your life last night. 35 years married, 38 years together. To be truly known and seen by you is your immeasurable gift. Do not forget us, sweet monkey mine. And there's a video of them just like dancing together and having this like, Moment that you would like see in a movie that you wouldn't even believe is real. It's just like, oh, just crushing, That's, just crushing. I'm, I'm heartbroken. Right I know, now, man. I almost, I almost want to cry just hearing I know. about this. Because I, I like, I've been such a fan of his just, just recently, you know, like I, I'd always right. like seen him here or there, but in, in Loki and just like the, the character arc that he had, you know, his little quick character arc, like, and his redemption story and what he did to sacrifice himself and stuff, like, you kind of felt like him in the, in that and seeing how how cool he loved being a part of Loki and even the quote that he had he posted yeah. like my dad you know tell, telling me that uh, I was never gonna make anything and I'm in tights or you know something like that it was you know um, yeah so just really sad uh, to to reference him so, in that in Loki you know Ugh, especially fuck. especially just I mean it's his career it's nothing your your career isn't as important as your loved ones and your family I know a lot of people get that mixed up and everything but it's adds to the, like the sting there when you hear about that because just he had this recent pop so it must have been such a fun this moment should have been and, a great moment in his life and it's it's going to be it has to be overshadowed by the loss of some because you, you know, know there's your wife with, so especially with the response that he got we are seeing yeah. him again he is showing up yeah. again somewhere yeah you know and no, no sure. doubt about it and especially knowing that there's a season two of loki you know mm-hmm. so if, if we don't see him show up somewhere else before that and it's a variant he could very easily show and and just the way like we're gonna see those lokis because people love the loki gator and and the kid like everybody loves yeah. seeing them and yeah you're right like it's just they're totally different things but at the moment of maybe some of your greatest success coming forward you always want to share it with the people you know that yeah. i'm sure like he said She's been with him through a lot of ups and downs and struggles and probably really good years and great times and then probably some lean years and lean times, you know, and for the roller coaster to be back on the way up. Um, yeah, just something I saw the other day. And it's if you don't if you if you follow him on social media, go look at the post. It's and and the little video, it's like a just a five or six second video of them like dancing with each other and like singing and then they kind of like laugh at the end. It's like, oh, just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And, That's uh, what you said at the beginning. What we, what we touched on there was uh, the universality of grief and loss, right. and that we all yeah. we all are you know going to face our own mortality one day, as well as the mortality of everyone around us. Everything changes, moves on, uh, and eventually goes away, and that that applies to us as people too. You know, it's it, that's that's a hard thing to grasp, uh, and it's just one of those essential things that. Uh, you know the acceptance of that is 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 so important to your to your character and to your development and your overall well-being, happiness and um, prosperity. You need yeah. to accept death to be able to move on. That's the message of this this yes. uh, episode: is that uh, you you need to find that the, the a peace, way to grieve, closure, to find that peace. whatever. Yeah, yeah. But easier said than done. Oh, um, I, oh, some people yeah. never do, and and never will. Um, as right. this um the doctor Derange is now been able to bring Christine back 
And he sees her and she we see the the car. I actually kind of thought it was kind of cool. It was like the car comes right up out of the accident, you know, like how yeah. we saw it in the water. It comes right up like it's almost like you're rewinding like we saw with WandaVision sometimes when they would like rewind, you know, you're kind of going backwards yeah. and it's like the back, you know, moves back and comes up. And then Christine is in his arms and he's bringing her back to life. And as he does, oh, she, man. she opens her eyes and she sees him. And and he's become this evil demon, right? These go- oh, gory limbs all over the place. I mean, he looks like what some kid drawing the scariest looking monster possible would look like. I mean, awful. And and it's a great amalgamation. Him. It's a great amalgamation of like the details of all those beings, those mystical so beings detailed. and monsters that we saw before. Uh, and the way they put it together was this really cool uh, image. It reminded me of something. I don't know if it was Cthulhu or I don't know some H.R. Geiger some drawing or something, but it it had a familiarity uh, to it that I couldn't quite place. But it again yeah. stood out. The imagery of it, the animation of it, it was just so so top notch. So she's terrified. She sees him yeah. and she doesn't know who he he is, and he says. It's me, Christine. And and that was when he does when he says, It's me, Christine. And then two seconds later, there's another E Christine. And then there's another me, Christine. Yeah. It's like, what? And she I mean, th- this is scary. Like, this is scary yeah. when you see him and then you see her, and she is like wants nothing to do with him. She's backing away. Yeah. Oh my God, what's happening? What's happening? And his the voice nightmare. is like his his voice is very like like a scream voice almost it's you know it sounds so robotic i brought you back i saved you no and she's can't believe this this isn't real this isn't real this is a nightmare no no now keep in mind he brought her back into this world that is about to (laughs) get destroyed (laughs) <laughs> he, he brought it's her back into a world that is completely disintegrating around her. So at the, the moment, she is complete, but the world around them is literally crumbling and about to end because of because he completed this. That was like the final nail in the coffin of ending this universe. And so, I mean, she just got brought back to life. The first thing she sees when she opens her eyes is this. Like hellacious creature claiming to be the guy that she loved, and then she looks around, and everything around her is like fire and brimstone and black goo all over the place. Literally, things are evaporating in her eyes. She is freaking terrified. Yeah, and rightfully so. I mean, wouldn't you be if you were just like your <laughs> last memory is driving? You're yeah. just driving with with uh, your your loved one. Uh, and all of a sudden maybe there's a car accident and everything goes black and then you're, you're in the middle of hell literally. And your, your, your loved one is now a demon who's hovering over you as the world falls apart around you. Uh, the, the shock and terror of that moment, uh, is unimaginable. And I'm, I'm reminded, I guess, of the point you made about the trope here of the, you know, women suffering, uh, as, as a kind of a plot point and a, and a tool, uh, for the storytelling and uh, and the journey of a male character, um, and maybe they have a point to that. I, I don't know. I don't really see it that way, but it's you. You could argue it, I guess. I suppose someone, especially in this moment, might argue that you know, that we're like torturing this this character here. 
but it's it makes for a very impactful moment. It's immediately clear that he's he did the wrong thing, <laughs> not just the wrong thing, like maybe the worst thing ever. Uh, and yeah, and it, it it's just a it's a literal nightmare. She says it that way. Uh, yep. And um, like, what do you do at this point? He was stubborn. He uh, and I, I guess he just didn't. At the end of the day, he was stubborn in that he didn't believe what everyone was saying then. I guess he just didn't believe it was true that the world was going to end. But it, it's immediately apparent right after he does it that it's going to end. So he's like, oh, shit. Well, he would have never, this is he would have never thought that she wouldn't have wanted to see him. That That is right. What, is, that was, this was never a thought that would have crossed his mind that well, oh, like the I, enchantment. Right? I'm gonna be it's, so, it's so different from that. Oh, I'm going to be so disfigured at this point and the world's going to be such right. chaos that she's not even going to want anything to do with me. Like he that's never in his train of thought whatsoever. He, he's always he's so delusional in thinking yeah. that when she comes back, we're just going to be able to flip a switch and everything's going to go yeah. back to normal. That's never yeah, going to eat creme brulee and then yeah. and chill. That'll that's yeah. never the case. You, you like you can't ever do that. You know, it just it never ever works. And um, you you said she screams. This is a nightmare. And even as she is starting to disintegrate right there, like you'll see it on like her hands and stuff starting to to kind of melt yeah. away. He says, "No, oh no, I can fix this." And and she is. Just terrified again There's like demon, there's creature There's all sorts of weird stuff all over the place She's running, she says Get away, don't touch me Uh, uh, Christine No, no And And then there's a moment where She actually is so scared At what's going on That she kind of like looks to him To to help her again Like it, yeah. It's like the last moment where she Realizes like Oh, I I'm about to to go again. Where am I? Yeah. I'm in hell. She kind of, you know, they're together, and she says, "Stephen, no, Stephen, what is going on?" And and you know, she's right there in his arms, and she's about to go. She's about to die. She's this entire world is ending, and Doctor Strange is finally the deranged Strange has finally. Figured it out as he pleads And he begs with the watcher He's on his knees and he looks And he says you you can stop This please Fix this and the watcher kind of Snarks back the same way you fixed Christine deranged Doctor says well what I was I was wrong but The watcher doesn't you know it's not like Sometimes your parents I'm sorry I was Wrong and then that's okay you can move on you know Punished nope that's not the case here You were warned and again, Doctor Strange is pleading with him. I know, but the world shouldn't pay for my arrogance. I read about you. I sensed your presence. You're a god. You can undo this. The Watcher jumps in. I'm not a god, and neither are you. Then punish me, not the world, not Christine. And this is where we, again, get a little bit of a sense of the Watcher. Honestly, if I could fix this, if I could punish you instead, I would. But I can't interfere. You more than anyone else should understand that meddling with time and events only leads to more destruction. And he says, no, no. And the world is just gone. It just like disappears. It's just nothing. There's just nothingness. And he's. It collapses like to a singularity kind of. Yeah. I love that the imagery of that. It's like a reverse Big Bang. 
and he sits there and says, I, I didn't mean for this to happen. And as he sees Christine there, he kind of screams, Christine, no. And she's laying in his arms and he says, I'm sorry. And she says, Stephen, what did you do? And no, no, no. And he's crying and he's crying and he says, I'm sorry. I am so, so sorry. The last thing we see is Doctor Strange alone and sad as the Watcher says, one life, one choice, one moment can destroy the entire universe. <laughs> wow. What? I mean, that was, what a dour ending. What a crazy <laughs> ending. We don't get any yeah. happy, uplifting, any like post credit scene that makes you think that, you know, get excited. Like this was, and I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. it because you, you don't do, you don't see this. You don't see, you, you know, predictable isn't always bad, but when you can tell everything that's going to happen in a story before it always happens, sometimes it's not quite as fun mm-hmm. for to be on this, to be along with that story. Yeah. I, watching this episode. When the when the good version of Doctor Strange starts to battle with the deranged version, I mean, you, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, obviously the good one's gonna win, you know, and then this will yeah. it'll set it'll finish it'll close up this episode and maybe leave a little bit of a cliffhanger, um, you know, tease us for something moving forward. But I in no way, shape, or form thought we would get an episode like this immediately following yeah. an episode where a lot of the main Avengers were killed. I, this yeah. is. Great. I the approach was different. I got all the feels in this episode. I I, I really loved really? it. Really? Yeah, same, same. Uh and I felt that uh, the ending like a, a kick to the gut, man. It was uh uh it was really sad. And you know, I like that they didn't try to turn it around or give us, you know, a, a rosy ending, uh you know, tie it all in a bow. Uh they just they That's ended it. They said, okay, is. we can just we can destroy yeah. this whole universe. The whole, you know, we kind of know on some levels that scientists believe the universe has an end. You know, at least our galaxy has an end. The universe will somehow end at some point. Uh, we don't understand that immensely. I, I certainly don't. But yeah, that that makes sense that they they would show that here. And uh, it kind of reminds me of it's reminiscent of uh, Twilight Zone. You know, Twilight Zone would have the balls to do that. That where they would do stories that end on really down, you know, dramatic, dramatically ironic moments uh, that were, that were sometimes very dark, very dark and very sad. Game of Thrones um, did it too. Yeah. Game they were of one Thrones, of the first absolutely. With, with Ned Stark right off the bat. Oh, and like, certainly. With who they were willing to ax to tell the story. Like they didn't care about a story being, you know, rosy or, or, yeah. you know, at all. Um, and and that's, that's why it was so good. It is. Yeah. It's so because it's so stakes. the moment the stakes are so high, right? Mm-hmm. And that like you said, we know sometimes we're watching Iron Man, like, okay, Robert Downey Jr. is not gonna die. You know, we right. we don't think you know, we we can get that. But um mm-hmm. you you in these new shows and stuff moving forward, new movies and stuff moving forward, we don't really know as much. And in a show like this. We we have no clue what each episode is. We didn't even know if if they were all going to be individual stories. And now I'm really right. getting the sense and the feeling that they're actually going to tie together, like at, yeah, at the end, in some way, where we're going to get all yeah. of these characters coming together for a sort of you know end game Infinity War ish mm-hmm. battles. You know? Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of that, and I I definitely uh, I love that balance that they create uh, with you know telling individual. 
stories um, in an anthology format, but tying it all together. I'm working on a project right now that kind of does a similar thing. It has nothing else in common with it, uh, but I'm writing a little something with some friends uh, that's an anthology series that also kind of ties together. And I think it's really cool when stories can do that. Uh, it's just a fun little added icing on the cake, I, I think, uh, as, as a viewer there. Um, but man, this uh, this episode, yeah. it really it really got to me. I, I got to say, it, it uh, I, I said earlier, I made, I think, maybe a mistake of staying up late to watch it because it was just so heavy to sit with there. You but can't I, just you know go what? to sleep afterwards. It. No, no, you're like, was, you're going to sit there and like, was, you're going to put on, um, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something to like make right, it right. Minute, you know, like palate after. cleanser. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, certainly. Yeah, I, I, I agree with right off the bat too. I um I, I was into it and just I, mm-hmm. I just enjoyed so so much of this and I'm really looking forward to what comes next. Um I yeah. I think we got most of it in the in the intro and, and what we hit. Is there anything else uh, on this particular episode you want to hit on before we get out of here? I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but man, yeah, I just think they're getting better and better. And uh, this one, I I had like, I can't really think of a complaint. Uh, And again, I feel like I'm almost, I keep going back to battering the first episode undeservedly probably, but you know, there, I had a a handful of complaints there and those specific complaints from that I had from that episode, I've been looking for in these next ones and And I've seen less and less of it. Yeah. Even like janky animation stuff. Uh, that I might have noticed in uh, the first two episodes, I haven't noticed anything that didn't look pretty damn flawless for the animation. So I even wonder if the production on these was going up until very recently, and maybe they had to cut some of the stuff short on the earlier ones. I don't know. I'm just speculating at that point. But, no, there's a there's a uh, noticeable difference, ahead. or maybe it's even just the importance of these events in these later episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as like right. how how they're going to. Impact the movies and stuff moving forward Hey we want to make sure that we hit The nail on this monster or this Look of that because we're gonna have to bring That into live action soon So we want to really hit it you know versus You know something that happened in the Like the retelling of the the Captain America you know Who knows how much of that will be in live stuff In the next I don't know how much Of that will be in Doctor Strange or Spider-Man Or you know the things directly Ahead so maybe This at the moment was we got to make sure we nail these and we hit a, a, a huge home run. And man, I really, I really feel like they did. And I'm, I am re- extremely pumped moving forward. Now you and I are recording this on Sunday or Saturday. Wait, no Saturday, the 4th Saturday. Of, uh, of September mm-hmm. and uh, Shang-Chi just came out. I haven't spoken to you. Have you seen it yet? I have not. I have not. No, yeah, I'm, so I'm looking forward maybe to seeing it ASAP. I was going to say, maybe we could talk after this and see what our schedules are like coming up and if we can work something yeah. out, great. If not, um, whether we go see it together or not, in the next week or two, um, Tim and I will figure out a time where we can uh, where we can talk about yeah. Shang-Chi too and put a recap out there for you. So what's nice about some of the movies is we don't have to necessarily do it tomorrow because – Shang-Chi 2 isn't coming out next week You know, it's not like we. I want to make sure we get this episode done Before the next episode comes out So we have a little bit more of a, right. a time To get that one done But but, folks, if you're a fan of the recaps And the deep dives we do We will definitely get into that too um, With Shang-Chi And uh, I definitely, I'm really excited about that I, I've heard a lot of great stuff And same thing, I haven't wanted to look too much into Stories or stuff I don't even want to click on mm-hmm. things Because I don't want to see any spoilers Or have anything ruined for me But just yeah. hearing and um, 
sensing the the feedback from everything yeah. that I've kind of got. It seems really good. The buzz is solid for this one. I think I saw a screenshot somebody posted on Twitter of somewhere in the high 90s on Rotten Tomatoes for both critics and audience score. Hey, I don't great. know where it's sitting right now, but that got me really pumped. I'm really stoked to see a, a new just movie in, in the theaters. Uh, I've only seen A Quiet Place Part 2 since uh, since I, uh, the, the, the pandemic, basically. So I'm excited to get back in there, see proper MCU. I would have liked to see uh, Black Widow in that format, too. Um, I haven't so seen it, a movie be... since Milo was born. <laughs> like, the last movie I saw was, it's like, was, was Stephanie and I saw when, when we, like, were starting dating. I'm not, I, I can't right. even, you know, and so, and, you know, they made it very easy for us last year with HBO Max and Disney Plus releasing right. a lot of the things. And obviously with the pandemic and everything, the, the theaters were closed for a while. But, yeah, this will be, yeah. this would be a really cool one to have a return to the theater experience for and uh, yeah, we'll have to touch base and see if we can uh, we can link up. But uh, either way, we will we will hit up uh, a Shang Chi recap review deep dive for uh, for everybody in the next few weeks. But very soon we'll have What If episode five. TK, buddy, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. No, it's a uh, Labor Day weekend. A lot of people have uh, plans and family stuff and travel. So thank you for always being so flexible and always uh, taking some time out, man. My pleasure. Uh, it's a blast uh, talking these. MCU properties with you uh, every week And I'm excited to see what uh, Episode 5 has in store I actually have no idea what it's about uh, And I, I'm, I'm stoked because they've Established that we don't that Anything can happen, that's that's what they've established Anything can happen, anybody can die, anybody can show up uh, And uh, that's What I'm excited about, so Very cool that the MCU is so Alive and so strong after being so Deep into so many projects And so beyond the point where I was Worried about maybe that they were going to Run out of ideas It doesn't yep. seem to be the case uh, And I'm I'm excited for the next steps Doctor Strange is going to get weird That movie man The multiverse yeah. <laughs> of madness If it's anything yeah. like what we just saw here Things are going to get crazy And I am all for yeah. that ride uh, Make sure to give TK a follow At Tim is not funny On Twitter and on Instagram You can check out the music project Ice Cream Fire Anywhere uh, you get your, uh, your music downloads uh, Anything else TK before we let you go? No, that's it. Just everybody have a great Labor Day weekend and uh, stay safe out there. Thanks so much, buddy. Uh, always uh, one of my favorite parts of my week uh, was our conversations here. There aren't, there are some really good recaps, and Tim and I listen to some of them. We reference some of them. I watch some of them. The yeah. ones on YouTube a lot of the times, like new rock stars and emergency, mm-hmm. awesome, and they do great stuff because they yeah. they get the footage, you know, so they're actually able to show you footage where they can mm-hmm. show you the scenes and stuff, and they'll put out nice. 20 minute or 30 minute recaps but I don't know how many you will find That will go for two hours about a 30 Minute episode so (laughs) we'll give You the quality and the quantity and You'll get like really inside of our brains And and how we react and like how We're feeling when we watch these episodes so Thank you so much buddy have a great one and I look Forward to talking to you next week thank you take Care do not go anywhere folks still plenty More on that's what G said Big thanks to TK for helping us out Tim Kelly, always going to be here with us When we have uh, something important to talk about A new episode, a new show, a new movie In the world of the MCU And we will transition on over and talk a little wrestling Before we do, want to let you know about Full service realtor Cindy Carava One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast Now as a full service realtor She can help you out in many different ways Like buying, selling, leasing 
if you just want to improve your home a little bit, she can connect you with the right kind of vendors that you need, like a gardener, landscaper, painter, people that she's used in her own home and she knows very well. Maybe you need help on the uh, loan side, getting pre-approved for a home loan. She'll connect you with the right kind of lenders that'll make things very easy for you. And Cindy, in just the most basic sense, is the kindest and most genuine person you'll ever meet. She's so honest. She's very, very straightforward with you. And she's just plain nice. She's not someone that's going to bother you having to deal with all the time. She's going to take care of a lot of stuff. She's going to make your life easier. That's what you want with the process of relocating, moving. Heck, she'll even help you if you just want to find a, how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. Her website is cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, cindycarava.com. You can check out all of her listings there, some of the current projects she has out, some of the former stuff that she's done. There are testimonials about people she's worked with, reviews about her all over the internet there on Yelp and Zillow. The places that you want to check, cindycarava.com. It was a huge weekend uh, in wrestling for AEW. They had their all-out show, and if you've been paying attention, CM Punk has made his return after seven years. This was a very big night for them because there were going to be a lot of eyeballs on this show, and they had to make sure that they they delivered, and they did. They did. This was a great night for them, and quick look throughout the pay-per-view at some of the things that happened. We got Miro beating Eddie Kingston by pinfall to kick things off. Uh, there was a, a pre-show match. On the uh, the kickoff show, that was just a ten man tag match that the uh, the baby faces end up winning to to get the crowd uh, up early on. But Miro beats Eddie Kingston, and it looks like they're going to continue with that because remember they have their big show in New York coming up in a few weeks. We're going to get into all this even more, like always, in our wrestling with Chad Cooper segment later in the week. I just wanted to touch base on uh, this show a little bit because it was a uh, there's a lot of news coming out of it. The Moxley Kojima match didn't do a whole lot for me. Um, in, in Moxie's kind of in a floating in a weird like no man's land right now, so I'm you know I'm not quite sure um, where they're gonna go next with him. He continues to call out, you know, Suzuki comes out after, which is really cool, and they're gonna get this match on Wednesday. So more people know Suzuki than Kojima. Perhaps this is all leading to Tanahashi coming in. I think that would would be where everybody would like this to go. Britt Baker looked excellent in the ring. And Chris Statlander is much improved here. This is one of Britt's better matches. I thought the two ladies did a did a really good work in the AEW Women's World Championship match. And like always, you get a huge response for Britt. Match of the night to me was Lucha Brothers defeating the Young Bucks. From a pure match standpoint, this was incredible. Now there people do nitpick at the end because in some of these matches, like in AEW or in like PWG and some of the independents, you basically have to get shot to to get pinned. Like some of these guys, it's amazing the things that they kick out of. And so you really have to suspend your disbelief there to be like, really? That didn't put him out? But in just a whoa, back and forth and action and uh, one of the matches of the year so far. If you want to say this is the match of the year so far, I wouldn't disagree with you. I wouldn't. Everybody's got slightly different things that they look for in a, in matches, but the work in this match was, whew, that was just great. Great stuff. As you would imagine, it's in a cage, so you get in some huge spots. At one point, the Young Bucks had um, a their their you know their Jordans on the bottom of the Jordans. They had thumbtacks lined on the bottom of them, and they used the the they put the shoe on and were kicking the Lucha Brothers in the face, and they're bleeding all over the face. It was it was intense. It was fast. It didn't stop. Now, my only gripe with this was 
there really wasn't any build to it. We saw the heels, the Young Bucks and the Elite attack their opponents in the cage on Friday, but they hadn't been building to this over a few weeks. They just figured out who the number one contenders were a couple weeks ago. Not And so I would have liked to see a little bit more build, maybe a couple angles in, in the weeks leading up, but that's, that's getting nitpicky. Um, and that's just what I would have... And that's mainly because it didn't feel like it was necessarily the right time for the Young Bucks to lose. That being said, the match is incredible. Like, as itself on a standalone, I just wonder where they're going forward with them because they didn't get the build that you felt like they were going to take the titles from them. Felt like, you know, like Moxley and Kingston could have before. Maybe Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus felt even more built like the team that would do it. Heck, the way Santana and Ortiz have been recently, a lot of people think they're going to win the tag titles in New York in a few weeks. I, I sort of thought that the Young Bucks might hold on to them, and then over the next few weeks, they would start a feud there and build that up. But, hey, for the most part, AEW does a really good job of, um, even if you don't kind of know where they're going, they do a pretty good job of either fixing a problem or um, just, there's not a whole lot of bad. Some things you think could be better, but there's not a lot of things that were that were that that are just, oh, that's terrible. So we'll see where they go next in the tag team division. The Women's Battle Royal, the 21 Women Casino Battle Royal, was not very star-studded until the the debut of Ruby Soho. And that really saved this particular match. And it wasn't like a secret. A lot of people knew Ruby was going to show up. But Ruby felt like a star. And you could tell she was excited. I've announced Ruby in person when she was Heidi Lovelace years before she went to the WWE and NXT. And she is a star. She's excellent in the ring. She's got that it. People love her. And this was the... I mean, this had to be the biggest moment of her career with that kind of a crowd and that kind of people chanting your name and so excited for you. She was excited for the win. Now, here's my concern with this moving forward. Ruby wins this. She gets a future AEW Women's World Championship match. I don't... Ruby shouldn't lose yet. She comes in and she is right now the second biggest star in the women's division behind only Britt. Britt is a star. So these two are a big match. Do you want to go immediately to that when one of them losing is probably not the best thing to do. Now, what I could see is Ruby, Britt have a match. Match is going well. And then Jade Cargill comes out and interferes, attacks Ruby. And then Jade and Ruby have a feud for a little while. And that sends Britt somewhere else. And then they come back to each other in a while. I could see that happening. Or it doesn't have to be Jade. It's some somebody comes out, attacks Ruby, and and that is the focus of Ruby for a little while. So Ruby doesn't lose clean. She doesn't get pinned clean. Britt doesn't have to lose. And neither one of them feel less important. That's where I would go. And that's kind of hoping where uh, hoping where they go. We got Jericho MJF. Jericho ends up winning this match. After it looked like he lost and they restarted it, I saw some people out there. This was very sort of WWE. This was Dusty too, right? A Dusty finish where you, where you restart the match afterwards to to make sure the fans, you know, get what they want here. Didn't feel like this was going to be Jericho's last ever match, but they did. They did make you think when they would say things like his last ever match in AEW, or hey, Jericho might go to the commentary table after. So they made you think that, yeah, maybe we don't just see him in the ring for a while, or they could do this, but I. The match was fine. MJF does some great heel work. All these matches between the guys have been good. We've seen a lot of them now. And I don't get the sense that they're done. That's the only thing. Is I, I'm kind of ready for these two to go separate ways and to, to move on to something else. But I don't... 
you know, this was the match where Jericho's career is on the line. Is MJF going to win another match afterwards where it wasn't career on the line just to kind of get the final stamp and, and say, I beat you at the end, even though MJF's already won three times? I don't know if he needs that, but there's something that feels a little bit, just a little bit off about everything and that he's won all those times, but Jericho got the match to kind of save his career. Do they continue on? Do they go in different directions? And then it's uh, CM Punk versus Darby Allin. And I gotta say, this was a little disappointing to me. And and not in that I didn't expect CM Punk to have a five-star match and go 30 minutes. But the, the style they chose to wrestle here was very strange. In that you only have one opportunity at your first match back in seven years. Your return match. I would have thought that it's either CM Punk against someone who we know he's going to win for sure. Someone who he's definitely at a level above and is a heel. Punk is the babyface, and you can have a little heel face dynamic there. Punk gets the win, crowd's happy. What was interesting about this match is it was good. It's not a bad match at all, but it sort of felt like Darby Allen was having to hold back a little bit and not go full Darby Allen and do the kind of things that we've seen him do. And so that's why I don't know if this was the greatest choice for Punk because, duh, he is going to need to build himself back up. He is going to need a few matches before he he probably has the win to go 30 against some of these guys that are in phenomenal shape right now. That's why I wasn't sure it was the greatest choice. And, of course, you're in Chicago. You're in CM Punk land. The crowd was going to be nuts for him when he comes out. And then even when the match started, it felt like there were moments where the crowd was a little quiet. Not bad or booing or anything like that, but just... I kind of assumed that this was a crowd that was not going to stop chanting CM Punk in the 15 to 20 minutes that his match was. But it was very, you know, Matt wrestling. There was a little nod at the beginning to the the Bret Hart 1-2-3 kid, a match that they had. And a little move that, that Darby does at the beginning, like, like a little arm drag there. And CM Punk does a little smile, a little smirk like Bret did. So I didn't hate the match or think it was bad. I just didn't, I didn't love the choice for his first match back. Now, if you... This was his fifth match back or whatever, then completely different. But in his first choice back, he just felt very safe. Um, and maybe that was the, the game plan there. But the one thing I do feel is, especially with who came in, at you have Suzuki who comes in, you've got Ruby that comes in, and we're going to talk in a minute about the two debuts in the end of the main event. Punk sort of feels, I'm not, I'm not like, a little old news-ish. Like, it's like, wow, that was only a week or two ago? It feels like it was a lot longer ago that Punk has been back. And that's because things move quick, and AEW does pile a lot of things on their show, but what I I want to make sure that... and, and I'm, Look, they're, they're smart, they know, and Punk knows, and Tony Khan knows, I'm sure all, they all know. But you want to... You, Punk's going to come back, he's going to be a babyface. Everybody's going to cheer him right away. So you don't want to come back and be a, an ass and a heel right off the bat. But happy guy CM Punk is not CM Punk. If he was generic babyface smiling, just happy to be here guy, he would have never gotten over like a major, a major star. And from a pure wrestling standpoint, in the t- in the seven years since he's left, the the floor for what is good wrestling has raised quite a bit. You turn on every show, even if you don't like Monday Night Raw, there's very good wrestling there. A lot of times it's a rematch from the same thing that we've seen over and over, but they have very good matches really on all wrestling across TV. NXT generally has really good stuff. SmackDown has really good stuff. AEW has really good stuff. You can find good matches on their Dark and Elevation. You can find good matches on Ring of Honor, on Impact, New Japan. It's not like it used to be where 
You didn't get that kind of level of wrestling As much in WWE as you do elsewhere Everywhere else Everywhere you still get pretty good wrestling And so Punk being a good wrestler Won't stand out as much now as it used to In somewhere like WWE Where he was a smaller guy That could move and that could do You know, was willing to do unique things And try different styles when other people weren't That won't stand out as much here In AEW Because look around, everybody can go It's funny on the night that was sort of built around Punk And I'm sure they're going to get huge Massive pay-per-view buy rates and everything I thought that he was one of the more disappointing things on the show Not the reaction to him, not the response He's going to be a star where he goes I just, something didn't click All with me with this It just didn't, you know, it felt like a Like a B-, minus, you know B-, minus, C+, plus, like Nothing horrible, but just Nothing amazing Nothing that I was You know, stopping the world to go see Hell, I thought the Lut- I liked the Lucha Brothers match a lot more. I was more impressed with the women's match in just that I probably wasn't expecting quite as much. I thought they did really, really well there. And then the the main event is solid. I mean, we had Paul White beating QT Marshall. I still don't know why this was on the show. It only went three minutes. It was it was a squash here. It was they needed a cool down match in between, like after Punk, which was another thing that was surprising that Punk wasn't the main event. But now we kind of find out why Punk wasn't the main event after Paul White beats QT Marshall. Kenny Omega has his match with Christian And it's a good match It goes over 21 minutes Kenny gets the win The The match to me was good But I actually preferred their Rampage one From a few weeks ago a little bit more I did love the the finishing spot though The one winged angel off the top rope that, that, that was really cool Then after the match The elite are celebrating All the heels are out there The young bucks with Kenny They're all trash talking We're the greatest And they're you know attacking uh, Christian even more And Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus come out And they attack them and, and they leave them You know laying on the floor And Kenny says I'm the greatest uh, Nobody can beat me And then boom here comes Adam Cole Baby a big surprise Adam Cole shows up Nobody knows is he going to attack Kenny What's he going to do And then they smile and he he super kicks Jungle Boy and they all hug and you think we're really not going to be friends This is one of our best friends And so Adam Cole is back with the Elite It looks like the heels are all going to stand tall And they're about to go off the air And here comes Daniel Bryan So not only did they debut Adam Cole Then they debuted Daniel Bryan right after that I, uh, As far as a buzzworthy night And stealing headlines And getting a lot of people to talk about you And and it being like a memorable show That people will never forget I think they checked all those boxes My concern is You played a lot of your big cards You probably have one or two more But those were the biggest ones Uh, Rumors that Bray Wyatt could be coming in He's definitely someone of interest Who knows Braun Strowman was one that was also mentioned He could be Someone that would be But do you think either one of them Even moves the needle as much as Daniel Bryan or Punk does Because I don't And so you 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 fired all your big shots now Now you gotta worry about building up stuff Over the next couple months It's what are you going to do next That you have all these stars You just brought in Malachi Black Andrade CM Punk Christian Daniel Bryan And Adam Cole There's only three hours of TV time Now you brought all of them in and you already had a pretty nice roster before that With the likes of the Elite With Kenny and the Bucks With Jericho With MJF With you know some of the tag team Really good tag teams FTR, Santana and Ortiz And then for me What makes AEW And it was always made AEW different and unique Is Sammy Guevara MJF Jungle Boy 
and Darby. Those kind of four young pillars to me of their company. Those guys better be on TV and mixing and matching with these veterans and they better be getting big big storylines and big moments because if they're not, you know, we're going to see people that start to the same thing's going to happen in AEW that happened in WWE. It's going to feel like they have too much talent, not enough TV time. People are going to get frustrated because they're going to feel like there were promises made to them that weren't kept. Huge night for AEW. They stole a lot of the headlines. Everybody that was talking wrestling was talking about AEW last night, and everyone's excited to see. This should be their biggest night of TV now coming up. They should hit the 1.4, 1.5 million mark after all the big news, after the big debuts this past weekend. Uh, this, this should be their biggest TV ever, because even after Punk showed up, the next week, the ratings went down a little bit. Now you got Punk, Daniel Bryan, Cole, they're all there. Everybody's curious. Ruby just showed up too. What's happening next? Suzuki's going to have a match with Moxley on Wednesday. This should be a big one for them. AEW All Out was a major success for AEW. Now it's time for the old wrestling rewatch. We head to WCW 1997. We're going to get into Starcade. Hulk Hogan versus Sting, NWO, Sting trying to save the belt, bring it back to WCW. He had been playing that Crow character in the rafters. He hadn't wrestled in 16 months. This had been a match, I think that was like in 18 months in the making. Sting versus Hogan, and it was awful. This whole pay-per-view was bad, and these are some of the most fun ones to discuss. Andrew Champagne joins for the old wrestling rewatch. This week, the old wrestling rewatch is going to head to WCW for Starcade 1997. And I got to say, in some uh, interactions with the Andrew before recording this show, this might be the worst pay-per-view we've had to record. It's just so bad. And it's such a bummer because this was supposed to be, you know, with, with all the hyperbole of Tony Schiavone, this was supposed to be the biggest match in the history of this company and it was an absolute dud there are few things on this card that are good that are interesting we're gonna have fun talking about it not because it's a great card because it is like a wrestle crap kind of card andrew champagne joins me to discuss one of the most infamous matches in history and it's not the worst worst match of all time when we're talking about sting and hogan but the build-up to it and, and the execution just made no sense on a night of things that didn't make a whole lot of sense. So, to give you the first of many looks behind the curtain. Now, there's going to be some looks behind the curtain that we'll talk about on the WCW Starcade 1997 show. But I'm going to kick things off with a look behind the curtain at things that are going on as we're recording. So... If you followed my Twitter earlier this week, we're recording this on Tuesday, so I'm assuming you're going to be listening to this, oh, Thursday or Friday or, or something like that. You know that I have been in the of a legitimately horrible series of events with Grubhub and the Lazy Dog Cafe here in Concord, California. Now, as a result, you are getting a very rare appearance of Hangry Andrew on this show. Now, mind you, I was already angry for having to relive Starcade 1997. I remember as a young boy watching Starcade 1997 with my father. And I remember being a big WCW guy, being a big Sting guy, being so happy that Sting was finally going to wrestle again after a year and a half of being outside the ring. 
This was the easiest thing in the history of the world to book. Sting comes out, destroys Hulk Hogan for five minutes, destroys part of the NWO, puts Hulk Hogan in the Scorpion Deathlock, wins the title, confetti rains down, WCW comes out, big celebration, NWO is reeling, and instead of doing that, instead of converting the layup that was given to them by the way this angle played out, WCW did some of the most harebrained shit in the history of professional wrestling, and they did it for no good reason. You know how you doing, buddy? That's a good rant, and you're you're right. You're very right. And uh, the Lazy Dog Cafe is going to get some uh, angry letters from myself too, as well. There as will gr- be a strongly <laughs> worded letter in their future. Um, this this was. Um, you know, when a lot of people talk about the downfall and what what was their one thing or a lot of the little things that uh, ended up being the, you know, the nail in the coffin of WCW, we recorded a a recap of, of one of those things that happened, you know, almost a year later. But this was the start. This this right here, because this was when they were as hot as can be. This this pay-per-view we're talking about was the most Purchased pay-per-view in the history of WCW I remember Feeling like this was such A big deal sometimes you You get lucky you kind of Back into stories that that Get life right if You would have tried to make this story Bigger at the beginning who Knows if it would have worked there were a few People this could have been could have been Ric Flair Could have been Sting no not many You needed somebody that was a WCW Savior kind of guy To go against the NWO to go against Hogan and Sting was always that baby face. This is, it was perfect. Everything about it leading up to this match. And then every single thing about this show from the very beginning of the night, everything was just doomed. You could just, there were so many things, including, you know, why don't we get a video package? (laughs) We don't get a video package before the main event. With, yeah, and it's with not the, like they didn't have time either. Like this was a show that was two hours and three minutes, no commercials, nothing like that. That you're telling me they couldn't have put together a two or three minute video package. Now, one thing I will say is, at the very least, the show open wasn't bad. No the problem is there was nothing between the semi-main event of Eric Bischoff against Larry Zabisco which we're going to have so much fun dissecting because who in their right mind wanted that match? I know. No one. No one. And then we go straight from that, whatever the hell that was, to Hogan coming out. And instead of coming out like the terrified Hulk Hogan who knows he's about to get his comeuppance from the guy he's been ducking for more than a year, we get Hogan coming out, playing the belt like it's a guitar, talking to Nick Patrick, and we'll talk a little bit about that conversation when we get there, and we get something that just did not fit at all whatsoever, and there were moments in this show where, let's see, it was Starcade 97, so it was December of 1997, so I wasn't even 10 years old yet at this, and there were moments where nine-year-old Andrew looked at the screen and said, Dad, why are they doing that? This doesn't make sense, or there's something weird here. This doesn't pass the smell test with a a nine-year-old kid. From a kid. kid. 
And I'm I was no prodigy you either. I know. I was no, I was no genius. Okay. Oh, and we're not I'm smart. S- we're not smart marks at this time. Reading the internet, knowing the rumors, knowing what's going to happen. We are kids at this point that go along for the story. We're being told. We're the perfect like patrons of the wrestling. You know, for a wrestling fan at this point, tell us to cheer the good guys. We will. Tell us to boo the bad guys. We will. But we looked at this and. And even, like you said, we're nine, we're ten years old, and it going. This doesn't add up. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Wait, this wasn't no. what, what what was supposed to happen. No, no, it was not. And it felt that way all the way down the card. There are two what I would call decent matches on this show. At there's eight. the opener. Yep. Yeah, there's the opener with Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. That is a good match. But we're grading on a curve with those guys, and we'll go into why we thought that match was a little bit disappointing. There was also a match that I thought got a little bit better with time in DDP against Kurt Hennig. That's a decent match, and it fit on the card. Gino, everything else, my God. At best, it was house show quality. At worst, it was this never should have made any high-quality wrestling show at all, ever. Really bad, and... Almost every match throughout the night had something weird be- behind it. Like you're saying, behind the scenes. For, for example, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko. Malenko, Malenko wasn't supposed to be on this show. His wife, they, they talk about it. She literally had a kid two days before this. And the only reason why he is on this show is because they started looking at the card. And they had four or five matches that were, that were uh, booked. That they had to give to the pay-per-view providers That weren't going to be on the show So they got really nervous saying Uh oh we provided all these matches We we you know promoted all these matches And not even half of them are going to be on this card So they turn around and they call Malenko And say we got to charter a flight over Get you here for this match We'll fly you there we'll fly you right back You won't have to be around for a whole lot But we have to get you here to wrestle this match So you could imagine that he's probably not At his sharpest physically Or quite mentally where he's probably going Really? Like everybody else is just off this card for what reason? And I have a legitimate, like a, the birth of a child and I have to come back for this. So that's, yeah. you know, like that's a brutal way to start. We got the back, you know, like the Randy Savage stuff. He's not supposed to be in that tag match. It's supposed to be Raven, not Perry Saturn. DDP versus Kurt Henning was supposed to be Flair versus Kurt Henning. They end up changing that a few days out storyline wise. At least it made sense because they did it on TV. And I, you got Bret Hart, who is like you talk about a great storyline with Sting and Hogan. You've got another one with this guy who just got scorned from a company. You could do a million things with him. You have him be a special guest ref, and you put him in this stupid, convoluted storyline where where Hogan obviously sabotaged it. We don't even get Giant Nash, which was one of the heavy like promoted matches on this show. No, 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 no. The one thing I will say there. Kevin Nash was dealing with a very he, and serious he did. problem. No, no, no. That in which he he was, and they didn't. They actually, when you hear Eric Bischoff talk about it, they sort of thought that he was BSing that night because he was. Oh, there's was, there's very logical reasons to think that. Now, yeah. this is probably about the time where we need to hit the pause button because I believe I believe my food may actually be here. There we go. So you know go what get you there. need to do. You know what you need to do. You need to put in like the please stand by music. So that Okay, we're back. We have to check in and see how the Lazy Dog Grilled Cheese experience for Andrew was. Andrew, uh, I believe it was uh, Henrique 
How did everything go? Okay, so first of all, credit to, I don't know if it's pronounced Henrique or Henrique, whatever, but he did more to apologize to than either official brand involved in this saga ever did. <laughs> so if for some reason he's listening to this, points to you, my friend, you're okay in my book. As far as Lazy Dog, however, predictably after a two-hour saga where the food may have been cooked two hours ago or 20 minutes ago, it was ice cold when it got here. So my microwave got put to good use and I just, you know, feel horribly abused and like I need either a drink or a cigarette at this point. But you're, you, what you're doing here is um, what do they call it? Um when you're uh, when you're acting, you know, and you're you have to immerse yourself in something so you can method fully acting. the method, method acting, acting, right? That's what you're doing here. This show was so bad, you had to put yourself in the right state of mind. You had and to. You know get- what I'm gonna do? You know what I'm gonna do? <laughs> Just to you know, bring us back to the pro wrestling theme, while still using anger that I feel boiling <laughs> inside me. You, <laughs> you know what happens when you order something, it takes two hours to get here, encapsulates two different Grubhub drivers, and genuinely pisses off someone that knows how to cut a promo? Grubhub and Lazy Dog, click the pen, you just made the list! <laughs> and we didn't even get a Chris Jericho sighting He's on not this even show. on this show! He's and not by even the way, by the way, to pick up where you left off with the fact that Dean Malenko had to work the show, you know who's in the audience? Rey Mysterio, Ultimo Dragon, who, by the way, would go over Eddie Guerrero the following evening and render the entire first match of Starcade completely useless. <laughs> Alex Wright is there. Disco Inferno is there. You're telling me they couldn't have just plucked these guys out of the audience and let Dean Malenko be at home with his wife and newborn baby? Come on, people! I know. It was just um, a night to remember. A polarizing show and one that's going to be very interesting to talk about for many of the wrong reasons. We're going to get into this eight-match card that Andrew mentioned. There are two matches on the card that you could say are okay to... Like above average, good or solid matches. I think in two. In fairness, and, and, it's probably three if you count the Voldemort match. Yes, you're right. So, so Benoit and Saturn have a match. We're not going to talk about that, as you know, most of you who've listened to our shows right now know. We usually skip through the Benoit stuff. So that's in the middle, and that match is fine. It's not anything special, but it's supposed to be Raven who comes out, and they do the bait and switch in that match too. So, um, just not. A good card Not a good flow to the card And this was It's crazy to think about This was the number one at the time This is when the WWE Was chasing them At the time WWF Was chasing WCW WCW was getting the better ratings Had the the better show And for all the crap that we are going to Talk about this show I will say that main event match Felt huge even while you're watching the show and you're seeing the crap happening, it's they still keep talking about what a big deal that match is. And you feel like it is all the way up to the moment that Sting walks out. And like you said, Hogan walks out first. And why is he not scared? The only one who comes out of that main event without a total bunch of ass on them is Hogan and he did it on purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing. He sabotaged the thing. So he didn't look like a total buffoon on screen behind the scenes. Everybody that knew the story realized 
Again, you're doing this, Hogan. Again, like really, this is this is what's gonna happen. And I mean, so many little things. Sting had been suspending himself from the the rafters repeatedly, and then he just walks out of this. <laughs> he just walks out from the back here. You know, it's like what? What? It felt so. The moment he starts walking down, it's like okay. Thought there would be a little bit more to this, and then he gets in the ring, and and you know. They do have the stare down and it lo- it feels like okay cool But then they lock up Like why is that like what It should be straight to a beat down There's no lock up moment It could be a, the stare down for a second I'm fine with and then boom Here comes Sting and he goes crazy and that's it It's just everything about the match is backwards It's not paced well It is We'll get into it because if we start talking about that match right now, we probably won't even get into the rest of the show. We could and do the it. rest of the show has more than enough crap to keep us busy. Yep, you're right. We could do a podcast alone on that main event. Let's get into Starcade 1997. And again, I remember that this time exactly. We're we're nine and ten years old, right? It, for me, I'm so invested and interested in everything happening in both WWE and WCW. And think about this for me, I'm the one of the biggest Bret Hart fans ever. So Bret leaves the WWF, I'm devastated. And then he shows on up on WCW. So I'm thinking, great, I'm gonna get the Bret Hart I've always come to know and love. We didn't get even a, a, a shadow of that version of Bret and Can I channel WCW. Wade Barrett here? Yeah, please do. I'm afraid I've got some bad <laughs> news. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here we go. The most important show in in this history of the company, this company that had been around, around for a long time, who had had some of the greatest in, in the sport, Ric Flair, Harley Race, you think about Dusty Rhodes, all the people through the years who had been in, in main events and and how this company had the prestigious with wrestling even through their ups and their downs. And this, of all of those shows, was the one that was supposed to be the biggest. And really it was for, 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 wrong, for the wrong reasons. As uh, it's December the 28th, 1997, and even, even the video package, you know, you get Sting and Hogan at the very beginning – you know, Sting kind of lurking in the shadows tonight. He seeks the ruin of one man. It just we we we've always said, and and you know, WWE does their video packages and stuff unbelievably better than other companies, websites, organizations, sports. Not even just the best of the wrestling companies. So it's hard to compare. But I mean, you'd have seen something better than this, and like from like a TNA, you know, later years where they weren't even ever something that was comparable to WWE. This just didn't have a very big feel for this small little video package that we get here, and then we don't get anything later before the main event. Yeah, there's a um, there's a definite lack of flow to this show, and it certainly seems like WCW is throwing everything it can at a wall and seeing what sticks. And you know what? That's exactly what they were doing. Eric Bischoff had a tremendous idea. In the summer of 1996, when Hall and Nash fell into his lap and Hogan agreed to turn heel, he made a lot of money with that angle. For the most part, at least for the first year, year and a half or so, the angle was booked spectacularly. This was something that had not been in an American company. There had been heel factions. There had obviously been 
Freebirds. There had been the Four Horsemen. There had never been a heel faction like the NWO. And there had never been a vigilante quite like Sting. Think of it this way. Sting, the most visible guy in WCW from the moment he set foot in the company until mid-1996. He was cutting promos every week. He was firing up the little stingers. For the most part, he was having good to very good matches with pretty much everybody. He was pretty much a Bret Hart kind of of their company. Just cons- when you think about consistent, yes. dif- different, different in how who they are in the ring and their character and stuff. But from like a consistency to what they meant from that to that company for him from about ninety to ninety six was pretty comparable to what Bret was over there from late ninety two to to about the same time period. You know. Yep. Now. Mid-96 to the end of 97, Sting does not, not a word. He does not wrestle a match. He does come in and do run-its. He doesn't wrestle. He doesn't speak. And he becomes the biggest face in WCW. Think about that for a minute and think about how hard it is to pull that off. You do that, you better have an endgame. And it became very apparent from the start of this show that there was going to be no clean coronation going on here and it's evident by the fact that yeah you get a deep intro video package and they're constantly talking about this but then you start stuff about a referee you start hearing stuff about what the nwo might be up to. it's emblematic of everything we know about how wcw was being run and when you watch with my gosh 24 years of stories about WCW and Starcade 97 and Sting and the NWO, you'll wonder how could have possibly killed the golden goose that laid the golden egg. They didn't quite do that here, but they did strike a pretty critical blow. They did. This, um, this you know, and this, this show starts with Tony Schiavone with one of his lines that he always would say, this is the biggest night in the history of this grand sport. And you know what? He wasn't wrong going into it. This this was when they when they were talking about you know how big this match was and what it meant. You don't get matches at this time period that were eighteen months in the making. You just didn't get that anymore. This this was a different time period. Now this was the time period of the Monday Night Wars, the instant gratification. Who's going to show up on my TV right now? What kind of great matches can we give away or big? Big moments on free TV to, to pop a rating. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Huh? Right? No, yeah, and and so the 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 fact that they were able to do this, and you were, I think you were setting it up perfectly. So the that point needs to be uh, hit on. This story going in was incredible. This was the best story in wrestling. And when you watch this show, you can't really get the. You, you know, you feel it sometimes where you can sense like, oh, okay, you know, now this match is coming or there are a few things maybe throughout the show that kind of, you know, you, you'll you get excited for it. But it doesn't you, – you wouldn't have been able to tell just watching this show how good the TV was leading up to this and uh, the teases they, ter- they told, the slow burn with Sting. Who, is he an NWO? Is he not? The fake Stings. Whose side is he on? He with Luger and does it's his body and what's going here and he feels shunned by the fans. I mean, there was there was wrinkles to this story that were that were great and that we just didn't see in wrestling. It, it and it was um it's unbelievable that this is how it all went down. The execution here, even though some things you can see on paper 
and maybe give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in your head and go, okay, you know what? That didn't work out, but maybe backstage or when they're talking about it and and you know and, and throwing it out there, that that's something that you could have thought on paper wouldn't have been horrible. There's nothing about this main event match that we get to that makes sense. It just doesn't. That's just not how you end a match and a feud and like the blow off of this 18 months in the making. Um, Shivani gets a setup for the biggest night in history in this grand sport. They uh, they mentioned that there's 20,000 plus. So I think that was a little over exaggerated, but there was close to about 17.5. I, th- I think I read uh, wrestling, so, inflating and attendance. Really? Gee, let me really? show you my big shocked face. We got Tony Schiavone, Mike Tanay, and Dusty Rhodes. No Bobby Heenan. Remember, he was kind of playing that storyline where he was saying he was NWO or he would have gone NWO if they would have won. If if in the Bischoff match tonight, the Bischoff versus Larry Zabisco match, it's for control of Monday Night Raw, uh, Monday Night Nitro. So that's uh, one of the storylines on the show. We didn't even really get too much of like crazy Dusty or or like off the wall Dusty. He's got a few here, but um. In some of the the old uh, WCW shows around this time period, where Dusty was on the uh, on the the in the announce booth, I've had some fun with him because he has some just hilarious things that he'll say that make no sense. Tony Clubberin, Tony Clubberin. <laughs> he didn't he didn't have too many of those tonight, so um, that's a that's a positive. But um, they also announce that Kevin Nash will not be there to face the Giant. They said they're going to get more later. We get looks of a lot of the wrestlers in the audience, as you mentioned. I think we get Rey Mysterio, Harlem Heat, Disco, Hugh Morris, Glacier. I think at one time we get a look at Greg the Hammer. I think Barry Darso is in there. At oh some yeah, point they they too. caught it. Ever Louis Spicoli is somewhere around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we see them all. They even tell us that some of them had to buy tickets to uh, to get into attendance tonight, which is great. And. We get set for the cruiserweight championship match: Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko. Eddie's, you know, playing the heel now, and and this, he he's young in that you know he's always been a great wrestler, no matter what you know what age he was. But he's still kind of forming his character here. He's sort of figuring himself out, like finding his voice is sort of what they'll say. And there, this match is not bad at all. I think I have it at close to three in the three star range. You know, solid above average. From two really really good workers But it just and There are some r- extremely impressive spots Throughout this match right? Some really good ones um, And some good psychology too You can see what they're going for It just kind of felt to me like These two guys gave you like a You know like a nice little gapper That was like a single maybe that you stretched Into a double When When you really know that these two are sort of Home run hitters when it comes to what they can do In the ring you know you give me like A yeah this is probably like a B minus for what these guys can do And it's not bad there was one or two Spots in the match that wasn't the smoothest But I just I wanted more from these two guys Especially on this show it, With what the rest of the show Is um, I, I'm so I'm Probably a little bit harder on this Because I look down at, at, at the, the you know the card and when this match doesn't sort of live up to or exceed your expectations, you know you might be in for a long night with with what you see ahead of you. 
that's that's sort of my overall feel on this match. Again, like not bad. If we're watching it in a in a vacuum, I wouldn't say it's horrible. And if I never had seen these two guys wrestle, I would probably think it was even even better. But I just I know what I, what these two are capable of, and it's just a bummer because yeah, Dean Malenko probably didn't want to get out of a certain gear here, and he still was able to do. A hell of a lot more than you know everybody else on this show and, and most others could But it just we have such high expectations for these two Precisely we're grading these guys on a curve Because we know what they can do We know what they have done And if you're going to watch any Eddie Dean match This one's probably going to be last or close to it on that list I have it as a three star match So I saw it similarly to what you did There were a lot of slow spots where it seemed like they were deliberately not getting out of second gear. And when you've seen these guys go from zero to 60 like an Italian sports car, that's a little bit of a disappointment. Now, there were a couple of really cool spots, uh, and Eddie Head Scissors got countered in one of those gorgeous release power bombs that Malenko did. And Malenko they dropped like not- four or five of those power bombs, and they are tight. That's the cool thing about the you know the cruiserweights when they throw the power bombs around because their torque is a little different than the big guys. They hit them tight, right. like real quick and snap, like sn- almost like the snap suplexes, you know? Yep, exactly. And it's one of those things where, you know, because Malenko was a bit more power oriented than the average cruiserweight at the time, it worked. Uh, Jushin Liger, the previous Starcade, had a match with Rey Mysterio where he threw a couple of those. And those were some of the best looking power bombs I have ever. Um, there's a couple of spots like that that are very, very good. Eddie gets a really nice sequence where he's working the leg on the apron and he does the slingshot over the leg. Um, Dean's knee gives out at the end of the match. Eddie hits this top rope drop kick to the knee that is not easy. You're lo- you're talking about hurling yourself into the air leg first, going after a very small target. He hits it flush and then winds up hitting a frog splash. It's a good match. The problem is we have seen far, far better from these guys And also, I thought it was probably a little longer than it should have been. If you sent these guys out to do a 10-minute sprint, you'd have gotten the same amount of action in a much shorter time frame without a lot of the dead spots. And that probably would have gotten you up to about a a three-and-a-half-star match instead of the three that we got. It's not a bad opener. And if you watch it, you're not going to be disappointed. But unless you watch it in a vacuum, you're probably going to be left wanting a little bit more. Yeah, you hit on a couple of those spots. The the cool spot where he drop kicks the ring steps into the left leg, leg there, and then the, some of those power bombs were really good. We got a counter, you know, which you're going to get a lot with Malenko back suplex and into a backbreaker. Um, then the Hurricane Rana kind of shoved him off there. We get the big power bomb, and then uh, Eddie fights out of the clover leaf. A lot, I mean, a lot of good stuff that you'd imagine from them, but it just. Yeah, it didn't quite get to that next level, which is what we really want from these two and what these two did a lot of the time. It's not like we're asking for something that we didn't see from them a couple of weeks earlier and a couple of weeks after on a lot of Nitro shows where they just probably got into, um, you know, an extra gear than they did right here. Very much in agreement with you on a lot of the things we said. We both felt very similar about this match as we move on to Scott Hall coming out. And, you know, this is a bummer because you can tell, like, Scott Hall just does not look good at this point. And this is, you never know with him, you know, but he had so many demons at this, at this time. And he just, he just looks off in his eyes. They're a little glossy. He's really slow. He's, he's still playing the, the too cool stick character. And when he comes out here to do the survey, you could tell that this is 
at this point about running its course because when he asks, is everybody here to see WCW or NWO? When he asks WCW, he gets it's it's like it's a 50-50 or like close to 60-40 pro WCW, which it's supposed to be on a night like tonight, but you could just tell when he started this shtick early on, it was all NWO. Everybody was rooting for the bad guys there. Yeah. Um it, this was the wrong crowd to do mm-hmm. that shtick with. Yeah. But you know what? This wasn't the plan. So I can't too hard on no, no. Scott Hall for that. Not at all. And the other thing that I'll mention here is when he comes out, the camera gets close up to him and he gives Sean Waltman a little bit of a shout he out does. He does. because Waltman's recovering from an injury at home. He would eventually be fired via FedEx by Eric Bischoff and Waltman would show back up in WWF a couple of months later, the night after WrestleMania on Monday Night Raw. So nice little bit of trivia there. But you're absolutely right in that the survey shtick was running its course. We remember that being far better than it was. Yeah. Um, And it's one of those things where you look back on it and it's a little bit cringy. It shouldn't have worked. And the fact that it did work shows how much charisma Scott Hall still had, even in his inebriated state. Now, the other argument I'm going to make about this segment, Gino. This is as effectively as Paul White was ever booked in WCW. This segment right here. He comes out, cuts a really good subdued promo with a great line that I am shocked never got recycled. Mm -hmm. If I had to wrestle me, I wouldn't want to be here either. And that, by the way, fed into a lot of the rumors that we touched on at the start of the show, wherein people thought Kevin Nash missed the show because he was supposed mm-hmm. to job to the giant. Now, some of that might be overblown, but there were obviously, you know, backstage issues with Hall and Nash at the time, including, you know, the fact that Eric Bischoff may or may not have fired Waltman as a sign to Hall and Nash saying, you guys need to stop what you're doing. But this particular segment, Hall bumps around like a pinball. He does. Giant. And the giant winds up getting this sweet jackknife powerbomb where Hall in on the giant's shoulders is going, no, 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 no. And then gets planted down into the ring. This was a really segment. And if you're taking the opener and this segment, for the first half hour of the show, it feels like a big show. Yeah. You're not disappointed yet. No. But it's a the, sea slope going downhill from this point on. Yeah, the, the, the segment is not bad for, you, you know, Kevin Nash can't go. And, you know, we find out that, as you had me- referenced, this this was a, one of the first times they they had to deal with heart issues for him. His dad had a heart attack, and he was getting to the age where he – he was worried about things like this happening and so he has had issues like this where he was in the hospital undergoing tests this was legitimate people you know since he had creative control and at this time had a very big ego backstage he was booked to lose this match and the rumors were backstage that oh this was just his way of getting out of you know having to to lay down and even when Scott Hall says okay giant you win you know you, that plays into it a little bit but he did have some serious issues this was not a you know kevin nash just not showing up because he didn't want to do the job he was legitimately getting looked at here and i didn't yeah i didn't really have a problem with this segment and you hit it too this was a good way to book paul white he looked strong he came out 
he uh, and, and remember Scott Hall had just won World War Three, so he's actually the number one contender right now. He's wearing the WCW tag belts that aren't really theirs the, because they're not the actual champs. And you know, even like you said, even him going through the motions, and you could tell that he's you know probably on something or a, a little out of the world here. He the the segment still sort of hits because the giant comes out. As you said, he it's that very he has that one line, and then the other line that I made note of that that made me really laugh. He says, "I'm not worried because I'm a patient man, and I'm going to be in professional wrestling for a long time." <laughs> How about that one? It's well, a great promo. It is. If this was the giant that we got consistently carrying himself like. I'm not going to go out of my way to hurt you, but if you mess with me, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Easiest character in right. the history of the world to book. Instead, from the start of his career until even now in AEW, how many ill-advised face and heel turns did Paul White wind up making? It, it has to be into a it. <laughs> Twenty-eight sounds about low. right. I was going to say it might somewhere be in the thirties, maybe yeah. forty. Just yeah. because it seemed like their solution every single time there was a problem with face and heel alignment was, eh, turn big show. That'll yep. work. Slot him in there, give him somebody will, you know, get a big win over him. And then you, we can, you know, have a month to figure somebody else out. And that's exactly what they would do over and over. And yeah, it is, uh, this this wasn't or, this wasn't bad. This wasn't bad. You know, you 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 can't have one of the big matches that you're supposed to have, which that that's a bummer for the show for a big show. Now, keep in mind something that we haven't really mentioned. This pay per view, Starcade. This isn't just one of your pay per views. This is their equivalent to WrestleMania. They call it the granddaddy of them all. In fact, they this was it that before WrestleMania, before WrestleMania called itself that. WrestleMania was a response to Starcade. What many people think And at the, at that time period The quote unquote super shows Were a thing It wasn't even just WCW The NWA that was doing it We were seeing that kind of thing in Texas wrestling And all over the place Where you would you would build to these huge shows And before Wrestlemania WWF at the time was throw, Trying their, their you know hand into the, the pay-per-view And the, and the you know closed circuit uh, Kind of Broadcasting at the time so it wasn't You know it, it, this was what was happening In the 80s and then Starcade was really the one that you think about That was like the big big show so this is Your Wrestlemania show the biggest One of the year the one that you build to Unfortunately you know you Get a match that was supposed to be giant versus Giant for you know who's the real giant In wrestling and then we, we can't Get that the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll Point out before we, we get on from this segment is Dude, why the hell didn't the Big Show do a powerbomb more? I thought that looked really good. Like, he, if yeah. that was part of his repertoire moving forward, it didn't have to be his finisher. But maybe it was just because, you know, Nash had it as his finisher for a while there. He went over for some years. Batista had one there that he was using. But, heck, when he came over to WWF in the late 90s for a couple years in that range, I would have loved to see him using that powerbomb. I thought it looked pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a case where that was Nash's move and Nash was making more than the Giant was. Yeah. It's yeah. probably just as simple as that. Hey, kid, you know what? That's my thing. Like, you, you find another thing for you and we'll, we'll, get, we'll figure that out. We'll push that thing. But this is my thing, kid. As uh, <laughs> we move along from Big Kev, who wasn't there, but uh, he ended up coming out of the, uh, the people thought might have been even a heart attack. Okay, next match. 
is supposed to be Scott Norton, Vincent, and Conan against the Steiner brothers and Ray Trailer. So Vincent is Virgil, Steiner brothers, Ray Trailer is the big boss man. So what ends up happening is Scott Norton, Norton, and Vincent come out, but just the two of them. Then Ray Trailer and the Steiner brothers come out. Now, and the Steiner brothers at this point are being managed by Ted DiBiase. Face Ted DiBiase just didn't work for me, really. Like at this time, Pew, he felt so much better with. Like I, he was okay, I guess, because he's he's going against the NWO. But I actually liked him in the NWO as like the money guy, as their yep. backing. He was great, so, a trillionaire Ted. There were a few different theories as to what they were going to do with Ted DiBiase because he signed with WCW around the time they did a storyline with Diamond Dallas Page where he lost everything. It was basically the prototype version of what WWE did with Baron Corbin in Las Vegas, just completely and totally losing everything that he had. And coming back with the aid of a mysterious benefactor. Now, they obviously couldn't call Ted DiBiase the million-dollar man, but people realized that DiBiase had signed. They realized that all of a sudden DP had all of this money. So the rumor was DiBiase was going to be Diamond Dallas Page's manager, which, by the way, would have been great. However, WCW decided, no, people are onto it. That's We can't do that anymore. Let's just bring DiBiase back in as part of the NWO. So they bring him in, and he didn't really fit there either. And you could tell he got shoehorned in. He had a couple of segments on commentary where he was fine. They tried using him as a mouthpiece. But once Eric Bischoff joined the NWO and was the mouthpiece, they didn't need DiBiase. So DiBiase winds up turning face to manage the Steiners, which is also a little bit strange because the Steiners didn't need him either. No, it was, it, yeah, it just, it didn't fit. It didn't fit. And, and like now DiBiase can play a baby face fine. He just had that great storyline with Cameron Grimes. The stuff they did on NXT was fantastic. It honestly was some of my favorite stuff in WWE programming over the last five years or so. It was genuine. It was funny. It was the way that campy wrestling humor is supposed to be it just makes you smile and you're you're not like embarrassed about it you actually would show one of your friends and say look this is kind of goofy you know and, and laugh about it it's but, fun and that's yeah. what wrestling's supposed to be it's supposed to be fun it is um he just always felt so much better as the money evil bad guy and so yeah didn't seeing him walk out with them doesn't really connect all that much but th- everything about this was weird so then you know you get the Steiner, Steiner line, Steiner line. They, they come out with uh, the big boss man with Ray Trader. That song, by the way, has one of the all-time ironic lyrics. They don't do drugs, but they're always on top. See also, <laughs> Steiner, comma, Scott. Yeah, and that's another note that I had in here. So Scott Steiner at this point is like, it's like when you, he's not quite, The old Scott Steiner that we knew with the longer hair who was athletic and big, but not like overly big to where you went, wow. He wasn't Big Papa Pump. He's not old Scott Steiner, but he's not yet Big Papa Pump. He's like this weird in-between stage of evolution where he's like goatee that was totally black. His face doesn't even like look like himself. No. Because it's like it's you could see him getting it's 
it's weird. I'm watching a lot of superhero stuff. You know, it's like they they gave him the superhero serum, but it didn't go all the way. Like he hasn't completely made the transformation yet into the superhero of Big Papa Pump that he's going to become. It, he just has a strange look. And the entire backstory of this match, why Randy Savage comes in. So the babyface team gets announced. They make their way down to the ring, and the announcers are going, "Where's Conan? What's happening? How come there were?" It was supposed to be Conan here. How come there's only two NWO where they're going to go two on three? Okay, cool. And then we get the, ooh, yeah. And we get the macho with his own little NWO. Here he comes with Miss Elizabeth. And he wasn't scheduled on the card. And they needed him to fill in. Conan uh, not going to be there. So in order for them to, to convince Macho Man... They have to change the finish of this match Which was supposed to be the Steiners winning Instead Macho has to get the win And he picks it up And he he tells them initially When it, it's supposed to be a win over Ray Trailer, He says no I want to pin one of the Steiners <laughs> He's doing his best Hulk Hogan Slash Kevin Nash impersonation here Where he completely screws up the booking of this match Because of his ego He says I'm going over I'm going over one of them And Scott Steiner got pissed off When they are setting this all up backstage So in order to appease him They say okay well we'll book this match And we'll give you a bunch of strong spots Towards the end of this match Where you look really strong And the whole booking of this match Is going to be backwards Because the baby faces are going to be Basically working over one of the heels The whole time and then the heels end up getting the win, which makes absolutely no sense. So before we go any further, Conan, according to Conrad Thompson and Eric Bischoff on the 83-week show, had said Conrad had said that Conan was, and I'm quoting here, unable to participate because his girlfriend gave birth to a stillborn yes. baby. Yes, which there is, we go. So traumatic, and, and my God, I, I can't imagine. And sometimes on, on when things happen on a show, like when sometimes. There were things on this show that were their own fault, and then there were things that they had zero control over. Right, like, right. They, they can't ha- help this or the fact that Kevin Nash does legitimately have heart palpitations and and you know has has a scare there. And uh, you know Dean Malenko that his wife was going in. They could have set that up a little bit better, maybe the Malenko thing. But there were some things that were out of their control. So as much as we'll malign what they did and, and the way this show ended up. Some some things were their fault Others were just sheer like Oh wow that's just the real world calling right now Right and a, a, as a follow up to that Conrad apparently asked Why Scott Hall and Randy Savage Weren't originally booked on this card And this is where I'm going to call bullshit On something Eric Bischoff says According to Bischoff He said you can't book every talent on every show And there are three ways to kill a talent By giving them no exposure Giving them bad exposure or overexposing them. It's Starcade, you book your stars. Very, very simple. And I don't understand what the hell was going on there. Now, Savage wound up filling in here, and he hit one move the entire match. He hit the elbow, and that was it. Scott Steiner was the only guy in this match that had his working for this one. Scott winds up on the outside picking up Liz after Randy tries to use her as a human shield. He picks her up, moves her away, and then goes after Randy and rolls him back into the ring. I thought that was a really funny spot. He also gets a spike DT on Vincent off of Rick's shoulders that looked pretty impressive, and then gets a Frankensteiner on Vincent. 
Those were two really good spots back to back, but none of those got anything close to a pinfall. And immediately my spidey senses are going, "Uh uh-oh, that's Hmm. not supposed to happen. So Norton winds up coming in, slamming Scott Steiner. Savage is up top getting set up for a Frankensteiner and instead hits the elbow for the pin. So the one guy that brought is working for this match and kept the match from not totally being horrible is the guy that got pinned. WCW, ladies and gentlemen, I have this at one and a half stars, and it's pretty much solely for two things. Scott Steiner doing what he could when he was in the ring, and also, I'm a sucker for Liz around this time, man. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, she still had a semblance of Liz in her, she she would unfortunately put on a little bit of weight too in the next few years because she would start to really get into uh, some bad stuff that we knew unfortunately led to the the end of her life. Um, but she she still had some of that magic that you would remember from her early years and and leading Macho out and getting them for a few moments. The crowd still goes crazy for the elbow. They still pop big because he he did feel a little out of place in this match from a just star power. Right, you're looking at this match, and it's like the Steiners are tag guys. You know, you've got Vincent and Scott Norton, who are just the others in the NWO, and you've got Ray Trailer, who's you know basically like low on the card here. You know, who still has some cachet as a big boss man, but he's not ever been really booked as anything important in WCW. So this, yeah, Savage just sort of felt like a star. Kind of acted like an ass heading into this match with how he had to change it, but he still gets that big elbow, and uh, the crowd goes crazy for him. And if you didn't remember, Vincent was Virgil, and the the name Vincent was the play on Vin McMahon, Vinnie Mac. There, as uh, Virgil was the old play on supposedly Dusty Rhodes from uh, way back then when they uh, when they came up with Virgil. So they went back and forth playing with old meat sauce here as he's a uh, Vincent. And uh, yeah, just one of the uh, the also rans for me. One thing that sort of started to ruin the NWO to Andrew was just like the kid in me loved the idea that everyone in the NWO was a former WWF guy. As soon Except as it started, Scott Norton. Scott well, yeah. Norton, I don't think. Yeah. Well, no, that's what I mean. As soon as we started to get some of them that weren't, that's when I I was like, oh, you know, like I like the idea of the three of them, and and then even DiBiase and X Pac in there. Even the giant in there felt a little wonky to me. I loved the idea of it. Made it was easy for me to understand. Going, oh, I know all of them are former WWF guys. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. They come in and they want to take over. You started seeing like a Scott Norton and some of the others that I, you know, Buff Bagwell even and some of them. And I'm going, ah, you know, like it, it would just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was, again, one of the many problems that they're going to encounter here. But a six man tag that was I'm with you like this is I did not have this getting even to two stars at all. So no, nothing special there as we then. Get uh, Mean Gene with J.J. Dillon And he interviews him J.J. Dillon was your WCW executive authority figurehead at the time So he told Mean Gene that they had to do a backstage drawing Like a lottery to find out who the referee was going to be Both sides wanted to make sure that they were getting a fair shake All the referees were interested and wanted to be a part of the big match So they end up pulling the name out of a hat And it's Nick Patrick who had been uh, 
previously a, a dirty referee and had some ties to the NWO, but since he has been back, he had, you know, he had been they weren't really selling that the, he was completely pro NWO anymore. He seemed a little bit more down the middle, uh, but he was they were still sort of rolling sometimes with the fact that he was just messing up. You know, he his things would be a little bit off. So Nick Patrick uh, is the ref. JJ Dillon says he's a great referee. Um, so again, you know, like this is something, Andrew, that just doesn't need to be done. You don't need to do this. Like this is something you do at the very beginning of the story that you're telling, not after you've been setting up a story for 18 months and this is supposed to be the night where your baby face goes over. Hell, you knew what you were trying to get to because you you were going to have all the guys come out in the ring and celebrate with him. Just go all the way, give him the moment, but this is like this is Hogan stuff back there setting all this kind of stuff up to do everything he can to continue to make himself not look completely weak He was scared that if Sting just goes over strong And moves past him That, that might have been it for Hulk Hogan Being like a major draw He wanted to keep any little bit of oomph That he had left Think about how ridiculous that sounds That might be it for Hogan as a major draw You know what the only thing that killed Hulk Hogan's appeal as a draw was? When he got called out for being a racist You're you're absolutely right Many, many years later Hulk Hogan Hogan could have come back As the host of Wrestlemania 30 And actually wrestled And people would have tuned in for that Okay The fact that Hogan felt secure enough To have to go to all of these lengths To quote unquote Protect himself and his spot My god It's ridiculous. It's one of many things that ultimately wound up really hurting WCW in the long run. And in this particular instance, as I said earlier in the show, when they said Nick Patrick's name that night, nine-year-old Andrew went, what are they doing? This is weird. And even if not in a good way, like not in a, I want to see how this plays out way in in a, Asking you your dad the, questions you have kind of the, a way you, Yeah, you have the story Tell the story Don't do this don't kind make, of way Don't make it harder than it has to be Don't make it cuter than it has to be Hell, I wouldn't have liked this But if you were Hulk Hogan And you wanted to win the title back A month later at the next pay-per-view In your rematch And then you get to what, heal crap You get to have another little couple month reign to do whatever and then you you know you, you build it for a little while longer And you end up having enough That's fine that's not fine But that would have been at least More understandable than this This night for a guy like Hogan You know for as much as we gave him Crap about stuff like I honestly still look back At this and go Hogan you really Couldn't do business this one night Like this was the night that was built for so long And you couldn't have done the business The night and then Backstage behind the scenes You tell Bischoff or you tell other people If you really felt that way Some of the things that we're going to talk about in a little bit Sting wasn't in the best of shape He had some things going on behind the scenes In his personal life that maybe he wasn't completely as focused on What maybe it was Drugs or some issues for himself Before he things changed in his life Who knows Things that were all speculated But this is the moment You don't screw up the night This night, the coronation you figure a way after to either, hey, Sting, 
You got to change or things need to change right now Because now you're going to be the guy for the next six months And if that doesn't get into his head Then a month later you tweak things You write him off TV for a little while You figure something out But you don't do it on this night You don't screw up this The way Hogan did He completely Completely botched this entire match And everything And for as bad as this show was And it is If they come out in that final match in the main event And Sting walks out and beats the crap out of Hogan From pillar to post Outside the ring for four or five minutes Gets in, Hogan gives up You don't even have Bret Hart out there whatsoever Because it doesn't make any sense with that It I mean, this, you're still going to feel really good about this show, even if it's horrible all the way up to that. I'm going to propose an alternate thing that has Bret Hart involved and doesn't suck. Sure. So strap on for this one. So Sting and Hogan come out. Sting decimates Hogan. Out comes the NWO. Sting guzzles everybody. Hogan tries to escape with the title. We have seen this before because... That's the story they tried to tell six months later with Goldberg. Hogan tries to escape with the title, gets cut off by a couple of guys. What if Brett isn't announced before Starcade? Yes. Comes out, cuts Hogan off in the aisle. Mm-hmm. Tell me that That's wouldn't great. have been awesome. He and comes out of nowhere Brett and stops him. him. Yeah. And Brett does the same thing. On Just Hogan, a couple sends punches, Hogan back in. Throws him back in the ring like he did. Go. And also, doing that gives Hogan an out. Because he can say, I'd have been fine if it wasn't for that meddling hitman. And then you have Hogan Brett, which is the match everybody wanted and nobody ever got. My God, I have just proposed that. And I have just done a far better job booking WCW in 10 minutes than WCW with everything handed to them on a silver platter. Then you get... Right afterwards, you know, you've already got Scott Hall listed as your number one contender because he won. So then you can feed Hall and Nash to Sting. That that can start to have some cracks in the NWO because Hogan's mad that he's not like, why are you guys getting the shot? It's supposed to be my shot. You know, that's where you go back and forth there. That's where things start to, to branch. Even, even though the NWO Wolfpack stuff and the, the different NWOs that went on far too long, you can understand when you're if you're WCW. Why they would want that You understand why WWE Does a DX reunion all the time And brings the shield back And does the four horsemen stuff Whenever they do things like that you get it Because those are things that were cash cows for these companies So so it makes sense Even though we look back and say eh But it would have It all could have been fine You splinter it in You got the NWO black You got the red and black You got National Hall go that way Hogan goes that way This is sort of part of the reason why That helps branch them out I just Look back and we we can fantasy book And that's the thing It's not even hindsight 2020 stuff It's that this is stuff Everybody was talking about going into this Oh this is super easy Sting's gonna crush him He's gonna go right over him And this is gonna be the start of the end of the NWO And maybe you have like a one This is the start of the end And, it, and it, maybe it takes a year And it's 98 Starcade Where everything officially breaks up And disband You know but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll continue on as we get through And we move to Bill Goldberg versus Steve McMichael Now it's important to point this out This is not Goldberg, this is Bill Goldberg Bill Goldberg An entirely Still. different human being Who was booked as a heel for this storyline That I believe involved uh, Steve McMichael's Super Bowl ring, I think This 
I mean, we don't get the Goldberg like we know with all the 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 watching him backstage. He's super early on in his run, and he is bad at this point. I mean, yeah. the Goldberg that you see nowadays in a WWF ring, he, dude, this dude is Tanahashi in the ring compared to what Goldberg was in '97. <laughs> I mean. I, if you had Tanahashi reference during right? WCW Starcade 97 <laughs> on your bingo card, mark it off, boys. He is freaking like Omega Okada in some of these matches over the last Steamboat few years. Steamboat and Flair. Steamboat yeah. Flair. I mean, we're talking like this This 2016 and, and beyond Goldberg is actually the best version of Goldberg in the ring that we've ever seen. And you watch this guy. I can't believe. He didn't hurt more people. He did hurt Bret Hart, and he did hurt some. But it's it's shocking to see that both of these guys in the ring here didn't really hurt each other in this match or others moving forward because Steve McMichael was bad in the ring. He was awful. And he had, you know, he reminds me a lot of JBL and just, like, his presentation and the real, like, ah, like, I'm a heel and I'm who I am. And he was a legitimate athlete and a very, very good football player. And when he came in the WCW, he he got a big push as you know the guy. He's a one point a part of the Four Horsemen, and I he, he never connected with me. I could I I hated him. So as a heel, he did his job, but it just it was almost go away heat for me some of the time. And his matches were brutal. I mean, this thing is like is so ugly that it's pretty funny. At one point, we get a both you suck. Chant from the from the crowd, which is I love that chant in, in, in this match. Gold, yeah. Goldberg, um, we get the brawling in the aisle. Then they get into the ring, and the bell has not rung yet. Uh, we get so we, then we get the bell ringing. Awful sidewalk slam by Mongo. You know, two legitimate football players, so they had that to play into. You know, like an actual two athletes storyline, but two of. Two wrestlers who at this point were not They should have never been in the ring with each other These are two guys that need dance partners for sure And they have to be led at this point in their career They're both very new To have Mongo trying to lead this thing It's just really, really head-scratching We get a shoulder tackle that was bad Punches that don't connect The crowd is absolutely dead They don't even know who Goldberg really is at this point And they don't have a reason To be cheering for Mongo A sloppy looking spear That I don't even know if it's a spear Um, He sets up a table And Goldberg picks up McMichael And he goes like he's gonna Slam him from inside the ring To outside of the ring The table's set up right on where uh, where the Entrance aisleway Heads into the ring and the referee actually, this was a weird spot too. Referee Randy Anderson grabs Mango like by the feet, Mongo by the feet, Mango. I'm not talking about uh, Katan from Saturday Night Live. And now uh, Miss You, no Mango for you. We're talking about Mongo here. So he holds on to Mongo's feet, which like forces Goldberg down and and could have hurt one of them because he kind of pulled him back with actual force. Goldberg falls over. I mean, we get. The table spot eventually where it it looked bad. Mongo kind of like twisted to the side. He he tries to pick up Goldberg. He can't. 
Goldberg with the horrible jackhammer This thing somehow went six minutes When Goldberg's matches were never going this long At that this period And we didn't go very long After this period It is incredible to think that a year later At Starrcade 98 He actually had, is it, what's it Halloween Havoc 98 where he actually has a good match because this guy doesn't look like that that you that has it in him. This is this is laughably awful, Andrew. So it is laughably awful. It is also not the worst match on this show. How bad right. how right. bad is the match I'm referring to to where this match is not the worst match on the show? There are two things about this match that save it from being one of the worst matches of all time. One they fight in the aisle, and Goldberg carries Mongo to the ring. I thought that was spot. I will give them credit for that. Also, say what you will about Mongo. is not a good worker, specifically not in this match. Credit to him for taking the table bump like a man. That was not an easy bump to take, mm-hmm. going right. off the apron, straight through the table, and it looked like part of it got stuck into his back for a little while. I that think was he wanted a bump. To be good You could tell when he, he was in He was a part of the uh, WWF storyline back in 1995 Right when uh, When the wrestlers with the with the, in the main event With Bam Bam Bigelow And he was part of the NFL team That was getting LT ready for the match And that was in the corner of LT And he was very good on the mic You know in a lot of those interactions Where he was talking trash And you could see I think he got the the feel for wrestling and then he went over to WCW He wanted to be a good wrestler And he wanted to be good Like he liked the business I think he really cared about it And uh, shout out because he's hasn't been doing very well As of late physically Right yeah. uh, I've seen some things recently where um, uh, Yeah just having some physical issues But the guy wanted it It just it didn't click for him in the ring He was His role as being like the muscle Was fine If he was in more of just like a APA role You know where where he sort of was Sometimes when he was with the four horsemen That's an okay role for him he's a big imposing Looking guy and he does have legitimate Real world credibility But then you throw him in the ring And what can what can happen in a wrestling Ring is you can turn A, a really tough person Into looking Very awkward if they're not A well trained wrestler or they look Good in the ring it's like an equalizer You know you put a tough person And you make them go play baseball And they don't know how to throw a baseball They don't look tough anymore They look awkward It looks goofy Go tell a person that's never shot a basketball And they're a big tough guy or gal or whatever To shoot a basketball They can't It's sort of the same thing If you're not that athletic Or you don't know what you're doing in the wrestling ring You you can't just assume that I'm a football player I've got this athleticism It's going to transfer over Because for some people it doesn't And for these two guys It didn't initially And it took a long time for Goldberg in the ring, even now he's serviceable at, at best. But they were able to find the niche for him that worked the best. Andrew was that, hey, I'm just going to be a big badass guy who comes in. I'm going to have two or three moves that I can make look, make look imposing and make look dominant, and that's my shtick. Yep. Gee, wrestling is at its best when it is simple. Where have we heard that before? Hmm. Now. One thing that I will say, and I agree with you on Mongo, he did want to be good. We, a while back, recapped the 1996 Great American Bash. This was the last WCW pay-per-view before the NWO came in and changed the course of everything in WCW. He and Kevin Green worked a legitimate 
four-star tag match. It was the best Rick match Flair he ever wrestled. It was his first match. Yes. And, <laughs> and Mongo more than carried his end of the bargain. You you don't have a four-star match without everybody having their working boots on. And that's a case where that match, if you have not seen it, is well worth your time because that's a legitimate match with Flair and Arn doing everything they can to make these two guys that have never wrestled a match in their lives look very, very good. On a relevant note, rest in peace, Kevin Green, and well wishes to Mongo, who is battling ALS. ALS just and that there's there's no other way to, to conceivably put that. One note before we move on. Dusty had an okay night on commentary, but in this particular match, we, we we've got to give Big Dust a little bit of crap. So he goes on a rant for about three minutes about how they play real football in the state of Texas, about how Mongo McMichael was legitimately voted one of the top 100 players all time in the history of Texas high school football, which I didn't look that up. If legitimate, it wouldn't surprise me. Mongo was a legitimate. And Dust Dust does know his sports pretty well, too. Yes. The problem is right after this big, long dissertation on the great virtues of Texas football, he says, but this ain't football. It's then like, stop talking about why did football. You set it all up for us, man. <laughs> My so, God. <laughs> so, so why did we go on that three-minute ride with you then, Dusty? <laughs> As Raven comes out. I mean, the crowd was, uh, for a lot of this show, too, I got to say, you think WCW during this era, you think really hot crowds? This crowd didn't have a lot to get excited about. No, nope, really, not after the really first half it. hour. Nope. No. And they got into, they got big, you know, big pop in, uh, you know, when, when the giant looks imposing there and we got a, you know, a pop for the, the Randy elbow. And even after this match, Goldberg, Jackhammer win, not like nothing crowd just doesn't know chemistry wasn't great. And we move along to Raven coming out. Cutting a promo. Remember me? Remember Raven? He would uh he would come out and cut his promos. He said that he can choose where and when he wrestles and that he's not wrestling tonight. So we then got a, a bait and switch. I believe he was still um hurting from I, I think I read an inflamed pancreas. It and he was, was pancreas related, yeah. yeah. It's n- not fun. Not fun at all. So kind of a cheap heel thing, bait and switch. It ends up being Perry Saturn versus Benoit. They go for ten minutes and fifty seconds, and it's it's okay. There's just a lot. They overbook it. We don't really get into the Benoit matches, anyways. But uh, we can move right on to something that I I, I still can't believe. Um, when I seventeen minutes of Buff Bagwell, baby. So you're looking at this show, and and you know you're putting the show together, and you're thinking, okay, well, like you said. We don't want to chalk on a few more minutes to Dean and Eddie because we've already asked a lot of Dean in this situation. So I can get that. I can get not wanting to make those guys go 20 minutes, even though even though adding five minutes onto that match logistically is probably the smartest thing to do. Right. With those two guys trusting them to just go another five. But you can't do that to Dean after what you've already made him do. Get that. You're not making that tag match go any longer because there's already been crap there. Goldberg Mongo is not going longer. You had Saturn and Benoit go 11. That's plenty. You, you know, Bischoff and Zabisco is double digits. And Hogan Sting, you're already worried about Sting's conditioning and stuff. You don't want that to be longer. I guess there's one match that I would have preferred. The way that they built the match and they were telling a story seemed like that wasn't the way they wanted to go. But give me 
a 16 or 17 minute DDP Kurt Hennig instead of Luger and Buff and just flip flop the five or six minutes from these two. This was unbelievably bad. I cannot believe I, I seriously cannot believe that at this point on the biggest show of their year, they thought it was going to be good to give almost 17 minutes to Buff, Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger. And when you think about the entrances and, and you know, wrapping the match up, this was 20 minutes. This was 20 minutes on a two hour and 40 minute show. Almost 10% of your show was like, if you think about it that way, you think, uh, to, to 100 and what, 200 minutes to 220 minutes. And, and, and this is 20 of it. I mean, this is, this is insane. This is insane, Andrew. I guess it's even less than that. What? 180. So think 180. About it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're thinking one, like even, even more, even more than that. You think this is okay. And it's, it's not a match that I'm going to go through. Like I will normally do in the matches that I really like, where we go through everything that's happening because you You're not going to give us a blow by blow recap of Buff of Bagwell chin, and Lex Luger Are of you the chin me? lock and the Buff playing the you know I'm running around stall crowd with no no reaction whatsoever sleeper we get a couple suplexes here and remember like a, a year ago Lex Luger is hot he beats Hogan. He gets that brief run with the title cleanly. He beat Hogan cleanly Clean. on free television. On free TV, he gets a huge response. He gets that little run. Everybody's in the Luger, and they're trying to make Buff Bagwell into a thing here. And we've seen some matches in the early '90s when Marcus Alexander Bagwell showed potential, showed what we you could understand what people saw in him. The Buff gimmick. It just never, it was always so forced, cheesy, brutal. And I, I this match, I, I forgot. I, I mean, we get a sloppy suplex. Then here comes Vincent. Um, you know, Luger throws. Point of him. order, by the way, on the Please. Vincent thing. So Buff Bagwell goes out of the ring. Okay. Goes all the way up the aisle yelling for Vincent. Vincent comes out and they walk back. Where's the 10 count? Nowhere. 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 And I think about it this way. If Billy Silverman had counted out Buff Bagwell, he would have been a national hero. He would have. Hero! Stop the fight, please. Somebody stop this. Stop it. uh, So Vincent gets knocked off the ring. Uh, Buff ends up coming from behind to Luger. He, we get the ref bump there, knocks him down. Luger power slam. He's got the torture rack locked in, but the ref is out. Here comes Randy Savage. He attacks Lex from the back. Then Lex, you know, deals with Randy. He puts him in the torture rack. Scott Norton comes out and kicks Lex, and he punches him with a dog collar. That was Rick Steiner's, I believe. Yep. And he ends up. Rolling Bagwell onto Luger wakes up the referee and Buff wins after 16 minutes and almost 40 seconds. And I think this was the fourth win over a short period of time that Buff had over Lex. They're trying to make him into the you, okay. You can see why they thought these two guys would be good a good story to tell in that hey, Lex Luger, the total package, the big muscly guy. This is who we sort of want Buff to be the next one of them. 
Buff can say I want to be the new total package Right there's a story there But again just like what we said I think with a lot of the The major players on this show Tonight Andrew Goldberg and McMichael with Sting and with Hogan And then in, in this particular match too With Buff and with Lex All of those guys I mentioned Are capable of a good match We've seen all of them Have a good match when they are led They need to have somebody Leading them They need to have a an in-ring worker A general in there with them That they can feed off of When you put two of them Together in a match It's not going to work And we saw that in all three of those matches All of those guys need someone to lead them Hogan's worst matches in WWF And throughout his life Were when it was with another bad worker Heck the only one was Warrior Where you went how the hell did those two guys Pull that off and then when we saw them try to do it Again years later we went Oh they can't pull it off again that was like Crazy luck Oh yeah It wasn't crazy luck It was Pat Patterson Let's No you're Yeah no you're right You're right there, You know It's circumstance And situation And just you, you get What they were going for here But why Do they figure Yeah these guys are the ones That we are gonna have With the longest match On the card By about two minutes I mean Okay Yeah So Couple of things to note here We have noted That Lex Luger is the biggest offender of the jobber face tell, which is, you know, instantly when he comes out that he's losing. Look at Luger's face the second he walks through the curtain. He yep. doesn't want to be there. Nobody wants him there. Half smirk smile, not like coming out really pumped up, you know, doing his torture rack sort of, you know, uh, signals as he comes out. And, yeah. You know, like the the fiery Luger is is a guy you can get behind, right? He has some glimpses of that at with the Lex Express stuff, but we saw the same thing in WWF. Once they turn and they don't decide to go all the way with him, he's got the face. You see it in his face, you know, walking out to the ring, going Luger's not winning this match. Yep. So the story coming in was, and you mentioned Buff Bagwell has beaten Lex Luger three times by illicit. So clearly on a big show. In a big spot The face is supposed to go over here, right? 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 Wrong! So, they go 16 minutes And it's weird in part Because Bagwell, every bit of Is this smarmy heel character Every bit of him Except for the fact That he can sell reasonably well So, when he gets thrown around He's selling almost like a baby face would And you know this because that's what trained to be his entire career up until he mysteriously gained muscle mass in the mid 1990s. Gee, I wonder what could have possibly happened there and joined the NWO. Now, my God, you've mentioned this. 16 minutes is indeed way too long. And the worst part of all of this isn't anything that happened on this show. The very next night on Nitro, you know what they did, Gino? Rematch. And guess who went over? Buff. Luger. Oh no, Luger won the next night. He did. Okay. Was it so, clean? It was clean, right? I think it was pretty I don't clean. I know, but I know yeah. Luger won. And here's the big question. Why? You're gonna do that. Why don't you just do Why did we have to sit for 17 minutes of crap with a guy who was not interested versus a guy who was not ready? Now, in a weird twist of fate, Buff Bagwell would become a very big star several months later for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And they screwed that up. 
Yep. When he came back, they, they had a lightning up. in a bottle with him when they came back. He could have been a great baby face, and they had him do the stupid back and forth turn with the Steiners. Yep. The only redeeming quality about heel buff Bagwell was I liked his tags with Scott Norton. They had a great name, vicious and delicious. Great <laughs> name, great gimmick, and it fit what Buff was trying to do. He's because a tag he's, wrestler yeah. or part of a group. He, he's there's a, a place he's, for him on the show, but not as a top guy. He's a tag wrestler, and when he's the smarmy heel, he can do his shtick, and he can say, and if you got a problem with me, go talk to Scott Norton. And I don't know about you, but the only words I would ever say to Scott Norton are, please don't hurt me, sir. Even now, in the Dark Side of the Ring episode that he they did. So on North he looks Korea, like the same dude. This is not a guy you want to mess with. This is a guy who is a former arm wrestling sh- who would tear your arm out of its socket and whack it over your head without any remorse at all whatsoever. That is why Vicious and Delicious worked. And they should have gotten a tag run far better than what they got because Bagwell's a tag guy. Norton's got this power move set that works great in small doses. And they had legitimate chemistry together. But when the outsiders are already NWO guys, there's only so much you can do with guys like Vicious and Delicious. As far as this match goes, it was neither Vicious nor Delicious. It sucked. This is an eight-match card on the biggest show of the year. Which, again, it doesn't have to be the way this case all the time, but those shows that are culminations of storylines, storylines that have been going for 18 months, some of some of them, that's the place where the baby faces go over. Yeah, that, that's the time. There are eight matches on this card, and the heels win six of them. And one of them that the baby faces, or excuse me, five, the one of them that the baby face wins is the Sting Hogan match that doesn't even feel like a win. And also Giant Hall is isn't even a match. You've got the the heel Guerrero winning. You've got the NWO heels winning the six man tag. You've got a heel Goldberg in sort of what was like a heel heel match. You've got a heel Perry Saturn in a bait and switch winning. And then you've got a heel buff Bagwell. All of the first five matches that we discussed had heel winners to start the show. Hey guys, come watch our great show. Feel good moment. You know, the NWO has been running rampant for the last 16 months, 18 months, all over everybody in getting in interfering in matches, costing people titles, all of your favorite baby faces, making them look like absolute Joes. But don't worry, we're building everybody up for the big event where they're supposed to actually get their comeuppance, right? The heels get their comeuppance at the end. That's why we love stories. Any any tale that you watch, a show, a movie, or anything, there's a story where at the end, the bad guys lose. That was the problem with the NWO. They didn't realize that they're supposed to lose at the end. They're the bad guys in this story. The problem wasn't they didn't realize they're supposed to lose. The problem was they didn't want to lose. Yeah, no, you're right. They don't care. They knew, you're right. They knew they were supposed to, and they still said, well, but maybe, nah. And yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. As uh, Elizabeth, we get another Elizabeth sighting there. She comes down to help Macho Man at the end of this, and ugh, we then move on to the U.S. Championship match. Kurt Henning really versus- quick transitions between matches at this point, right? Yeah, it would. The timing was off on the show. It was almost like 
they would give too much in the match and then go, oh, we got to get to the next thing. You know, this entire show was cursed. Um, and more than anything, yeah. looking back, you wonder what gremlins were in the MCI really? center that night. I know because this next match was supposed to be Kurt Henning versus Ric Flair. This was a story they had been telling on TV for a while, but at least they were able to kind of make some sense of this before as DDP was was a, a hot baby face and he gets the shot here at the U.S. title. Get a little a little kind of feeling out process here, some sort of mat chain wrestling early on, kind of back and forth. Kurt with a couple of those great bumps where he goes flying over the top rope after a punch and uh, always one of the best sellers out there. Yeah, he he gets in uh, in control. He works on the throw. He goes after Paige's neck, throw first in the top rope, kicks him out of the ring, tosses him into the steel steps. Kind of slows things down a little bit because Paige has got the taped up uh, back and ribs, so he's kind of stomping on the back of him. We get a clothesline, and then um, Paige uh, DDP gets a jawbreaker, kind of is able to counter out of a chin lock. They go back and forth with some big punches, and they're sort of kind of out on their feet a little bit. Uh, another cool Kurt Hennig Mr. Perfect bump uh, after a punch And then we get DDP With the uh, cross body And then uh, Mr. P- uh, Henning gets crotched On the top ropes uh, against the post So he Then goes for the Okay so actually a little bit in my notes I, uh, I, I messed up there so What DDP does is he actually Is able to get Kurt on the mat And Kind of pull him into the uh, the low blow on the post there. Then he, he's going for the diamond cutter. He's setting it up in a very smart veteran move by Kurt. He holds onto the rope. And Good so spot. Good spot. It's a, that was cool. I, I love that. It just was just smart. Something that a veteran would do. So DDP isn't able to, to get the diamond cutter in. Then Henning is able to reverse it and get a pinfall for a two count. But he's got his feet up on the ropes. Clothesline for another two. DDP then with a really cool wraparound sort of arm bar We get uh, some punches, they're kind of staggering They're back up to their feet And and this was the uh, the counter where we get uh, uh, an Irish whip And then DDP did the float over Which The Rock ended up doing, start to do later on And looked really cool The Rock would do the float over into the DDT And uh, DDP does the float over into a diamond cutter for a win So there were some Slow parts a couple minutes in this match That may have been a little slow but I thought it was A a pretty well told story if you Said this was your favorite match on the card I wouldn't disagree with you In in it in that the crowd Seemed the most excited Of the entire night for the The finish the fact that DDP gets the win we have a new US Champ here and this felt like one of the First victories Tony Schiavone even references It later for WCW In this WCW versus NWO They get one of the belts back to WCW and you start to see The rise of Diamond Dallas Page who's going to Have an incredible year Congratulations are in order for WCW You know why? They finally booked a match Correctly Hey, <laughs> hey everybody hey! <laughs> Round of applause Woo-hoo! This match wasn't great But it was solid Both of these guys were trying They were bumping around for one another Kurt Hennig was a shell of his former This was not Mr. Perfect from the early 90s Hennig was still feeling the effects of the back injury That almost ended his career He had his demons There was no secret about that at this point And he was just not the worker that he had been But he and Diamond Dallas Page At least they both tried They were both out there doing what they And the result 
was a 10-minute match that did not overstay its welcome, that had a couple of cool spots, and it felt like it belonged on this show. I had it at one and a half. I might have undermarked it slightly. I can't go no, three, but maybe I could have gone two and yeah. three quarters. It's it's something two. like that. Yeah, it's a decent match with a good finish. And ultimately, the crowd got what it wanted with Paige hitting the diamond cutter for the pinfall and going out into the crowd to celebrate with the fans. This is not complicated. All they had to do the entire evening was do that for eight matches. And that's not what happened. And yeah, I'm, I'm right with you in that range. I had it probably two and three quarters, two and a half to three. If you want to have it in anywhere in that range, whether you liked it a little more or a little less, that's where it, it belongs. And it definitely belongs as one of the best two matches on the show. No doubt about it. We then move along to my guy, Bret Hart. And uh, b- before Bret walks out, you can even tell that Tony Schiavone and the announcers were thankful for that match because he says, well, that really revived everybody here. <laughs> he actually said said that line. So um, that was after that, you know, 17-minute drudge of Buff Bagwell, Lex Luger. We got the, the good Paige Hennig match here. And Bret Hart walks out. Black t-shirt. No Bret Hart member, like merch or anything quite no yet. No pink at all. Nothing. Just like a black t-shirt, jeans. He's going to be the ref for the next match. The crowd, so from the the crowd got up for the Page Kurt match, and then they're up for Brett. They are. They're they're pumped for him. Uh, they don't know the story is is Brett going to be part of the NWO? Is he going to be part of WCW? Is he going to help Bischoff here? Is he going to help Zabisco? Because he's teased back and forth. He's kind of acted a little heelish. He hasn't said a whole lot, and we don't really know. But we do get Eric Bischoff. In his full karate get up here with, uh, with Scott Hall in his corner We get Larry Zabisco For Team WCW Bret Hart as the referee and, and even the problem with this right Like Zabisco had been on commentary For you know WCW and Nitro And some of the you know WCW programming But going in Everything leading up to the, the NWO storyline He was a heel Zabisco was like a hated heel he was a brutally hated heel from he years. He was the guy that turned, turned on Bruno, Bruno. leading all the way back to Bruno. Draw the biggest gate in the history of Shea Stadium. Yeah, he was a huge heel. So it, it's funny that he is like the conquering babyface of the company here. When you know him and Bobby were always like heel commentators that were very anti everything the babyfaces were doing. Although I do like the fact that they. Were team WCW and that they weren't taking the heel NWO side. They were they were for the company and and that made it seem more real that the, that they hated the NWO and you know we'll put our differences aside but we still work for the same company. I just don't know if he was the right guy to have the match for the control of Monday Nitro on and everything because it just people wanted to see Bischoff get punched, but I don't know how much they cared if it was Zabisco the one doing it. You know he was. He he was fine. He was an older guy that was a veteran. Great, great in ring worker and stuff. And his time in a really good character. I just just kind of felt a little off to me in that sense. And who knows? Like if it was someone, and I I, I don't know what physically what he was, but like someone like a Dusty, I just think would have he wouldn't have been able to do a lot in the ring. But it feel like from like a a presence of who he is may have meant a lot more. You know, um, Bischoff's got the 
the karate pads over his feet and he's got the gloves on his hands and he's doing, you know, some of his like air strikes and stuff as uh, as this match opens. I think he's just over 40 at this point. And this is the he he now Bischoff does improve a lot in in far as just like being able to take a bump and being able to work a match a little bit better. He's doing the heel cat and mouse shtick where he's kind of rolling out of the ring and he he tries to throw some punches and some some kicks and then anytime that he'll like connect even closely with one he'll really celebrate and anytime that Zabisco looks like he's about to get control then Brett'll come in and and pull him apart. So Brett's really laying in the the heel shtick early. Bischoff is celebrating doing his, you know, his um his gimmick of, you know, I'm the karate guy. Every time I get a strike, I'm going to play to the crowd. It it just, again, this thing goes for 11 minutes when it should have been five. You know, and it, that that's what this story was. We get you know, the announcer starting to wonder which side Brett's on. Um, Larry goes for a punch. Brett pulls it back. Uh, Bischoff with a kick to the face. Some more punches here and there. And what we find out was that Larry is actually pulling the rope it up. He's sitting in the corner and he lets Bischoff just wail on him because he knows that Bischoff's not in very good shape. And Bischoff does end up, you know, wearing himself out, getting a little bit tired. Scott Hall gives him a, an object. He puts it in his boot, but the object ends up going flying. Oh, God. It was just a, <laughs> I mean, it, it's not even like in there in the right way. We could all see it. It just uh, the execution of this spot was just horrible. And Bischoff's acting like he's won the match. He's celebrating and stuff. He wants, he goes over to Brett to give him like a big high five and a hug. Like, you're, you're my guy. We're on the same side. And, and that's when Brett actually uh, punches him, knocks him down. We get crowd the crowd uh, goes insane. Nuts. A crowd that was like quiet for most of this night. This is what they were waiting for. This, the title changed a little earlier with DDP. They're waiting for, you know, Brett. They're waiting for Sting. There were a few things on this show that felt like we said they were layups. They were easy. They were, you can't miss things. And just hearing the ovation Brett got, you're going, wow, this is all that he had to do to get the, uh, you're right. He could have done this in the main event. And that's it. When Hogan tries to cheap out and run away, Brett could have just been the guy there to turn him around and say, nah, uh, uh, you're going back. We would have gotten this kind of a reaction from the crowd. And then you set up if for Hogan, you play to Hogan's ego and you tell him, hey, Hogan, look, I know you don't want to just completely do the job here or whatever. So Sting will beat you up for a little bit. You end up taking the title and run. And then Brett gets you, throws you back in the ring. So we have that out. Brett got involved, Brett interfered Now you set up another thing with Brett And then you can come back and get another title rematch afterwards Boom, it's easy for you You play to his ego and you tell him that This would, it would have been so much better If that's the case Instead, you know, we get a cool end of this match Where Brett locks in the sharpshooter And everybody's going nuts And I thought, you know, we see Scott Hall Tapping out I even thought the moment you know, with Sting at the end when they when Sting does the Scorpion Deathlock was okay. Like later, but it would have been so much better if if he's not the ref there. I don't think he needed to be in this match here. Huge pop, Larry. So Larry like gets his belt and he's choking Bischoff, and then Brett just raises his hand. We don't, we don't get like a pin or any real submission or anything at all. Brett just kind of raises Larry's hand, Zabisco, and. They act like he won 
at 11 minutes and like 15 seconds. So you asked a couple of questions about people needing to be involved in this match. I'm going to ask a different question. Why did this match even need to happen? I don't know. It didn't. Who, who was clamoring to see Eric Bischoff in a ring? No, and he can get beat up or take a bump or take a punch. Have him try to interfere in the Hogan match. And, and Brett, just like we said, have Brett fight him off there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or Zabisco can help fight him off there. Well, and like, that's the other like, problem. So the big defender of WCW in the semi-main event spot of the biggest show of the is a guy that's been, for the most part, retired as an active competitor for at least the last, what, four or five years? When Zabisco was in the Dangerous Alliance, that was 92, 93, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even in then, that was like, he, you're not getting him on the week-to-week anymore, you know? Nope. Nope. You're not getting the Larry Zabisco who was a tremendous talker in the AWA for a very long time. Let me be the AWA shill for a little while. Larry Zabisco cut some tremendous heel promos in that company. One that was struggling. One that the only reason Larry Zabisco hung around for a while is because he was married to Vern's daughter. But Larry Zabisco was a phenomenal heel, a guy who his day was a pretty darn good wrestler. I wouldn't call him a great wrestler, but he was good, and he had a lot of charisma. The problem is, here, the guy defending the honor of WCW is Larry Zabisco, a commentator. Now, there was some pretty cool subtext in why Scott Hall was involved in this angle. One of Scott Hall's first in the wrestling business was, you guessed it, Larry Zabisco. Those two go back a long way to where Scott Hall in the AWA as a young guy that looked like Tom Selleck with steroids and muscles and stuff was seen as a big prospect. Zabisco actually took him under his wing and mentored him a little bit on some of the things to do and not do. And Hall always remembered that. So when you think of it that way, it makes a little bit of sense because these are two guys that go back a long way and they're having fun. But then why isn't the match Zabisco and Scott Hall? Who's they do it. When do they do it? They do that at some point. Was it they before? They do that. It's sold out. And I know you're right. Like who? Th- everything about this was off. It it's just awful. Just it awful. was. There's nothing like the moment we want to see. We want to see Bischoff get punched and stuff. Like he doesn't even really have. Like he sort of gets choked. Like Brett hits him and then he's down. Bischoff, Zabisco doesn't even really do much. He chokes him with the belt for a little bit and that's it. It's, it was just, this is your semi-made event, like you said, on the biggest show of the year and your save the company storyline is Zabisco. Yeah. Now, the only reason that I did not give this the dreaded minus five stars rating is because of the pop Brett got at the end of the match. That moved it. From minus five stars to minus three stars. That one moment. But when you think about it, if Brett got that kind of pop as a referee throwing hands one time, hitting Scott Hall with a couple atomic drops and a clothesline and a sharpshooter, not as an active competitor, but as a referee. WCW, what the hell were you doing? (sighs) Yeah, this one. And on that note, we get to the main event. This was this was bad. And like we said, the flow. So you finish up with this 
big angle, right? Whether the, the match was horrible, but this was an angle that was big and it was a big story for a while. Uh, you know, the, is it going to be NWO Nitro? Or are they going to take over the next night? You know, it's part of the the story they're telling. And then you just go right into the intros for the main event. No video package, no backstage promo from Hogan. You you know, you're not going to get you, you don't even get Mean Gene trying to to catch up with Sting before the match to see if Sting and Sting just doesn't say anything and walks away. We don't get you know we get Michael Buffer and uh, it says this is the most important match in the history of wrestling. We get Hulk again. A lot of just logistic, easy things about this main event I don't like. I never like when the champion comes out first. I don't care who's supposed to be the big built star. I, even in this case, okay, maybe in this case you could say Sting. We haven't seen in that long, so we wanted you know him to come out last. Okay, so maybe that. Then I'm okay. Then you better make sure. That it's a big pomp and circumstance entrance That feels like he deserves it And we're not talking having Randy Savage Come out if we're talking about pomp and circumstance No throwing that out there Talking about the feel of it And Hogan's entrance Felt bigger than Sting's Like you said he comes out He's playing the guitar, the air guitar He's having fun He doesn't look scared or nervous He doesn't, heck he doesn't even have a bunch of his NWO cronies with him He's you know He's just Having a fine time And then we get Sting And we get the, the Before Sting comes out There's like a little bit of like a lightning bolt that they do I love the monologue that, that That's was a great monologue Cool I enjoyed that I wanted them to lean into that kind of thing a little bit more And and then You know he just He just kind of appears and it's like oh well there he is And him like walking down the aisle Just seems so much less cool Than all the times that we had seen him Drop down from the rafters and come in the ring and beat ass with a baseball bat. He just he seemed like such a regular guy right here. After they had built him up to be this conquering hero, this superhero kind of Batman, the crow, you know, type character. And so he's he's in the ring and the crowd is when they both get in, this crowd, when they see the stare off, they're they're hyped, they're ready. And then it just it doesn't have any flow You get some of the, you know, Hogan You know, taunting early on Sting hits a punch crowds, Crowd goes, you know My God, even just the way we're talking punch. about this match It sounds like a funeral It does, no, it does, you're right Like we're, we're it's, it's like when your family or your dad tells you I'm not mad, son, I'm just disappointed Well, because no, we're mad We're mad we're, and and no, we, have, we have every right to be you're mad right. You're right, because it is, it's both It's mad and disappointed because this was so easy this was something that was so easy And you, you have Sting walk in Look at Hogan for a minute He hits that first punch He beats him all over the ring He beats him around the side Outside of the ring You know, all over You get one or two NWO guys come down Sting fights them off Maybe we get a, you know, a Bret Hart You know, helping him fight a couple of them off And then easy win Boom, Sting wins Yeah, you, you, you branch that off to Bret Hogan And then you go from there You do not have a match that goes 12 plus minutes that is Hogan in charge the whole match. Sting is selling the in almost the entire match. He gets a little bit of offensive flurries in here or there, but there's never any flow to it. It's like, oh, a move or a, a spot or two, and then boom, it's just slowed back down again. A couple of drop kicks from Sting. Hogan goes to the floor. He's selling like crazy. Uh, you know, Shivani lets us know that Sting has never looked better. Headlock. No clothesline 
you know, Hogan hits a suplex actually, uh, but then boom, no sell from Sting. Maybe that's the moment he hits the suplex, no sell, boom, and then he just goes crazy from there. That's the moment where the squash comes right. No, then Hogan with the eye poke tosses Sting to the floor, hitting Sting in the hitting Sting with the bat, throws him into the post. Hogan just in complete control. Sting goes for a comeback, but Hogan moves, so Sting goes right into the steel. Hogan with an atomic drop, the big boot to the face. Poses to the crowd, hits the leg drop One, two, three What? What? Like a clean three? Not a fast count or anything? What? Uh, uh, uh We then see Bret Hart at ringside We didn't even know Bret was down there They didn't let us know he had made his way to ringside He's just standing He They, they mistimed all of this Because he's just standing there And he's got a microphone And he's like telling the timekeeper And he goes, no, no, no It's like we didn't see what this doesn't make sense, and so Bret Hart grabs the mic. He says he's sick of this crap. There was a fast count. Bret Hart punches Nick Patrick, and as Hogan tries to leave, Bret goes and gets him walking down the aisle, and Bret tosses him back into the ring. He jumps in the ring himself since he's a referee on the night. I always like this kind of. A, so the match is over. We have a winner. But Brett decides to restart it. He throws Hogan back in the ring. Sting now does what Sting should have done from the very beginning. Stinger splash. Uh, the NWO cronies come down. Buff and Scott Norton. Sting, you know, lays them to waste. We get another Stinger splash. The crowd's really into this part. Um, then he he gets set for the Scorpion Deathlock, and he points at Brett, which that I, that spot is cool. Because it's like, oh, hey, this is your move too, right? Sharpshooter, Scorpion, Deathlock. I thought that was fun, you know, a little nod to him. And then he turns him over and Hogan, you know, submits. Brett calls for the bell. Sting wins. We get everybody coming down, showing you, you know, celebrating. I I just, I watched this match years later and I cannot believe they, I still can't believe they screwed this up this bad. I can't believe it. So you got most of it, okay? Sting was never more over than the moments after Michael Buffer said, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the challenger. You get the lightning show. You get the badass monologue. When a man's heart is full of deceit, it burns up, dies, and a dark shadow falls over his soul. From the ashes of a once great man has risen a curse, a wrong that must be righted. We look to the skies for a vindicator, someone to strike fear in the same man who created him. The battle between good and evil has begun. And I I knew that all by heart for various reasons, many of which do not make sense because I, I may or may not have used that for one of my returning to Saratoga promos many years ago. Um, yeah, g- gimmick. Andrew has a repository of all of this stuff. It, it's not easy being me, Gino. I'm just throwing that out there. So <laughs> Sting comes out, the stare down happens, the crowd's into it, the bell rings. And it is at that precise moment, the crowd remembers, oh yeah, it's just Sting. And right there, a lot of the mystique is no matter what happens in the match, you can't get that moment back. No, you, and, the build, the build is always so much more than when the bell rings, especially for two guys like this. Right. Now, I am going to give someone a lot of credit because there is only one person that has reinvented themselves in such a way to where they were able to put that moment off for a while. And that's when Bray Wyatt reinvented himself as 
Because when Bray Wyatt, after six months on television doing the really weird promos that he did, came out as the Fiend at SummerSlam with the disembodied head as the lantern to the bizarre music with the lights going, there was a lot of energy in the building. Wyatt was able to get over doing that and sustain that right up until the Hell in the Cell debacle, which killed everything. But it's the same general principle. And if you don't have anything to counteract the, oh, wait, it's just such and such, you got a problem. And they didn't because Sting at this point hadn't worked in a year and a half. The appeal was him squashing Hogan in five minutes, getting the title and blowing off the, that's not what we got. Instead, we got something that played to the strengths of precisely no one in the match. No one outside the match. Everyone who was involved in this match was hurt in some way, shape, or form by it because the Nick Patrick storyline was dead and buried eight months prior to that. He was reinstated. He was a clean ref. We're all good. Well, now he's back in the back pocket of the NWO, maybe. didn't even execute it well. That's the problem. It wasn't a fast count. It well, didn't even look remotely like a fast count, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, I'm sure, why, in that yep. there were all these conflicting stories. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He knows that Hulk Hogan has creative control, and if Hulk Hogan's telling him what to do, why isn't he supposed to listen to Hulk Hogan, who's telling him, just count it like normal? There were even reports that it was supposed to be a fast count, and Sting was still supposed to kick out of the fast count, and then... Patrick was supposed to say, no, that was three, and be really, really obviously shady. He didn't come off evil or anything. This was a regular pin, and he said it was, I mean, unbelievably poor execution for a story that had already been dead in the water. This this story was done eight months ago. Like It wasn't even like it was a recently just kind of wrapped up with a nice tidy bow story. No, it, it had been done for months. Yeah, and... Like I said, there's nobody involved that comes out of this looking particularly good. Hogan comes out of it with everyone knowing what happened. Again, I'm nine years old. I know what I'm seeing is scripted, okay? I knew that one. But it's not like I knew the inner workings of what creative control meant. It's not like I knew what was going on backstage at WCW. Anyone with half a brain knew what was going on there. Sting winds up getting irreparably hurt to the point where he comes back and he's a main eventer, but he's just another guy. And you get Bret Hart, hottest commodity in all of wrestling after what happened in Montreal. And how are you using him? It's just one of those things where anybody that has been a fan of professional wrestling for a while would have booked this better. Anyone that has played the video game franchise, I swear by TW, which is a wrestling booking simulator. Anyone who has played that for 45 minutes would have been able to sidestep. And instead, what we got is something that some people say started the downfall of WCW. I'm not willing to go quite that far, but I will say this was the first public indication that the ship was taken on water. Uh, I mean, so some of the reports are that, you know, obviously, one, Hulk Hogan could feel his spot towards the top slipping. Sting is very over. This is something that you do to throw a to 
you know, throw some salt on the parade here. I don't know if uh, if you have watched the show yet or if any of the people out there have. I don't want to give them like a spoiler alert. Uh, I don't want to give them a big spoiler, but this is something that has been a storyline in the first couple episodes of the, the the new TV show on Stars called Heels with Stephen Amell, which is a, a wrestling show. I think they've had three episodes so far. I've watched two of them, and in in one of them, there's an incident where one of the big baby faces is supposed to go over, and the guy completely sabotages him. Because he doesn't want him to leave the town and go on to bigger and better, and so it's it's almost like that. It's like, oh, Hogan knows that this his time is done, and it's not done. Hogan, like you said, for him to think that his time was done, that's so delusional for him. Ludicrous for him to not think that he would still be able to to like play on the Hulk Hogan thing for years to come. I mean, forever. And think you've got a you've got a story coming in with Brett. That you could maybe even make better than the one that you just had, which was an incredible story. Like there was all this real stuff with Brett from way back to '92 and '93 that you could have built on there and told this inc- this awesome story. And that would have been like that would have been a bigger deal than whatever feud Sting was in, because once Sting got the title, that's unfortunately another thing that happens with the big baby face chase is that it's inevitable that you know a month so. This match gets schmazed. They end up the next. We'll, we'll talk a few more things about it. But the next night on Monday Night Raw, they end up, you know, Nitro. Uh, you mean Nitro? Ni- I keep saying Raw on Nitro. They um they suspend the title, and they're going to have another match, you know, in a month for uh for the for the belt. Now, versus- the one thing I will give WCW credit for: Sting cuts what I think is one of the best promos he ever cuts that night. It's the first time he opens his mouth in a year and a half. They announce the titles being held up. He looks around, grabs the microphone. And this is honestly, this, I, when I was watching this, I was marking out for this, like, he's going to talk, he's going to talk, he's going to talk. He looks at JJ Dillon and goes, you got no guts. And you points at Hogan. You're a dead man. So good. That's it. And that's all good. That's all you needed. That's all you needed. It was simple. And now Sting did have a lot going on himself at this time. Yeah, Sting. He he's he wasn't perfect in what was happening in his life behind the scenes. But that I like to me, that's a totally different different circumstance than what's happening on screen. Because you can't tell me that in a business where we've seen a lot of unfortunate guys that were dealing with some personal demons, main event, huge shows throughout history. You cannot tell me that Sting was in worse shape here than a lot of those guys through the years that were, you know, that had worked with Hogan, that Hogan was buddies with. That, that that's the one thing I don't like. If you if you don't think that Sting is ready to go on a year long run with the title after this night, I'm I'm okay with that. If you talk to people backstage and you look around and you go, you know what, Sting's not in shape. He's not physically and mentally ready to run with this. Let's have an injury angle, write him off TV. He got his big win. That's what that was what we needed. We needed that moment. I'm okay with all of that. But to do it on this night, to ruin what was so easily made for you, because they said was, here's some quotes from Bischoff on Flair's podcast. Over the last year, he, Sting hadn't been working out. He wasn't engaged. He'd show up. He'd just do his thing. He would do it very well. It was great. He'd get on a plane the next morning. He'd disappear. We wouldn't see him for a week. The end of our first meeting talking about where things were going when it was over Hulk and I both looked at each other and man we can't go there He's not ready for this he didn't it didn't feel like it was a priority 
um, You know they changed the finish This was my call right or wrong this was my call So that's what Bischoff says And Nick Patrick says what happened was I got conflicting stories about what they wanted me to do I had one side telling me they wanted one thing Another faction telling me they wanted another thing So I kind of split it down the middle And uh, that's what happened out of that deal And then you know you hear You know reports from Meltzer Or you hear other stuff from Sting And this was you know You've got the hottest free agent Who just jumped to your company You got the the hottest storyline in wrestling And that's been in wrestling You know this is late 97 We didn't have Austin McMahon quite yet And if you think about what had been happening in WWF You know Sean and Brett was a big story And the Montreal Screwjob had just happened But as far as like a storyline Between characters on screen Sting getting built up to come back And win this title and save WCW Was the biggest storyline since I mean if you think about both companies Hogan Warrior Macho Hogan right I mean like Late 80s early 90s we're probably talking About seven or eight years in 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 all of wrestling I don't Yeah I don't you know you have a story Like this that's what worries me a little bit with what AEW has recently done with the hangman page Stuff hangman page About a month ago was hot That's he came out on TV And they had a tag match with the elite Versus hangman page in the dark order and I Thought he was going to go over and win and then take the title From omega they've been telling this story for A while and punk Came into the company now Daniel Bryan's going to come in Who knows with Cole, Bray Wyatt They've got these new people who are exciting But you kind of push Hangman Page to the side And you never know if you can get that back You hit it Sting was never more over than right before this match And even even in the ring when they started People would have kind of forgot that he wasn't the greatest worker If it would have just been that 4-5 or five minute go over Make the crowd happy WCW and Sting are back And they just couldn't do that This is brutal I mean this is from what this show was supposed to be Because I think like you know when we watch each of these These wrestling old wrestling rewatches And we talk sometimes about If this show or this match was in a vacuum And you know in grading it You you can't do it with this show You just can't because what, what this show was supposed to be And how much they had built it You can't say well yeah if this show Wasn't supposed to be the biggest match of all time You can't do it because you can't take yourself out of that when you watch it, feeling like, oh man, this match is supposed to be so big. It still even feels like it when you flip the, you know, when you start watching the very beginning, the way they talk about it, the Guerrero Malenko matches going on, the commentators are barely even talking about what's happening there. They're so fascinated and interested in what's going on later on at night. And this is as big of a swing and miss as I could ever remember in pro wrestling. I still, it's kind of reminds me a little bit of like, Hogan and Yoko at the King of the Ring 93 you know where it was Like what the hell was that Who really And I guess one of the constants is Hulk Hogan (laughs) in both of those Situations yeah Andrew we've We've been mad angry And disappointed but give me some of your Sort of final uh, wrap up thoughts On this show that was An awful awful show Sting wins it back in a month And then he only has a few month reign Too you know it's not like It just is so deflating. Yeah. I'm going to keep this fairly short because a lot of what Eric Bischoff has said can be countered with one simple statement. You've been telling this story for over a year. I don't care what can sting is in unless he's like Jeff Hardy at victory road. Exactly. Which how ironic is that, that he was against sting in that match. (laughs) There's one ending. You go there. 
That's what you do. And the fact that they ultimately gave Sting the title anyway. If you're going to screw somebody, screw them the whole way. You do not do what Bischoff did on this. There was one ending to this story. Everyone knew what it was going to be. Everyone. It's not the ending we got. I am not willing to say that this is what killed WCW. I think what killed WCW was a much more convoluted combination of... It's it's not one thing. Yeah, It's death by a thousand per cuts. Mm -hmm. And that is called foreshadowing, by the way. So as far as this show goes, WCW made a lot of money. But four months later, WWF would bring Mike Tyson in for WrestleMania. Steve Austin would go over Shawn Michaels. Austin starts stunning everyone named McMahon. The Rock turns into The Rock in all capital letters. Guys start jumping ship, and WWF winds up not just winning the Monday Night War, they spend most of the year 2000 burying WCW in an avalanche. And I am not willing to say that this outright contributed to it, but as I said, I do think this was the first time where people that weren't necessarily in the know about what was going on backstage could start to tell okay, there's something weird going on here. And at some point, we're going to figure out. Sorry that it got a little abruptly cut off there, but uh, I had to just I had to just cut the last few minutes of our conversation with Andrew because it went a little bit over. I, I wouldn't have been able to fit it all into one show. And um, the conversation, as you know, with me and Andrew will tend to just uh, go on and on and on a little bit. The only real important stuff that you missed after was what's going to be our next Old Wrestling Rewatch for next week. We're going to be talking about WCW New Blood Rising. WCW 2000. He wanted to to give us a hard time. He wanted to make things very difficult for us. So we're going to watch a terrible show. WCW New Blood Rising 2000 for our next Old Wrestling Rewatch. Big thanks to Andrew for helping out there. Big thank you to TK, Tim Kelly, for his uh, thoughts and his hard work every week here when we recap those episodes of What If. We'll get you a Shang-Chi coming up in uh, in the next maybe week or so. We'll, uh, we'll discuss that one. And hopefully we uh, made you some money on Tuesday and Wednesday. Indy, Kentucky, and Canterbury. And don't forget, folks, football season coming up next. You heard all the ways you can follow along social media. Give me a follow at It's Me, Gino B., and you'll get all the information there to all the free content that you have coming up throughout the NFL season. Have a great early part of your week, and we'll be back in just a few days with another episode of That's What G Said.